You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for episode two of our DC month uh, on the Oz Network as we cover DC movies uh, that have nothing to do with Christopher Nolan or Richard Donner or Ryan Reynolds, thankfully. Uh, We are up to episode two, movie two, which is Batman v Superman, not versus, which we'll talk about some of the trivia behind that in this episode, Uh, subtitled Donna Justice, really the biggest superhero movie of all. You can say whatever you want about the Avengers, but it doesn't get bigger than Batman and Superman, and obviously a movie that divided a lot of people. Uh, I know both of us here are big defenders of this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it, Um, and excited you know, just to go over some of the fun things that I think we can admit don't necessarily work in this. But uh, it's the biggest superhero movie of all time. And uh, if you didn't know already, my name is Colin. Colin, why did you say that name? Well, my name is Ben. And why did you say that name? My name is Ben. Why did you say that? It's my fucking... Why did you say... For fuck's sake, I'm not a lady. I'm a journalist there. I'll go with that one. <laughs> Uh, we had a lot of questions about whether you're a lady or journalist, so let's get that out of the way now. I love how there's a difference. I just have to say that that's a great line, the fact that I'm not a lady, I'm a journalist, because that needed to be implied for some reason, but yeah. okay, that's what we say in our profession. Uh. <laughs> uh yeah, this is going to be a fun one because I feel like this is a movie that gets so much criticism and yet I've yet to really meet a person who had anything bad to say about it. I've met a few who are like, it was okay. The majority of people, as we talked about the end of Man of Steel, that I've met and talked about this with, they're all saying, like, I expect it to be terrible because of what all the critics said, but it was really fun. And people, I think, even more so than just, yeah, it was a good movie, a lot of people were like, I loved it. And uh, that's kind of my reaction. I think it's a fun movie. And it, it kind of falls into that category, like, you know, the Star Wars prequels or the Matrix sequels, uh, where it's just a movie that was so big and so anticipated and so much hype behind it that it was never going to please everybody. And more than anything, I think that's what's interesting to look back on this movie as is that were expectations just too high. And, you know, is there anything really wrong with the movie or is it just they never could have done it justice or dawn of justice? <laughs> but we got lots to talk about this one. We kind of said at the beginning, you know, what our uh, experiences going into this were, what our initial thoughts were. Now, I went back and I looked and I think – I put up a status right after walking out of this just saying how much I love the movie and that all the critics are wrong. And that it actually got me more excited for Justice League than The Force Awakens got me excited for The Last Jedi, which, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than Superman, but those are my two big things. And even though you know, I'm not saying that it's a perfect movie, for me, it just it, it got me excited for what was coming next while also just satisfying it was it was a great Superman sequel it was a great Batman reboot. It just—it was a perfect introduction to Wonder Woman. There's so many things that really do work about this. It just doesn't get enough credit for it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I I don't know if you'll find a bigger defender of this film maybe than myself after just having watched this again. I mean, I've met one person who adamantly hates this film. Maybe two actually, because I think I mentioned about um, my status that I posted of this just um, after I saw it. I'm actually trying to yeah. find that to see the, the comments that were had on that because I kind of gone back here to uh which oh, actually i found it there we go i'll go over that after but um 
Yeah, I watched. I will say I watched the director's cut for this episode. Didn't realize I had the ultimate edition director's <laughs> cut until I started watching them. Why is he three hours long? Um, so uh, I, that was the first time I saw that, and just, I think it made me love this film even more. I mean, I saw this um, movie. This is the only of these movies, the DC movies that I've seen at the cinema, and I'm the biggest bigger fan of these than Marvel movies. Um, mm. But, I mean, there was no way I was going to miss this at the cinemas. Uh, you know, as soon as it's kind of released, the trailers and just the hype around it. It's been a while since I'd kind of been that excited for a non-Star Wars, James Bond, Jurassic Park film. So, uh, and this kind of was like the, the one that we'd always wanted, wasn't it? Like, you know, that being yeah. so long talked about this. I mean, wasn't I Am Legend when that was set in the future? They even kind of had that poster in, like, you know, destroyed Times Square of Batman mm-hmm. v Superman. All these little things had been talked about for a long time. So... And, like, I guess kind of, you know, I went into it watching it for the first time, hearing all the reviews, hearing what people were talking about it, and just thinking, oh, no, this isn't, like, crap. Like, I don't want this to be bad. And I left the cinema just loving it, just loving it so much. And just thinking, like, wow, that was awesome. I think I told last week I went home, I got the soundtrack. Like, I just, I just, there's so much about this film that I just loved. And then I've... I've only seen this three times. I saw it for a second time later last year, and then I saw it for this time. So, again, for somebody who loves this film so much, I'm ashamed to say I've only seen it three times. As soon as I finished watching this, I wanted to watch it again. Um, And, like, I for sure can definitely see some things wrong with it. There are definitely some big plot holes in this film where I'm going to say in this film, like, what? Like, what? Um, and But, I mean, like, again, I'm going to say that about Star Wars films. We said that about James yeah. Bond films. Like, we say this about films we love. There's probably one thing about this film that I do not like, that is one character in this film, oh, particularly a portrayal of a character in this film <laughs> that I do not like, and I will talk openly about why I don't like that person as that character. But other than that, like, I want to defend this to my death. I just, like... Yeah. I just love this film so much. I just want to watch it again. I can't wait to talk about it, and just so much. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, it just makes me so excited for Justice League, and the fact that we can sit here and talk about this knowing that Justice League is basically a month away at the time of recording this just just gets me so excited right now. And, yeah, I, I am so looking forward to talking about this because, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this three times just when I was in theatres, uh, and the, the first time, I mean, it, it got me excited right away to go watch it again, and I think it was probably a week or two later that we went back the second time um, but the funny thing is when I went back the second time and it wasn't that I disliked the movie or it diminished my interest in it all, but there was so much going on the first time and so many things that really were satisfying. I'm like, I want to see that again. When I watched it two weeks later, it was like, I walked out feeling like, you know what? I'm good now. And that's kind of unusual for me with anything Superman. I mean, I saw, um, Superman returns six times. I saw man of steel three times. So I said, with this, the second time, like, I'm good now. And I, it, more than anything, I had to do with the fact that it just, it was such a big movie and very heavy and um, extremely complicated. Uh, but the weirdest thing happened, we went to, not that it was weird to go to a drive-in theater, but uh, <laughs> a couple months later, we went to a drive-in theater, which is out of town. And it was just sort of a fun experience to do that. And they were showing this and Suicide Squad and some bad horror movie. It's like a triple feature. And I was kind of going just, you know, to see a movie in a drive-in. And seeing it for the third time, it just it, it piqued my interest even more because I walked out of the second time thinking, I'm good now. I don't think I need to see this again for a while, uh, even though I was still enjoying it. And the third time, like, wow, that was fantastic. And it was probably only a month later where it came out on Blu-ray. And since then, I've only watched the Ultimate Edition, as you were talking about, the director's cut, which gives you a totally different appreciation for the movie. Oh, yeah. And it's not one of these groundbreaking things just like, wow, there's so much more in there. 
it's little bits and pieces of scenes that are extended. And it's minor scenes that are cut out uh, that just add to it. A lot of the the subplots that this being the first time I've watched the theatrical version in, I don't know, since it was in theaters, uh, I'm sort of going like, well, I, now I really know why that Ultimate Edition was better. Uh, and the reason it never came out was just because it was three hours long. How are you going to release a three-hour superhero movie, you know? Um, there's kind of always the fear of releasing a three-hour movie. You don't even get to show it as many times. Therefore, your grosses are going to be diminished just because it can only play so many times with three-hour running time. But it just it adds so much more to the movie. And we're going to be talking about the theatrical version today because that's what most people have seen. But if you have an opportunity, go out and get the director's cut. If you didn't like this version, give the director's cut a chance because just by, by little moments here and there, it just fills the story so much more. And it just it made it feel to me like a cheesy version of the godfather for superheroes like it was just a really complicated political story uh story with betrayal and all those things like the lois investigation and the uh, incident in uh the the african incident at the beginning of the movie just so much more depth there and even just the characters get a lot more to work with i mean it, but the theatrical version still such a blast as always, uh, as a fan of Honest Trailers and the Everything Wrong With series on YouTube, you know, I've watched them in the lead up to this. So, like, there are some funny bits in there that they point out and criticise with it. But there are also... It's probably the one I've disagreed with the most. I mean, I would say probably the Batman vs. V Superman uh, Honest Trailer is probably my favourite one that they do. But there's just some stuff that they nitpick at it, which, again, I think a lot of the fanboys and girls nitpick about this. Just over the top, like, some stuff that they nitpick about. I'm like, really? Like, that's what you're going to go crazy about? Like, that... Um, but I just want to point out that the the one... And I'm just saying this now because I'm going to forget about it, but I just want to point this out because just the funniest part of the Honest Trailer is... Well, there's two. The one where they're like, so much journalism. But also, <laughs> the, uh, the my favourite bit is when um, they're yelling at uh, Clark Kent. It's like, stop being so mopey. Do an interview or something. Do carpool karaoke and do that fight for fighting song. I'm more than a bird. I'm more than a plane. <laughs> When he's dragging the the uh, the boat through the snow, yeah, I just like just oh, that would be. I want Henry Cavill to do that now. I want him to do carpool <laughs> karaoke with James Gordon, saying, "I'm more than a bird, I'm more than a play." <laughs> anyway, that's well, over and done with. <laughs> yeah, I, you mentioned like how long people have talked about this movie. I mean, there was a Batman versus Superman movie in the works. Uh, I think it was around two thousand and one or two thousand two. Wolfgang Peterson, who of course did. You know, Air Force One and uh, Das Boat and The Perfect Storm, Troy. He was working on a Batman vs. Superman movie and was the closest to getting it made, but that was not tied to any of the other franchises. This was pre-Superman Returns. It was pre-Batman uh, Begins. And it was going to be heavily influenced by the comic book The Dark Knight Returns, which this movie takes a lot of, which if people aren't familiar with the comic books, The Dark Knight Returns was something that sort of flashed forward. It really wasn't in the continuity of regular comic books. It's, Let's go about 20 years in the future, and Batman is an old man now, and he's you know bitter and angry and worn out, and Superman is kind of just this weapon of the government, and it's almost like Superman is still supposed to be publicly the symbol of hope, but he's corrupted, and you know it, it's, it's what would really happen. It's kind of like in a real world, how would Superman be used? Would he be used as a weapon? Would be, he be conforming to the government? And it was just about the, the the clashing of the ideals between Superman and Batman. And this movie takes a lot out of that. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I don't think anybody really expected that they would do Man of Steel 2 as Batman versus Superman. You know, everybody knew that they wanted to eventually get to Justice League. But 
probably the thought was that they're going to reintroduce an origin story for Batman again, which I'm so thankful they didn't. Yeah. It was really only about a month after Man of Steel came out that this movie was announced as Batman versus Superman. You know, no Dawn of Justice yet, no Batman v Superman. It was Batman versus Superman. And it was probably only a month or two after that that Ben Affleck was cast. Uh, what's so interesting about this movie was just the reaction people had, which was such a positive reaction. Even though Man of Steel, we kind of debunked the whole thing. Oh, oh nobody likes the DC movies. Man of Steel got a good reception when it came out, and even a good audience re- reception. It wasn't like, you know, The Dark Knight, but people were pleasantly surprised with it. But the interest that just the title, Batman versus Superman, generated with people was so huge that three years before this movie came out, people were talking about it nonstop. And then the casting of Ben Affleck came out. And obviously there's the problem with that. And, you know, it just it was probably the most negative casting reaction, at least we've experienced in years. I always like to remind people now, every time there's like a negative casting reaction of like the Michael Keaton thing, like nothing topped the hatred towards Michael Keaton being cast as Batman. Or, you know, you look at so many of the other uh, ones over the years, uh, you know, obviously Ben Affleck now is the one people go to. Robert Downey Jr. People hated the idea of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. And the list just goes on and on. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is James Bond. Like, yeah, right up there with Michael Keaton. Uh, And all these people really just, they ended up defining the role. And I think that's the thing that I remember more than anything with this was the excitement people had about Batman going against Superman. They even revealed the logo three years ahead of time. But then when Ben Affleck was cast, it was just no. And yet the funny thing is, this is coming off of Ben Affleck's revival of his career where everybody was crazy about Ben Affleck again because of uh argo and the town and you know some of his directorial uh films he had and then just they didn't want him as batman for whatever reason like i I, I, i'll never forget how negative those reactions were and just not understanding it at all yeah i'm with you there completely and it was i mean i think everybody was sort of afraid of like oh shit he was daredevil how bad was that you know Mm -hmm. um and like yeah you're right though like this was post ben affleck revival i mean if you had done this 10 years previously maybe it's warranted because, you know, he's coming off Daredevil and Geely and, you know, all these <laughs> starring roles. But, I mean, this is, like, it's hard to kind of go over one of these controversial casting choices. I mean, is there a controversial casting choice that has actually lived up to the fact that they sucked and everybody was, you know, right, that yeah. they were not right for that role? Um, Never. <laughs> like, and this is the thing, like, even on the Honest trailer, they basically say that Ben Affleck is the best thing about this movie. Um, and you know, I, I never had really, I've always liked Ben Affleck. He was on my school books in year, <laughs> we when know I was 12. You yeah. Um, I've, I mean, like, you know, seriously, I've always been a fan of Ben Affleck and mm. I was never, I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, decent. That's all right. Um, but like, you don't voice that opinion in what, 2013, because, you know, we're voicing these opinions now in 2017 and we're going to have haters that we like this film. But yeah. Mm. And like, I kind of going into this after all the negative reviews and all that sort of stuff, I'd still heard that, oh, well, Ben Affleck's good. And even he blew away my expectations. And I mean, this is the thing I think with Ben Affleck, he's, he's one of these actors that, yeah, he's, he's done some bad shit in his career. You know, but like, I felt we talked a little bit about this with Matthew McConaughey recently. You know, it's kind of like Mm. he went through that period where he was just doing sort of dumb romantic comedies, but he's revived his career, won an Oscar, and now he's a serious actor. Ben Affleck Mm -hmm. is kind of like that. You know, he kind of 
what goodwill hunting was well regarded sort of stuff went through a period yeah. of doing shit films in the 2000s and now he's incredibly in high regard as an actor and as a director so i mean it's it's capable that people can do this there's still hope for you adam sandler it's all good <laughs> you can come back out of this netflix fu- funk it's fine you're apparently an oscar contention for this other film that you're doing at the moment so it's gonna work all right, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So like, I I was never completely against it, and like as you were saying, like the fact that when this was announced, we talked a little bit about some Man of Steel that kind of it wasn't sort of talked about straight away. It's not like I feel like the Marvel films that kind of they know everything and everything that's going to happen. They kind of do with the DC films now, but I mean, this was really the first one that kind of yeah, Man of Steel set it up. But I mean, this was really the first one because I mean, this is the thing too with this film that people are overly critical for it. Because, you know, there was the expectations and everything that they set up in this film. You know, it's Batman v Superman. As you said, arguably the biggest superhero film that everybody had been waiting for in the history of superhero films. We finally got it. We're going to see what this is going to be like. They have to kind of work on the fact that this has to be a sequel, of course, to Man of Steel. It's got to be the first in a new series of Batman films coming off the success of the Christopher Nolan film. So, you know, there's a pressure to live up to kind of the high expectations that... Well, two of those three films had. Um, you know, there's also Wonder Woman. We've got to get her on screen for the very first time. The Justice League. We've got to see The Flash. We've got to see Cyborg. We've got to see Aquaman. You know, we've got a new Lex Luthor. You know, we've got Doomsday. Uh, you know, fucking Jenny's there again. Is she in the theatrical, <laughs> <laughs> she in the theatrical cut or is she just in the extended one? Because fuck me, I can't remember her. She's in the- theatrical, yeah. Oh, God. Where's Doug Stamper? What happened to him? Where'd he go? Yeah. Why did they not bring him back? Fucking Jenny's back. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's so much that they have to do in this movie. And, like... Like, we talked in the Spider-Man ones about, like, obviously you were very critical of Spider-Man 3, I was very critical of Amazing Spider-Man 2, about how there's so much going on there. And, you know, like, there's so much going on here. But to me, mm-hmm. it just, it like, it gels and it works. Like, I've watched, as I said, the extended version, there's three hours. As you said, that's a long time for a film. Like, maybe it's similar to Titanic, because I love that so much. Like, I did not feel like I'm watching a three-hour movie. I'm, like, loving yeah. every minute of it. And I'm like, oh, crap, I've only got half an hour to go. I've been watching this for two and a half hours, and I don't give a shit. It's great. So, and, you know, that's why I think this movie is just, oh, yeah, so good. <laughs> and, and, again, there's there's going to be defenders out there on both sides. Um, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, Marvel fans tend to be louder uh, just because, for, for one thing, they've had, you know, 10 years to work on their movies, and I'll bring it up in every episode until people stop talking about it, but Marvel's first four movies weren't that well-received either. Uh, um, you know, and I would argue Iron Man 2 is worse than anything DC's ever put out by far. But when you look at Civil War, one of the complaints that even defenders of Civil War has is that there was so much in that movie that even at two and a half hours long, it felt like you were only getting brief glimpses. Like nothing was really as big as it should be. Uh, It wasn't living up to what it should. And these are defenders of the movie. I've seen so many movies where people talk about that. They tried to cram too much in it. This movie crams a lot in there. And yet I feel like you're satisfied with everything they do cram in there. And uh, there's not, there are, there are people out there who complain about this and that and Martha or whatever, (laughs) but I've never heard somebody say, Oh, you know what? We didn't get enough development for the doomsday thing. Oh, we didn't get enough of Batman's rage. We didn't get enough of the fight scene between Batman and Superman. I mean, they give you what you want out of it. I agree. And the thing that like, yeah, you can maybe see a little bit of the argument in terms of like, a Wonder Woman's sort of tacked on. But even then, it's kind of like, 
this is called Batman v Superman, not Batman v Superman v Wonder Woman. You know, like this is yeah. we're introduced to Wonder Woman, and she's had her own standalone film since. And it, like, I think, kind of now this film holds up more having seen Wonder Woman mm-hmm. because you know where she's come from to get to that point. And like, just some of the the continuity things, like the fact that, and we'll get to it, the photo in this film of like yeah. her back in 1918, which what well, this is filmed before Wonder Woman, and that's the, that's the actual photo, like. Mm-hmm. It's incredible like, how much detail they've gone to for this. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with, you know, the Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman, kind of with all those sort of scenes that we see in this film. But, like, yeah, like, the balance between Batman and Superman in this film is is crazy. Like, some of the criticisms I see about the fact that, you know, this is like a, a slow, lazy sequel to Man of Steel and, you know, a slightly interesting start to Batman, but we don't see much of it. Like, I like I don't see how that is a criticism. Maybe, again, it's just the Ultimate Edition too. But, like, to me, it's a perfect balance between the two. I think it's a great sequel to Man of Steel that it kind of develops off the back of what we just talked about last week with everything and kind of Clark and his, you know, his thought process of what's happened and kind of what he goes through in this film and how he's, you know, treated by society. You mentioned that last week in terms of how this film is able to, I guess, retcon how the reaction we didn't have a week ago he's brought into this time and like again like the thing about batman in this film to me is that this is the first time we're seeing ben affleck as batman in this portrayal of bruce wayne this is the first time we're seeing jeremy irons as alfred like we're just these little references that we live now in a world of batman that is established as batman it's not batman begins and batman that where we're seeing this character we get the references to the joker to the riddler he's lived in this world where he's already battled all these iconic villains that we know of we don't, 20 years is what he says. Yeah, like, we don't need kind of... And this is what I think it does so well. Like, we feel so comfortable in the shoes of this Batman already. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, you think about, like, the, you know, the Tim Burton ones, the Joel Schumacher films, you know, like, they're there in a different world, but, like, that's already an established Batman world. But even then, you feel like you're still learning about this guy. Like, we don't need any time except for a brief little glimmer of his parents getting killed at the beginning, which people complain about because, oh, we've seen it before. Even then, like, similar to what we said in Man of Steel, it's done in a way that I think it works. Yes, we've seen it before, but it still works for me. And then, like, it just... You feel so comfortable with this guy. And it's like, I... Yeah, I'm already getting worked up and defending this film already because I just think that some of the nitpicks and criticisms that people have of this film are just completely unwarranted. The other thing to mention on Ben Affleck is that, you know, even though he was announced a couple of months after the movie was announced, uh, he'd obviously been tied to DC for a while. And this is what shows that they put a lot of work into building this. Uh, and it's not just a rush thing because it was probably around like 2014 or 2015 where there are all these rumors that Ben Affleck was meeting with DC and everybody's assumption, because at the time he had sort of transitioned to being this respected director was that he was being hired to direct the Justice League movie. And that was like a very uh, heavy rumor that like was all over the place for months. And I remember when he was cast, I'm like, well, so that's what his involvement was. But like DC had been talking about that for a long time. And, you know, he's very involved even just in the production side now and, you know, writing and directing, uh, even though he's stepping back from that. But he was the right guy. And you have to give credit sometimes to filmmakers and studios and producers who see something that the audience doesn't see. And Gal Gadot is another one. We'll talk about her a little yeah. bit later on. But the reaction to her being cast was equally negative. And it's always just stupid things people pick on. Uh, so in some ways, this movie was doomed to get a negative reaction from the beginning. But we can't forget that when it came out, we'll talk more on the end. I mean, it got a really good audience response. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people 
are not quite as strong as they think and that as critics' opinions change, they decide, well, I guess I didn't like this either. Um, I know several people whose opinions have changed just because other people's opinions have changed. But uh, when this movie came out, it was it, it, it really did hit with audiences. And uh, we'll kind of cover that more on the end of the episode. But, you know, Zack Snyder's obviously back on this one. David Goyer, who wrote the first, we didn't even talk about David Goyer's involvement in Man of Steel, but he had written all three of the, at least co-written all three of the Dark Knight films for Christopher Nolan and been involved in comic movies going way back further than that. Uh, I think Blade, he was the one who was most involved in the Blade series and even directed one of the Blade movies, Ghost Rider, a Jumper, um, tons of superhero movies he did over the years. And he's kind of become the go-to guy for DC now. And I think he's attached to the Green Lantern core movie that's coming out in a few years too. Uh, but Chris Terrio writes this with you know, David Goyer who again was, I don't think he won an Oscar, but he was nominated for uh, the screenplay for Argo. So again, a lot of involvement from you know Ben Affleck there. I mean, they really go all out even with the crew in this movie and, of course, with the cast, some of the other casting choices they have for this, like Jeremy Irons, you mentioned, Holly Hunter. I mean, they're not going after the cheap names. And I think one of the criticisms Marvel always had was that Marvel wasn't necessarily always casting the best actor, just the cheapest actor. Um, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Sorry. And even some of the people love, like Chris Evans. I mean, I think even Chris Evans had an interview at one point. He may have been joking, saying that, you know, they basically offered him a number that was low. And he said, I'll do it because, you know, I'll be doing this for the next 10 years. Uh, but they're really going after big talent in this. And I think it shows, and the production values are awesome. Uh, even just the beginning of the movie, just we start covering it here. The opening, as you said, covering the death of the parents. I mean, it's important. And having read the Dark Knight Returns comic, there's a lot of parallels to how this is starting. And I think Zack Snyder pays tribute to the comics without being too tied to it. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is his dad. Like, that's awesome. I thought, Who can I just interrupt Dean? and say that I thought that was Clive Owen? Every time I see that, I'm like, is that Clive serious? Owen? Like, I just, I just, I kept, free- I just looked it up just then that it was Jeffrey Dean Morgan. But I swear that's Clive Owen. <laughs> Uh, Clive Owen did not play the mother either. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's a cool way of narrating and introducing Ben Affleck. Uh, Even just having a new timeline. I mean, we see him outside the movie theater. And for one thing, it's cool. They have uh, the Mark of Zorro poster on the wall, which in the comics, if you go back to like the original Batman origin story from the forties, he was seeing the Mark of Zorro, which you can't have seen that now because who's seeing a black and white silent film you know, in 2017, but then they have like Excalibur poster on the wall, which dates it. I don't know. It was what, like 1981 or something. Yeah, so 1981. Yep. yeah. So then if we're figuring if this is like a 10 year old, you know, Bruce Wayne, maybe he's probably in his mid forties at the point of this movie. Um, then it goes exactly to what I said we were missing in man of steel, which we get here, which is the reaction to Superman. They even have the title, like mankind is introduced to Superman. And my complaint to man of steel was always that we never, saw how the world responded to him. You know, we have this introduction of aliens are alive, and yet we don't have newscasts. And I was saying we could even have little things in the background. And I often forget how many little moments there are in this movie of just, here's a shot of Nancy Grace, and here's a shot of Anderson Cooper or whoever, and they're all talking about, you know, their panels. Well, you know, we have this alien, you know, should he be accountable and all that? And even, well, how does the world respond to having aliens and all this destruction that happens, this natural disaster, not natural disaster, this unnatural disaster. Uh, 
And this entire opening sequence is showing us that because it's showing us the climax of the original movie from the point of view of not Batman, but from the average person. All of Man of Steel is told from the point of view of Clark or Zod. So we don't see how the world responds. We see how some humans like in the military respond, but not the average person. So just seeing this battle happening in the background and, you know, the, the building collapsing and Bruce Wayne, you know, rushing to try to save his people and all that, uh, you know, and Keith, the, the guy Keith being crushed. I mean, it's setting up the story, but I mean, this is, if you'd have this in Man of Steel, Man of Steel, I think is a better movie, but in a way it's better they did save it for this time because it makes Man of Steel and Batman v Superman feel like they're telling the same story just from different perspectives. And that's what Batman really is to this movie, I think, is that he's the human perspective of, you know, how would we really respond? When everybody asked me how was the movie, I would say, you know, it's not that it's the greatest movie ever, but A, it's really fun, and B, it's the most logical superhero movie I've ever seen because it really does address how the world would react to something like this happening uh, in both sides, you know, the people worshipping Superman and the people fearing him. And just this entire opening sequence, you've just seen it from a different perspective, very, like, uh, Back to the Future Part 2, let's watch George McFly knock out Biff from across the parking lot, you know, um, I, I just love the way this whole movie opens, and even though we don't really see Superman in it, I mean, it's another perfect way to introduce Batman while establishing why Batman, people would wonder, well, why is Batman want to kill Superman? Well, because a lot of people would want to kill Superman. If Superman appeared today, you and I probably would be afraid more than anybody. <laughs> well, I would He's going to steal my woman, and, you know, you're a coward. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But... Yeah, this is the way half of the population would react, and that's why Batman is so good in this movie. Yeah, I agree, and I think that I, this opening sequence is just amazing. I love sort of films like this where they kind of show it from a different perspective. They just kind of pick up from where what we've seen, you know, like Back to the Future reference, perfect there. Um, and just like going back to just the opening bit with the the death of the parents, like. I mean, again, we've seen it. We know it. We know what happens. We know that Clark crashes into Kansas. We we know this story so much. But, I mean, like, you know, difference between this and The Amazing Spider-Man is we don't have to sit through a whole film of this. We get a nice little sort of flashback. We see it. And I think it's more obviously the case of, you know, when uh, it's like, Martha, like, you know, we're going to get that later on. Which, again, I hate how people criticise that scene. I can't wait till we get to that scene. Um yeah. So, I mean, that's all we need to see. I mean, the only bit I'm weirded out by this opening scene is when he's, like, fallen down the bat cave and he's, like, flying with the bats. Like, I don't mm-hmm. get that. Is that just meant to mean something or, like... That's They're a- levitating him, is it? Maybe it's one of his dreams, like his many dreams in this movie, the dreams of Bruce he, Wayne. He needs to see, it, uh, like, this is like Inception or something like that. Like, <laughs> he needs to see someone about this. Um, but, yeah, like, the just this opening sequence of, like, him sort of in Metropolis going through, like... It's just incredible. It's so amazing. Like, as you said, just the reaction of people and kind of this is this is just such a perfect way of doing it. And, like, my, my only question here is, like, why doesn't he show up as Batman? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. doesn't need to, I guess. And I love how, like, people in the street don't seem to notice who he is. I think, like, when he walks through the smoke, they kind of do. But um, I love it. Who's the guy in the building? Is it Jack? And basically, we went over what in the last film about how, you know, Perry decides at the last minute, okay, time to go. Like, yeah. <laughs> similar story happening here at uh, Wayne Industries. What's that, boss? Can we go? <laughs> if Perry hadn't, you know, been such a great leader, we could have had Jenny in a wheelchair in this movie, and she could have been blown up in the middle yeah, of the Senate hearing. we just wish she had died. Um, <laughs> she's, done she's in Justice League. I'm walking out. But, um... <laughs> 
but like this is the thing that actually I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? About how like how far apart are Metropolis and Gotham? Uh, yeah. As we discover in this movie, just over the other side of the river. Uh, so, which I question the logistics of that. Why are they separate cities? Like, shouldn't they just be the, the greater downtown area of Metropolis and the, the growing... I mean, I guess it's kind of like San Francisco and Oakland. I mean, they're kind of... Yeah, it's like New York, New Jersey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, anyway, like the two biggest cities in the world, like, are directly opposite each other. Um, <laughs> but sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, just... Just the, I love this sequence when he's like driving through and then kind of he runs through into that smoke and uh, we meet. What's his name? The stupid guy in the wheelchair, Will or Keith. he? What's his name? Wallace. What? Keith. Yeah, Keith. Wallace Keith. Wallace Keith. All right. Okay. I got Wally. Keith. 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 Oh Jesus Christ! What are you saying Let's just right call now? Call him Adam. Okay. Adam. Adam stuck underneath the rubble. <laughs> Um, and I, like, kind of, you know, again, obviously I watched the extended edition, like, the little bit there, like, in the extended edition where he's helping little girl join the, uh, the, the field trip woman as they're, like, holding hands. Just, you know, like, tiny little scene there, because we need to see that Bruce Wayne's a cool guy saving little children. He saves another girl and then points up, like, oh, where's mummy? Oh, up there. Couldn't you just say up there? Why do you have to be all dramatic and point? Like... Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, when, when that plays, do you almost shudder and think... Am I about to see a severed leg? And that's what she's pointing at. But, like, the thing the thing that I think makes this more, like, you can emote with it and you, it's kind of connect with it is that, I mean, we all, like, people our age at least, you know, lived through watching 9-11. So, like, we saw this in real life to an extent, if you know what I mean. Like, the reaction, the building collapses and things like that and people kind of seeing this happening in real life. So I guess it's like it's done in a way that kind of you can connect with. And I don't know if it's a weird sort of connection to sort of make, but, you know, we've seen the reaction of something similar to this in real life. So we can kind of, I guess, connect with this opening sequence, kind of going back to when you were saying about how would the general population react to this. Um, So I think kind of that like puts a big connection point to it as well. So yeah, this, this whole opening is just, it's incredible. Like even like when you see that shot of the plane, like crashing into the spaceship, kind of what we obviously saw that from the perspective of man of steel, like they've gone out of their way so well to kind of connect this so much into what we saw with man of steel that, um, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing to talk about here is, uh, before we get going, cause I know I'll forget is the whole Batman V Superman thing. Uh, which did you ever hear the reasoning why it was called Batman v Superman and not Batman versus? I think is it something to do with the fact that versus implies they're enemies, and well, it v was something I mean, different. I, yeah, I don't. I don't even know if it was that simple. I think Zack Snyder's original explanation for this was that he just wanted the movie to be separated from many other verses out there, like Freddy versus Jason. You know. Uh, um, and he just didn't want to portray that idea like it would just be a cheesy like battle movie. So the V somehow was supposed to be different, which it, it seems kind of weird. But when you look at it on a logo, I, I like it better. And I often, as you probably notice, I'll just refer to this as Batman Superman because in a way I don't look at it as a versus movie. But also just I love the way the logo looks where Batman V Superman looks like the V is just a way separating them. But yeah, just a little thing. I wanted to know if you, you knew about that or what your feelings are on V versus versus V versus versus. <laughs> Versus, I think <laughs> I think it's just one of these things that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I mean, it, it's kind of you know it's it's billed as a versus movie, sure, V movie, whatever. But I mean, you know, 
we know as comic book fans and that, that sure, they're going to have a bit of a battle, but we also ultimately know they're going to end up on the same side, right? So it's not like it's, you know, Iron Man versus Superman. Like, they're different, you know, comic book characters and different comic book companies. Uh, You know, it's like Batman versus Joker or something like that. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day... What are we, Batman and Superman, Dawn of Justice? Like, I mean, who gives yeah. a shit? It's Batman and Superman in a movie together. So, you know, who cares? Um, the movie flashed forward to 18 months later, so a year and a half. And I, I think this is also important because 18 months after 9 11, people were still having debates, you know? And it's interesting you make that comparison because I feel like that kind of shapes why this movie had to be about how does the world respond. And, you know, even if there are Marvel, again, I'm not. Uh, dissing Marvel. I'm a fan of Marvel movies as well. Uh, I just personally see complaints in Marvel movies that people choose to ignore. One of them being that it took Marvel until, like, I don't even know, Civil War is what, like the 15th or 20th Marvel movie? And it took them that long to really address how the world would respond to superheroes in real life. And yet it was always established as, you know, with the first Iron Man, this is its own world where superheroes don't exist. This is something new to them. And when you have this massive rush of it, they never address that. It took till Civil War. And even when Civil War addresses it, there's something different with a movie that is showing a, and I love Paul Bettany, but Paul Bettany as a purple robot that walks through walls and wears sweater vests. <laughs> and because I'm a sweater vest can walk through walls. And he's having debates, political debates on, you know, uh, are we really authorized to commit these acts of, you know, whatever? Um, are we terrorists and everything? It, it doesn't hold the same weight as having scenes like with Holly Hunter in this brief Senate hearing. And that's one of the things I love most about this movie was that political story where they would be calling for, you know, some type of accountability from Superman. And do we need to, uh, that's the basic plot of this movie. Should we create a deterrent so that we, you know, can't just have Superman running off doing whatever he pleases so that he's under our control? Or should we just, you know, guilt trip Superman into working for us? They don't even go that far. It's just, it's opening that debate, which is what's interesting. Uh, little things we see here, like the the kryptonite emerging from the Indian Ocean. 18 months later, they would like, how long did it take them to go through ground zero? I mean, little details like that that really connect you to this is a real world and not, you know, just a bunch of comic book characters fighting each other with, you know, uh, giant rock monsters uh, or bone <laughs> monsters or whatever in the end. Uh, but the Africa stuff is uh, it's such a small pot part of the movie. Which, now going back and re-watching the theatrical cut for the first time in like a year i feel like this is part that the movie does lose on because the director's cut had so much more in it and it really is lois's plot we're going to kind of do something different here because this is a weird movie as i was watching this most of the scenes are very brief and there's a lot of cutting back and forth and montages and all that we'll take as these plots come up these subplots and we'll just cover them all as a whole so this africa thing just a few things to touch on for it um one the idea here that we find out later on is that Lex is pulling these strings. He's providing these weapons or whatever. Uh, and it's all meant, you know, to somehow lure Superman out or the, the evil side of Superman. But when Lois is there, you know, she's just in, not interrogating, interviewing a terrorist. And it goes bad and her life's threatened. And then we have Superman coming and, you know, getting a little too physical with a guy, which this is going right back to the early comics. Superman was not a gentle person if somebody was 
Yeah, yeah superdickery.com. <laughs> Which is hilarious, if Superman, by the way. <laughs> if, if somebody is going too far in Superman's mind, he will crush their ribs. You know, he's not going to kill, but he will get too physical, and he's going to have that, that, that nasty side come out. Um, but the one thing I love in the scene is the guy who's playing the photographer, which Jimmy I wasn't Olsen. like fully paying attention. Yeah. Jimmy Olsen, <laughs> obviously, which he's really not Jimmy Olsen. I think there's an explanation that he took the identity of Jimmy Olsen. This, he's working for the CIA and he took the identity of Jimmy Olsen. So I he hope get so. In on because this. I, just, to chime in here, one thing that pisses me off about this film, as much as I love this, is that if that is meant to be Jimmy Olsen and they just get rid of him that quickly, it's like, fuck you. Don't do that to Jimmy Olsen. Like, come yeah. on. And, and this is why I believe it. it is just, oh, he took his identity for the CIA. And I think I even read that somewhere, like one of the uh, proper, uh, not, oh, this is a fan you know, theory, but it was like one of the proper, okay, this is you know, canon, maybe it was in the novel or something like that, uh, that he just took the identity. Because when you go back and watch Smallville, and there's two Smallville connections here, uh, one, Jimmy Olsen dies at the end of season eight of Smallville, uh, at the hands of Doomsday, no less. And I remember seeing that thinking, well, DC would never kill off a character. Like, they wouldn't let Smallville do this and kill her character. And then all of a sudden the funeral comes and they say, James Olsen. Yeah. Or, or, or what, what they call him. Like, something else James Olsen. Like, I remember that, yeah. uh, Eddie James Olsen. So, okay, it's not really Jimmy Olsen. They're not going to kill him off like that. But the other interesting thing here is that the actor who plays this role, Michael Cassidy, was on Smallville for season seven. He had a, a pretty substantial role playing Lex Luthor's cloned younger brother. Uh, it was a major role. He was on for, you know, at least probably close to a dozen episodes, half a season. Uh, and I remember seeing this and being like, hey, it's Lex's brother. No, he's Jimmy Olsen now. Just another way these weird castings, like having the Emil Hamilton from Smallville standing next to Emil Hamilton. Uh, I just like that. Well, my, my, but, my connection just randomly, I know we just did our Star Wars episode before this. Um, he played Zack on the OC. So there you go. The OC fandom yeah, shining I remember, through here. <laughs> I, 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 it's, I, like, I've watched the OC here and there, but I wasn't like a big fan of it. But every time something would come up, like uh, an actor like this is on Smallville. My brother who watched the OC, I'm like, who is this guy on the OC? He goes, oh yeah, he sucked on the OC. But, but <laughs> it's actually the connection, like- the, the funny connection that I brought up when that Star Wars one download now via the Oz Network was um, that the George Lucas role and actually Zach yeah. and <laughs> Seth were very, that was the whole reason why George Lucas Oh, so came. he was in that one. So it was kind of like Zach and Seth were working on a comic book and they were both fighting over Summer so they kind of had to decide who went to prom with Summer and who would go see George Lucas. So there you go. There's connection. Oh, Six soon. degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> random TV recaps on the Oz Network. Oh, I don't want to do a random one. I want to wait and do that properly. You believe me. Yeah. <laughs> I love the OC. Um, so, I mean, there's really only a couple other scenes to cover here. Uh, like the hearing scene I like and, and just little debates it brings up where you do have to really think about it. I'm not taking this movie so serious. Like, it really makes you think. But where Holly Hunter's talking about, you know, the difference between what he can do versus what you should do. Uh, we'll also talk about Lois in the bathtub, I guess. I mean, that's not too bad. Uh, not my Thank favorite Adams. Lois, but it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Adequate. Uh, Henry Cavill in the bathtub in the meantime. Uh, yeah, Henry Cavill. <laughs> but Jamie's getting close 18... to the TV screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is her standing in front, leaning in slowly. Uh, but yeah, we, we get like that Clark and Lois are a couple now and that, you know, they're living together in what looks like a very cold, dark apartment. Like my, one complaint about this movie is that I, I, I think certain scenes need to be dark but maybe brighten it up a little bit. And their, their apartment, I don't know if they even have a light bulb in their apartment. <laughs> it's just a small thing that bothered me. 
it just makes the water feel cold. So when they're jumping in there, I always shudder. Um, <laughs> but another debate there, like, you know, whether or not, you know, Clark is just saving her, like, uh, is, is there a cost to saving her life? And she's even saying, I'm thankful you saved my life, but there's, there could be a cost to it. So we could talk about all those opening scenes there, but if we want to just get the plot line out of the way about the whole Africa thing, because really after this is just a lot of small scenes that really don't need to be covered. And I guess Lois's whole investigation for this movie, you know, finding out that LexCorp is behind this and uh, something that I think played much better in the, the ultimate edition than it did in the theatrical cut. Now also correct me if I'm wrong, but not only are there extended scenes in the ultimate edition, but are there not also scenes that are edited in different orders if I'm not mistaken or. There might've been, I don't think I ever watched them close enough to know. So, well, I mean, I'll just say that there will be probably moments too, where I'm going to be talking about something where you're like, Ben, that's not in the theatrical version. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably stupid why we've watched two different versions, but again, not my fault. All right. I legally downloaded, I mean, legally downloaded it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I got. Um, it was great quality by the way. So I, I was happy with it. Um, like, yeah, I mean, kind of going back to what I was saying about how there are definitely plot holes or things that you can talk about. Like, again, it's not the perfect movie, like, as you said. Um, I mean, this Africa stuff, I think it sets it up well and kind of just, you know, I remember watching the first time, I'm like, what's this got to do with Superman? Like, what? And then it kind of obviously all plays into it. But, like, this is definitely a plot of convenience that Lex lays all these foundations for shit to happen. Because, again, this is like one of those ones which maybe this is where a lot of people nitpick at little things about how this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And, I mean, we, we're going to talk a lot about, like, that's that's movies in general, I feel. Like, 90% of movies you see are, are movies of convenience, you know, like where things have and to happen. And that's comic books, too. Exactly. So, I mean, like, <sighs> like yeah, you can nitpick about the fact that everything has to work perfectly in this Africa scenario for Superman to be forced to go in front of a Senate committee. Which, again, like, some of the stuff that happens, yeah, is a little bit outlandish. But, again, it's a comic book movie. Like, this is, I think, what thing people maybe get a little bit worked up on with these films is that it's, it's, it's maybe like the James Bond debate like I have. I may be a bit of a hypocrite here, but it's kind of like you're so used to what comic book films have always been that when you ground them and make them a bit realistic to still have elements of the, not campiness, but you know what I mean, like that comic book element of just over-the-topness, like... At the end of the day, we're watching a movie with an alien fighting another alien, a man dressed in a mechanic suit, and a woman with a whip who doesn't age. Like, how realistic are we watching here, folks? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still watching a comic book movie here. But, um, you know, again, convenience of the plot, but again, like, you can't get too lost in some of these things sometimes just because you're going to be doing your head in. I get why people do it. It's fair enough. But, like, at the same time, sometimes you just got to check your brain at the door. A la the die another day yeah. argument. Download double odd seven. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, all this African stuff, like, it's, it's, it's very well shot. Like, it's, you know, it's tense. It's, it's, like, it's very well done. Like, in the extended version, like, I like kind of the scenes we've got in the, in the bunker of, like, the, the military guys with the drone and that guy sticking his... Is that in the theatrical cut where he sticks his finger up at the drone as it flies past him? Um... And just no, kind of, I don't remember the the additional sequences where we sort of have like the the extra scenes of like the villagers and like the burning the bodies and so all this sort of stuff that Superman's getting the blame for because you know mm-hmm. Superman would be shooting people in the head and burning bodies you know because he needs to use guns it's not like he has weapons mm-hmm. of his own he's the Man of Steel, um, but I mean like like I like Lois Lane the character we've gone over that Amy Adams is eh you know she's she's okay. Yeah. But, like, again, like, overall in this film, like, 
I mean, like she's important to the plot. Like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I just she's not to me the most groundbreaking lowest performance ag- again ever. Yeah, and I agree with that. But the funny thing is, I think she's so much better in this one than Man of Steel. Uh, to the point, like in Man of Steel, I was just sort of like, you know, I liked everybody in Man of Steel, but I just don't think that Amy Adams worked. And I kind of had my complaints going into it. But with this one, like I really had no complaints at all. Like I thought she did a great job as Lois. Uh, and, you know, her plot does get cut a little bit, but we get to see her as a reporter in here. True. And I feel like she adds a little bit more, at least on a personal level, where you, know, you feel like at the end, you know, that it matters not this isn't her as a damsel in distress it's almost the opposite it's clark as a damsel in distress in it and i feel like she carries that well even if their chemistry isn't all there in this movie one thing i want to say though like obviously the daily planet is meant to be like the new york times of this world because like again mm-hmm. why is she being shipped off to africa why is she like getting a plane and go to washington like again i was a journalist for the mercury i went uh, that's the hobart newspaper hello to all the people listening in hobart i went on three trips my entire time as a Mercury journalist. Twice was for training, and once was to go to Sydney to do a, a review of a play that was coming to Hobart. And that was paid for by the theatre company. So, well, <laughs> news call. No offence. You, you, you also weren't uh, invited firsthand to be the only human to board a Kryptonian true, spaceship true. hovering so, the Earth. <laughs> that, that went to my colleague. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't that respected. But uh, even but even then, like, it's just, again, it's the Mercury where a shit newspaper, no one buys it. It's the only one in Tasmania, uh, whatever. But they're not that shit, they're okay. But, like, they gave me employment for two years. Shut up, Ben. Talk about the movie. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's no reason for people in Hobart to be flown places. We had a major story happen here. This car crash, a, a young mother died. She gave birth when she was dead. It was a big national story. It's very tragic. Uh, and rather than, because we're all a network, we're all on News Corp, we're all owned by Rupert Murdoch, um, rather than you know, the Melbourne and Sydney newspapers trusting us with our copy to send to the big national newspapers, they didn't trust Hobart journalists, so they flew Melbourne and Sydney journalists down to cover it for newspapers that are owned by the same company and should be sharing copy. So, <laughs> this is why I'm saying, like, I'm trying to get to a point where, like, Lois as a journalist for Daily Planet, a bit more of a bigger newspaper, they get to go to international places. Great. Um, I don't know where I'm going with so much maybe journalism. If you had, maybe if you had landed an interview with Osama bin Laden, they would have splurged for the jet for you to go interview him. Hey, you leave my friend Osama out of this, all right? That never got oh, published. Let's cut that one from the episode. You think it got cut? Uh, it didn't. Uh, I was lazy. Um, he's not my friend. I hate him. He's an asshole. He's dead. But so yeah, like I kind of was going over the Jimmy Olsen thing. I'm glad the kind of you point like made that as a theory because that i remember watching that in the cinema going they did not just kill jimmy olsen like fuck you like you know there are some characters that they just kind of blink and you miss and just kill like really jimmy olsen um i love and still not jenny yeah and not jenny like you killed jimmy olsen and not jenny like fuck you snyder um you know what's even sadder superman dies in this franchise before jenny does (laughs) Exactly. What the hell? <laughs> like, who is Jenny? Who cares? You know what? I think I'm starting to see everybody's complaint with this movie. Yeah, exactly. This movie sucks. <laughs> it, it's all about Jenny stealing the spotlight, as always. Fucking Jenny. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just a little note here. I, I, I tease a little tease. I mentioned him in, in our last episode. Um, Callum Mulvey, who is uh, the Russian dude here. What is it? Anatoly mm-hmm. Kinyadzev. 
Um, I remember as soon as like I actually saw the cinemas, I saw his name in the the credits. I'm like, oh, Callum Mulvey, and then kind of saw him. So he's Australian, and um, he he was actually in. Speaking of Sam Bin Laden, he was in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, but like he was kind of very esteemed here in Australia for a while. I think I mentioned like Underbelly and that to you before. Uh, he was kind of known uh, playing one of the Moran brothers in that. Then he was in this TV show here called Rush that was fairly popular. He was also in Home and Away, uh, the beloved Chris Hemsworth starting drama here in Australia. He actually, he was um, like this villain called Johnny Cooper for like a couple of seasons who was kind of like the big bad guy, like he was terrorising Summer Bay. So like he actually like from... Small Roots has gone on to big things. Not Chris Hemsworth big things, but I would argue that uh, Callum Mulvey is a hundred times better actor than Chris Hemsworth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what he shows in this movie alone is a hundred times better than what we see of Chris but Hemsworth. even if you, like, not that I would ever wish this upon you, Colin, but, like, if you would ever go back and watch Home and Away, like, even his character <laughs> in, a, in a cheesy Australian soap opera of, of this villainous character compared to... Chris Hemsworth, look at me, I'm sexy, I have no facial expression, let me take my shirt off. That's all that Chris Hemsworth was on Home and Away. So when he made it famous, I'm like, what? Chris Hemsworth is like the next big thing? Fuck off. Um, whereas, yeah, Callum Mulvey, great actor, love him, and I was so happy to see him like play a very prominent role in this film as well. He's great. Um, yeah, I just, the, the whole, the political thing, I completely agree with you. Like, it's kind of like sort of our point last movie we were talking about like how people complain about product placement you know oh this is you know sell out like i like that in a movie because it shows realism it's it's like when we see anderson cooper and you know we see neil degrasse tyson and you know john stewart people like this i love it kind of when they bring in these real life people playing themselves in a movie to show that this is in a world that we can kind of connect with i love that so like you know i love kind of because this is the thing about this movie and like as you said how would you react if this happened in real life and this is the thing that yeah as much as sometimes it's great to still have these campy, fun movies, I love these films when they do realistic things. And even, like, somebody as a James Bond fan who prefers the campier Bond films compared to the realistic ones, I can still appreciate how would James Bond be in a realistic world. So I can appreciate how would superheroes be in a realistic world. And this is exactly how it would be. You would have outspoken politicians talking about, is he a danger or not? Because, again, is he a danger or not? Like, Batman, yeah. Bruce Wayne, literally, when he says, like, if there's 1% chance of him that he could turn against us, he could destroy the world, and he could. So, I think it's a valid argument, a valid storyline to have in this film, to have this Senate committee. And it's kind of like how people complain about the prequels and Star Wars. But, oh, there's so much politics, there's so much talk and trade federation and boo-hoo-hoo. Like... It's got its place. Like, I don't see why people complain. Like, politics is part of life. Whether you like it or not, we live in a world, we live in society where this is what forms our daily life. Whether you like it or not, it's, it's what it is. So to kind of have this connected in a, in a world where, yeah, it's fantasy, but I, I like it. And again, to me, this is exactly what would happen in real life. And Holly Hunter, huge man crush on this woman. Like, it's, it's one of those weird, people that you man should crush what is she <laughs> it seemed like i'm a man and i have a crush i don't know where i was going with that i'm not saying holly honda's a man but like <laughs> a crush like she's one of those ones yeah. i think that you you're not meant to like she's not you know gal gado but like she's i don't know i've just loved holly hunter I and yet like as a woman like she was she looks better at 60 than she did oh, at 30 she's gorgeous she's yeah she's amazing uh, so, like, yeah, I, I've got, again, nothing really to complain about this. I mean, the bath scene, like, it's kind of... This is 18 months. Can I just point out, the 9-11 comparisons and sort of the rebuilding the reactions. 
Like, yeah, okay, I get it. But, like, let's be honest. It took them, what, 13 years, 12 years to rebuild the World Trade Center. Uh, they've mm. rebuilt most of Metropolis in 18 months. Okay, <laughs> sure. Well, uh, <laughs> they probably had Superman pitching in every once in a while. You want to hope so, because, I mean, that shit looks amazing. Um, but like, Can you I, imagine, though, like, like, they've got statues of this guy up. How, how much of super dickery would that be <laughs> if he tore apart half the city and he's just sitting there hovering above them as they're nailing all the new boards in and... <laughs> You know, all the all the screws and all the beams and everything, and he's just watching, saying, you missed a spot there, you know? <laughs> he's got to be there. Like, he if he's pulling ships through the ice or whatever, I sure hope that he's, like, raising a couple of towers up. I really want them to, like, go into full realistic wo- mode here and kind of, like... Because you can imagine, like, Superman would be such a tabloid, you know, Hollywood press and, like, TMZ, like, who's Superman hanging out with tonight? See 7 o'clock on TMZ. Like, you know, you could just imagine, like, Lois Lane would be a bit of a celebrity, wouldn't she? Like, you know, he's hooking up with Superman. (laughs) This is a bit of a side note here. I don't want to get too sidetracked. I think we're doing good with time so far. But in this, we never really see that Superman has really been viewed by anybody. I mean, there's uh, some news footage of him. But for the most part, I think even at the end of Man of Steel, there's one shot that... that, uh, it looks like a GIF that's being played backwards and forwards over and over again. It's it's really a blurry shot, yeah. and it kind of is like that Superman Returns scene where it's like, uh, I got this picture. What is that? A bird? Is a plane? You know? And it, meanwhile, it's Superman. You just can't tell. I get the impression, especially from the end of Man of Steel, where he's saying, "You're not going to find out where I'm going to hang my cape." You know, he's doing his job, and there's not a lot of pictures of him out there. Uh, so for him to even appear before the Senate, I mean, that's basically revealing himself, you know, that True. he's very standoffish in this world. It's a very good point. Like he doesn't have, you know, Clark Kent's a journalist at Daily Planet. He's not the Peter Parker photographer, you know, with uh, Jamison, mm-hmm. like going, you know, Kent, we need a photo. This is crap, crap, yeah. crap. What am I paying for? <laughs> crap. I'll give you 200 for this one. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> we need Perry White doing that. Like, Kent, we need a photo of Superman. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, which he could do. Like, I mean, you know. Um, but yeah, like, I, I like the fact that it's kind of 18 months later and obviously, you know, Lois and Clark are living together. They're having a nice little apartment. Your dingy little no-light apartment. I actually like their apartment. I, I like that scene when, like, it's raining. Like, I don't know, I love rain. I love gloomy weather. So it's kind of just, I'd be, I just, I was thinking to myself, seeing an apartment like that in New York or Metropolis going, oh, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, so we're, you know, like, naked Amy Adams. Like, you know when you see, like, a movie and, like, you see a woman in a bath or you see like a, a woman who's possibly naked, like growing up as a boy. I think you were a boy growing up. <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> don't know. It's 2017. Don't ask, don't tell. I love that you're saying that as if to, to enlighten me on something I wasn't familiar with. You know, Colin, as a boy growing up, I don't know what it was like for you. Well, again, you don't know what sex is. So I'm just trying to teach you. But like, you, yeah. you, like I mean, it's, it's this thing like as a, as a teenage boy growing up, like, oh, am I going to see a bit of nipple? Like, it's just a, it's just a reaction. So it's kind of like this scene, like, oh, are we going to like, I don't really care if I do or not. Like, I mean, it's like, no offense, Amy Adams, yeah. but like, it was Holly Hunter in the bath, maybe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Diane Lane, but like, um, <laughs> when it comes to Amy Adams, like, eh, I don't really care. Yeah, I think part of that is also just like, well, I'm not saying that's part of it. I mean, if you want to see a nipple, you want to see a nipple. But <laughs> I, part of, like, the lack of interest in the scene is that their chemistry is not all the way there. Yeah. And I'm not going to fault Henry Cavill and Amy Adams. 
you have to really sit down and watch these movies and realize how little screen time they have together for being Clark and Lois. You compare it to two movies, what they have together, and they are involved a lot in this as far as the story goes and all that. It's it's almost a deceptive thing. Like I've been saying with other things, it, it feels like they had more involvement than they really did because I think Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve had more screen time together in maybe the first two acts of Superman the movie than Amy Adams and Henry Cavill do in all of this. Now, having said that, I feel like Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot have more chemistry in two scenes than Henry right. Cavill and Amy Adams have in two movies. Ben Affleck and Randy and Girl in his bed has more chemistry. Yeah. And you can't say, you know, lack of acting experience either, because, I mean, Amy Adams has just as much as Ben Affleck. She's probably more acclaimed as an actress. And Gal Gadot has way less experience than Henry Cavill. I mean, that was one of the criticisms of her coming in. It's like, what has she acted in? Fast and Furious? What else, you know? Jeremy Irons and Ben Affleck have more chemistry. Um, there's a shipping <laughs> couple. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's kind of sweet, though. He comes home, like, he's, you know, tough old Superman coming home with a bag of groceries and a you know some flowers <laughs> and the way like he mm-hmm. picks off that flower like I-, I cannot imagine how you know horny jamie's in that scene i can't say it any other way let's be honest <laughs> like <laughs> he jumps in her on the bath and pulls his shirt off like one thing i have to say though like they pander a little bit to that audience of the you know let's look at how sexy our two leading men are with no shirt on because the two yeah. scenes we have with henry cavill with no shirt on they go over the top in zooming in on his body and then say oh, yeah. later on when we get Ben Affleck, who, let's be honest, who doesn't want to zoom in on that? Jesus Christ. Like, they zoom in so much on him. Um, but yet, when Amy Adams is in the bath, nah, we don't really care. And yet, have you also noticed they did the exact same thing in Suicide Squad? Yeah. Pretty much all the men in that movie. It was basically, DC is, let's pander to our female audience and let's show really, really buff guys without a shirt on. But then we get that fantastic Margot Robbie scene. Um, so yeah, I'm not complaining about that. Uh, so just okay, when I, I was asked looking him, for nipples too. Well, it's Margot Robbie, yes, please. Um, she was from Neighbours, not Home and Away, but still, it's Margot Robbie. She's amazing. Um, proud Australian actress there. But with um, so this is when I asked you about the orders of the film because um, I maybe you've just also gone over it because you're doing this order. I'm not trying to complain about your hosting style here. That sounds really mean. I'm not. I'm really not. Um, you do a better job than I do because you're on topic and you talk more about this movie in an hour than I would have. Um, but th- is this the bit where we get Batman branding that guy or is that what you're about to talk about? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cover that next so we get into Batman and Alfred and everything. But okay. if there's anything else you want to touch on on the Africa plot, like the only thing I want to touch on was something that's missing from the theatrical cut, which was one of the best little scenes that like if you just watch the scene on its own if you were to watch this as a deleted scene feature you're like well that was kind of pointless you watch in the context of the movie you're like that adds so much more is this this woman who's testifying before the senate yeah, yeah you know yeah. Uh, that that you realize okay well first if it, it plays really well in the theatrical cut because that's the way somebody would respond you know if some american came up here and destroyed you know uh, a couple of winnipeg terrorists we'd be upset that an american superhero <laughs> was taking out our terrorists you know but when you find out that there's a scene where not only is she being manipulated by luther but like she's even like assassinated throughout the movie like it, it adds so a lot to the movie. style just like shoved in front of a train yeah, yeah I, like, exactly i completely yeah that was that whole storyline just not in the theatrical cut isn't it this um this mm-hmm. this this african woman who um i mean she's a great actress i don't know who she is i don't have a name in front of me but um yeah i, li- I like that kind of storyline and like yeah that the senate sort of hearing with her there that we see a little bit more of and um you know that's kind of what a reveal that she's paid off isn't she uh kind of 
by the Luther losers to 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 set up Superman. So um, yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, the only thing I was going to say is the reason why I was jumping ahead to that Batman one because I know there was the added scene with the cops watching the football between Metropolis and Gotham, which I love. I just love. I don't know if you remember this either, but. that was the first scene filmed in the movie when they announced in, what was it, June or July of 2013 that Batman versus Superman was being made. It was like August or September when they filmed the first scene. I remember thinking, are they filming the whole movie now? But it was a football game they were filming, which never made the movie. Which so is that was um, uh... filmed months ahead of when actual filming began. Because I, I remember when Dark Knight Rises came out, like that trailer of the uh, the Gotham City, like the, the yeah. player running through the stadium and it all collapses around him. Like that was just kind of, everybody was going crazy over that. But I just like, because I think we get, obviously Clark's storyline about, you know, you're on sport, which again, I'll have conversations <laughs> about when it comes to just how ridiculous that is in the newspaper world. But um, I just love the fact that we get this scene. And again, stop me if I'm jumping ahead, or I don't know if you go to this point, but just these cops in the Ultimate Edition just sitting there watching this football game. They're getting, like, called over the system, like, guys, guys, we're going to turn four, we're going to turn four. And they're just, like, ignoring it, watching this football game. Metropolis are just, like, kicking ass, and they're, like, 62 up. Um, Gotham are getting murdered, and then the commentator, oh, yes, and we've got to obviously keep an eye out for those football fans in Gotham tonight because we know how bad they are when their team loses. Uh, it's kind of like, I love how Gotham is just painted out. I guess it kind of is. This is how it's always portrayed, isn't it? It's like this cesspool of crime and don't yeah. go out after night and just, I mean, again, that's what Gotham is. But, again, knowing that Gotham and Metropolis just share a lake, like, how does, how does Metropolis escape this crime wave? Do they have, like, good borders on the bridge or something like that? And why Why is it Metropolis State? Is is Metropolis the city in a state called Metropolis? Like, I don't understand that. Like, maybe that's yeah, just a well, little I mean, nitpick. They, they don't identify the state the same as they don't want to do for Gotham because it's a fictional city and you don't want to ge- geographically place it somewhere. Sure. You know. But so maybe there is a state in this world. It's like, you know, New York City, New York State. Maybe it's Metropolis City, Metropolis yeah. State. So I, I just kind of... But, like, I, I love how they still also go for the fact that, I mean, we all know college football is a big deal in America. But, like, why, why can't this be a pro team with each other? Why does it still have to be college? But um, I don't know. I just love random cops watching... And this goes into sort of the real world things that I like. You know, they would be watching sport. Of course they would be. And obviously there's a huge rivalry between Metropolis and Gotham, which obviously plays into this film, doesn't it? You know, kind of Bruce Wayne's little, Mm -hmm. you know, talking down on Metropolis and kind of, you know, Perry, stop going over to Gotham and chasing the the Gotham bat. And I just, I also like, that's one thing I really do like in this film, just while we're here on the topic of just the the Gotham-Metropolis rivalry that's kind of spread throughout this film. Um, We'll talk about the you know, bat branding scene now, I guess, because the next group of scenes, I will just introduce Alfred. And again, it's, it's not that I don't want to talk about these individual scenes, just these individual scenes all go by so quickly and you kind of have to look at it as a whole. So it doesn't really make sense to talk about individual scenes, but yet we can talk about these characters, you know, when Alfred's introduced, well, first there's the Batman thing where, you know, there's the, the, Asian uh, slaves or whatever. I don't think they're slaves, but what Are would that be? Human slaves? trafficking or something? Aren't they like, isn't it like explained a little bit? I mean, over the that, ultimate yeah, edition. That or, like, it's like the human, guy yeah, they brand. Yeah, he's like, he's a sex trafficker or something. So I think they are yeah. like sex slaves. But you see like the brutality of Batman here and, and it's all in context. Uh, there's so many smart things with the writing of this movie. And if people want to criticize some of the acting, they could do that. If people want to criticize some of Zack Snyder's direction, you can do that. But you can't knock the dialogue in this movie. The dialogue in this movie is fantastic, particularly the dialogue that Lex has and the dialogue that uh, Ben Affleck gets in this movie. 
Uh, and there's so many things that will make sense later on with, you know, why he's branding these people now. Um, it's almost like, you know, if you brand somebody rapist and then send them into a prison, well, they're going to get murdered in there, you know, yeah. uh, or, or child molester or something like that. I mean, that's kind of the idea is like you're in there, you're banded by the Batman. This is not going to be good for you. Um, Alfred, this is what I really want to talk about here. So we get introduced to Alfred. There's little things that are thrown in here, which we'll talk about in a bit, but Jeremy Irons is Alfred. It, it's it's weird because this is one of those ones that people were kind of divided on. Like, I don't think there's anybody who dislikes Jeremy Irons, but I did hear a lot of people when this came out who were like, I like Jeremy Irons, but I don't think he could be Alfred. He's not sophisticated enough. And then I think what happened is, I'm not saying this is the reason why, but the Gotham TV show came out and the guy who plays Alfred in the Gotham show, he gets a lot of praise too. Um, who, who is it that plays him on there? Uh, Pertwee? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's not, I can't remember his name. It's Sean Pertwee, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. he's good. And He's very good as Alfred, but it's a completely different role. And that almost prepared people for Jeremy Irons as Alfred because he's just this this tough, nasty Alfred. And here we're not getting Michael Caine. I mean, people have to remember Michael Caine was not normal for Alfred. He wasn't like this sophisticated butler. He's kind of like unsophisticated and just intelligent. But Jeremy Irons, he plays it so differently in this movie where he's he's like the father who just wants his son to move out of his basement combined with the father who just wants grandkids already so his son can settle down and he knows they're never going to get that and he he's bored with this life it, it it's it, he doesn't want to be batman anymore and this isn't like michael kane where he's telling him you don't need to be batman it's not serious conversation it's almost like he's given up on ben affleck at this point and it's like a joke between them yeah um i also love like my alternate opening line was definitely funnel fairy bubble bar uh <laughs> Portal fairy bubble ball, portal fairy bubble ball. Even the way he's doing that, he's testing this to find out if there's, anything. there's nothing wrong with the voice thing. Like he wants to throw it down. He's just so bored of being, you know, Butler to Bruce Wayne here. A uh, little bit of talk with the the Russians and you know the theory that this white Portuguese, uh, whatever the white Portuguese is, is bringing this dirty bomb into Gotham, and that's kind of sets up the plot. Uh, th- there's going to be a few more scenes about this, so we can kind of group that in here if you want, talking about sure. the Russian plot. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your Australian hero there, uh, who's very good in this movie. I feel like that's another thing that the Russians kind of get. I don't remember how much extra there was with the Russians or the white Portuguese plot in the Ultimate Edition because it's been a few months. Uh, was there more in there? Uh, again, it's, uh, it's to compare it to kind of the theatrical one because it's, you know, been a while since I've seen that one, but yeah, I mean, there was. A, I felt there was a lot more, like, kind of. He felt more of a an important character, and I remember kind of seeing the, the theatrical one, just sort of with him. That yeah, he's there, but kind of you know when he ultimately dies on sort of stuff, you're not feeling too much there. But I think kind of judging on what I've seen and read, kind of just before we recorded this com- to compare the two, I think it's just extended scenes here and there. I think there's a scene literally with 12 seconds extra of him walking into a room. Um, so I mean, little things like that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, like watching this three-hour version, he's he feels like a you know a main person that you've got to pay interest to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and it's it's a good plot, but I, maybe people complain because these things get lost in it, uh, or maybe they're complaining because they feel it's unnecessary. But I like this because it's real world and it's tying into like Lex would not have the power, and this is really the setup for Lex's introduction here. Uh, and I know you're going to have a lot of shots at Jesse Eisenberg in here. There are moments, I mentioned this in Man of Steel, where I think Jesse Eisenberg works perfectly and he's incredibly entertaining. And there's other moments where it's just like, uh, don't really get it. 
Um, his casting was controversial as well. Another one that I think I was a big defender of because there was so many rumors that Brian Cranston was going to play Lex Luthor, which really were just rumors. Like he even admitted himself he was never in talks to do this movie because they always had a different vision of who Lex was. And it's funny because Jesse Eisenberg is another one of these actors like Ben Affleck who was really high at the moment. Like people love Jesse Eisenberg and they just for whatever reason didn't love him as Lex Luthor. But it's a different spin on the character. It's very Mark Zuckerberg spin. Uh, obviously the reason that Jesse Eisenberg was cast. This is kind of your modern billionaire. I mean, are there a lot of people in today's day and age who are making it? Yeah, you might have your Donald Trump's, your Richard Branson's out there, but like they made their millions decades ago. In today's day and age, the people making their billions are guys who are 30 years old or under. So it makes sense to have a young Lex Luthor. And I feel like it also adds this obnoxiousness to him that when Gene Hackman's obnoxious, you want to laugh and you like him. When Jesse Eisenberg's obnoxious, you hate him. And you kind of have to hate the villain. So some of the complaints people have, I agree with, but I also think it's important why it's there. This opening scene, though, it sets up his character well, even if the performance is not all there. Like, there's weird things like where he's feeding the candy to that senator. And I'm like, why is he insisting on shoving this candy in this man's mouth? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I just... Uh, don't get me started. Yeah. Uh. I mean, there's a better scene to come with Holly Hunter, which I'll save for that one. But I still love this idea that for Lex to get what he wants, you know, everybody makes fun of how convoluted this plot is. And even Honest Trailer does this rundown of all the things Lex would have to do to make <laughs> this work. That is funny. That is quite it, funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> but this is how you tie a comic into real world. Because if you watch the Honest Trailer for Civil War... They take just as many shots, and they I think they even have a moment there where they say, you know, if Marvel fans were willing to admit the same faults, they'd realize that Civil War is just as messed up as Batman versus Superman is. Mm. Uh, but the fact is, for him to get this to work, he would need to have ties to the mob. He would need to have, you know, senators. And I just love these little details. If, if you know, you mentioned, like, people saying there's so much politics in the prequels. I like the politics in the prequels because it reminds me that that world can be like our world. Yeah. And even if it's not as entertaining as watching, you know, Batman swing Superman through the air, you know, on a hook, uh, it still has this place in the movie. And so the idea that, you know, he, we don't know what he's up to, but he wants something with these, you know, Kryptonian rocks. He wants them to be approved. There's politics behind that. You can't just be like well, let me just bring it over from my corporation. Even if LexCorp discovered it in the Indian Ocean, they wouldn't be able to get it, you know, past customs is easily that. Well, I feel we explained, um, like, like in the Spider-Man, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think, like, kind of, like, there was a lot of things that we joked in the Spider-Man once, wasn't it? Like, oh, would this be allowed? Yeah. Would this be, like, I mean, that's kind of, you. I'm sure if we ever one day go back and do the original Batman films, the original Superman films, we're probably going to be doing this. Like, oh, would this be accepted? Yeah. Like, can he just willingly do this? Like, and that's kind of, okay, it's fun to nitpick at them and stuff like that. But, like, at the end of the day, like, you're going to legitimately think about these things. I always yeah. do. So, like, I like it in a film where we are getting that grounded realism. Like, as you said, like, the Star Wars, that's a perfect way of saying it. Like, this kind of is happening in a world that's kind of similar to ours and stuff like that, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, and other things, like, he needs the permission to access the ship. And you know he has this ultimate plan, but you don't know what it is yet. Um this opening scene with him playing basketball, I mean, it's kind of a weird way for Lex Luthor to be introduced. I get where they're going with the character. What I like about Lex, though, it's not these scenes where he's kind of the quirky billionaire, which I think Gene Hackman played better. But as I said, that's part of the problem. People really liked Gene Hackman or even Kevin Spacey as this fun oh. billionaire. And you're not supposed to love Lex Luthor. You're supposed to hate him. 
And, and when you're in a movie like this where your two heroes are so dark and so depressing that you don't know if you even want to root for them, to have a Lex Luthor that's fun and jovial and a Brian Cranston type playing it is not going to work. So I think that Jesse Eisenberg has his place. Um, but the best scenes to him will come, you know, especially with the Holly Hunter one. Uh, we'll kind of cap it off there with the candy feeding scene. Uh, <laughs> I, I will defend about you know why Lex Luthor's plot works in this movie, even if his performance doesn't always. And also, cool that he mentions Lionel in here. I mean, it's not mentioned by name, but there's a lot of references to his dad here, which I think is cool. I'll get to Lex. Um, I mean, yeah, the the the, <laughs> the just the opening bit with Batman, kind of with the cops and that. It's just it's amazing. I mean, all the the Batman standalone scenes that we get are just incredible. And I think even a lot of the critics of this film will agree that, like, particularly the one at the end when he eventually fights with the Russians and all that sort of stuff when he saves Martha. Martha! Um, you know, it's <laughs> it's just so well done. And, like, just that shot of him kind of in the corner when he's, at, when he's like, yeah. hovering over the cop. Just, oh, it's so good. And just, I love the way that, like, the cop's like, I saw him! I've never seen him before, but I saw him! Um, and just the other cop. Even like, he's like, good at hiding his identity. Yeah, yeah. It's just, oh, it's, it's so good. But, like, you know, this whole branding him thing, which is a little weird. Like, why is he branding him? Like, is he connected to Lex here? Because he's basically branding people to get them killed in jail? Like, or is this just yeah, Lex well, exploiting this? I don't understand no, that. I also think, like, for me, I view it more as... This is showing how dark Batman's become, and the scenes will come up later on. I'll mention it. I'll, I'll call back to this, but it's just how much more vicious is he now, and how jaded is he? I'll, I'll spoil it now. There's a line coming up, you know, where I won't spoil the whole line, but a line coming up where he's talking about, you know, uh, after 20 years, how much can you really accomplish with, you know, these bad people, and how the only real purpose he could have is to take out something bigger because you're never going to replace criminals are like weeds is the line he has yeah. later on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of going back to my point with how I just love Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman here, because I mean, this is really the first time we've ever seen, at least in film or TV kind of, you know, going back to what you like sort of an age Batman. He's been doing this for a long yeah. time. So like, of course he's going to have this viewpoint, like exactly like, as you said, like, weeds like you know they keep coming every time you you get them you know and this is why like now he's like oh well this is about the end of the world it's not just about like the joker or like i mean because you know we kind of have these little tines and that when he'll say like oh you know you're nothing we've had clowns in gotham before and like great lines like that Mm -hmm. but like this is where like jeremy irons like works so well as well because it's kind of interesting like i i didn't necessarily see the the criticism or the complaints about his casting i probably sort of avoided that when all it was released but, like, I've never had a problem with him as, as Alfred. I mean, Jeremy Irons is amazing. Jeremy Irons is fucking Scar. Oh, so like, good. I mean, God, who doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, unless, I know he's more than just Scar. But, like... <laughs> you know, what was, what's his, um, the Gruber's brother in Die Hard with a Vengeance? Like, underrated... Oh, yeah, Gruber. Die, yeah. Underrated Die Hard film. Um, mm-hmm. But just so many things that he's in. Like, God damn it, he's just amazing. But, like, this is the thing that is great, as you were saying, like... Bruce Wayne and Batman's been doing this for years. Of course, like, Alfred's been doing this for years. I mean, he's just, they're so good together. And, like, I think there is kind of, like, an underlying joke that these two are maybe a gay couple. But, like, I mean, it doesn't, like, no. Like, it's there's just this great little bromance between the two because, you know, the fathery figure. And it, it almost doesn't feel like a father figure anymore, does it? Like, it just feels like they're just two good friends. They're old buddies. They've seen it all and all this sort of stuff. 
And I just love their sort of backwards and forth and the way they are and just kind of just, it's just so good. And this is kind of like the development of these characters. Like, you know, people are like, oh, Alfred's the, the snooty sort of British guy who takes care of him. You know, what, who was, what was the name of, um, the actor who played him in like the, uh, Michael Goff? Uh, yeah. you know, who obviously played the original one. You know, great, we love Michael Goff. Of course we did. The first, you know, it's like people like Michael Keaton, people like Val Kilmer. I'm sure one person likes George Clooney. I don't know who, but they're out there. <laughs> and then, like, Michael Caine. Like, Michael Caine's kind of like the middle ground in between the two, isn't he? Like, you know, he's... Michael Caine's a bit of a tough guy. Like, in, you know, obviously he's played lots of tough guy roles in movies over the years, but he's also, you know, kind of a fatherly figure looking out for him. And then you've kind of transitioned into Jeremy Irons, who I think is is great. Um, so I, I don't get any, though, the criticism of that with Jeremy Irons. I think he's a fantastic choice for him. Um, and it just kind of works in this new sort of version of Batman. And I just, yeah, I love these scenes where they're setting it up, like, sort of, you know, with the voice box there and just kind of all these things. And what does he say? Like, oh, I need the suit tonight. Or I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here when he's all like, oh, you know, Bruce Wayne doesn't break into Lexical. I think I'm ju- jumping ahead. Um, yeah. No, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I just I just kind of just love all that sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, the... Oh, so we're to Lex Luthor now, aren't we? Um, hmm. Yeah. Candy. Um, look, I, no- I like Jesse Eisenberg. I, I, it's nothing personally. I, I, I think he's a fantastic actor. He really is an amazing actor. And I actually am a huge fan of Jesse Eisenberg. And I was kind of excited to see how he would be because Lex Luthor, like, everybody goes crazy about the joke. Like, everyone's like, oh, the joke. I love the joke. And, like, I think we've gone over this before that Batman really does have the best villains in comic book movies. Yeah. Uh, and comic books, I shouldn't just say movies. Um, and, you know, we talked about maybe the problem with, like, the Spider-Man films is that, like, and the Marvel films in general, is that they don't have the iconic villains like DC does. Um, and I'm a I'm a massive, massive Lex Luthor fan. Like, he's my favouritest villain. I love Lex Luthor more than I love yeah. the Joker. You know, I just, I just, to me, he's the ultimate bad guy. I love the fuck out of Lex Luthor because he's, like, he's... He's this billion, like, he's not like a, you know, he's just kind of like a normal person who's just gone crazy. He's, he's bold and he's just, just, he's, he's a, he's eccentric. Like, to me, he's mm-hmm. kind of charismatic, he's eccentric, he's crazy, he's evil. All these qualities of him, like Gene Hackman, amazing. You know, I'm a huge Kevin Spacey fan. And I just fucking love Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. I think it just sums up so much of just how amazing. Like Kevin Spacey is, and just that character. This perfect, perfect casting is Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. And again, like I was like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg, yeah, that's probably right. He could do well. My problem just is, is that like he just takes Lex Luthor away from what I perceive Lex Luthor is. Like I have nothing against him being younger. I have nothing against him kind of, you know, having sort of a different approach to that side of him being a billionaire. My approach, he said, he just comes across as nothing more than just a whack job loony who is talking to himself and is clearly mentally, like, I'm not saying Lex Luthor isn't mentally deranged, but to an extent that, like, he doesn't really have any support or backup in this film. Like, sure, he's bought people off and he's created this elaborate plan, but you think about, like, Gene Hackman, you think about Kevin Space, they've got, like, their lynchmen on the side that kind of are their, like, little posse, and that kind of they, they appreciate that. And just he just he completely isolates himself from everyone in this film with just how whack job he is. And just he's over the top. Like, the way he's like, <clears throat> like, just, it, just yeah. it really... Some of those things... Great on you. It just, it's shitty. Like, it gives me the shits. And, like, like there's kind of the lo- ongoing uh, sort of opinion that he's playing the Joker. And to me, it kind of, I'm on that page. Like, 
I almost would like to see him more as a Joker than Jared Leto. <laughs> and, like, I mean, you know, that's maybe a topic for Suicide Squad, but... I don't know. I just there's just so much about him that just gives me the 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 G winkies in this film. It just <laughs> it just I'm not and I'm not saying there are some scenes that I love like the, some of these sequences with Holly Hunter that are fantastic. Um mm-hmm. and like the the scene on the roof with Superman, like I think it's done well. Um you know, and just even that introduction when it's like Clark Kent meets Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Like just, I love that, but just I don't know. It just he just to me is the the one negative thing that I can say about this film. I am on completely on the page of him being miscast as Lex Luthor. Oh well, his betrayal. I shouldn't say miscast. Just the way he portrays Lex Luthor. Um, the next thing to really talk about is uh, I mean the next major scene we'll get to will be the Holly Hunter one, but before then, a few of the other ones like the minor scenes we see here. Uh, obviously, Keith, who's the first time we're seeing him since the building fell on him, and he just decides <laughs> to climb this statue, which we don't really weird. understand the why. The building he's fell on him, and he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you legless man, get off that statue! Like, hey, Stumpy, <laughs> 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 Lieutenant but, Dan, uh, you got new legs. <laughs> But, like, can you remember when the trailer first came out? Yeah. And it it was that one shot which really stood out, which is, you know, the reveal of how he desecrated the statue of the false god. False god. And yeah. I remember when the trailer came out, and just seeing that, it was another one of these moments that I get a lot with the DC movies, which is what I like about them, where they relate it so much to reality in a way you wouldn't expect them to, you know? Uh, so to see that, I remember thinking, well, Batman versus Superman – oh, we didn't really find out how the world responded, but you're so accustomed now to, well, the world's going to love Superman, that when the trailer showed that, I just remember thinking, like, well, this movie's going to be in a totally different direction than I thought, and I love it. And I do like they go in that direction, but they don't overdo it. It's it's a debate. This entire movie is a debate on the purpose of Superman and everything. Um, so if we want, we can talk on Keith. It's funny, I keep saying, let's just group all these things together because there's not much more to come. This is kind of his one big scene other than the fact that we find out Lex is manipulating him too. It's a minor character, but I like that they included him in here because it's it's just important. Even if you are of the opinion that the Star Wars prequels have too much politics, having a little bit of politics in this, I think it really helps the movie. And it's it's giving you a different perspective, especially coming from Man of Steel, where we had no perspective of Clark's. It's showing us something different. Um, the uh, uh, The thing with Kent on sports, I'm interested to see why you're so... Uh, heated about that uh, but seeing a little bit more of the journalism like you said so much journalism I like this I kind of missed not having the Daily Planet Man of Steel uh, even in Superman Returns I, those little scenes with you know him working on a story are fun uh, the fact is he's still low man on the totem pole he's 18 months in and this is where the I feel like there's better chemistry between Lawrence Fishburne and Henry Cavill than there is Amy Adams and Henry Cavill <laughs> so again this is no knock on the actor's talents they all have great chemistry with somebody. But Lawrence Fishburne's so much better in this movie Agreed. than he was the first time around. And perfect example is just the, the little joke he had where Clark's trying to pitch him on, you know, the, the bat vigilante. And this just, it comes out of nowhere. Like, if Batman's been around for 20 years, and yeah, we know people have said, oh, I've never even seen him before. So he's, uh, not that he's just a rumor or a legend or whatever, but he's good at hiding his persona too. Clark had to have been familiar with him. So why all of a sudden would he just take this huge interest in the, what about the Bat guy? And 
How does he not know who Bruce Wayne is? I mean, he hasn't yeah. been gone for 20 years. He's he's alive. <laughs> he knows who he is. But when he is insisting on doing this in Perry West, like, crime wave sweeps Gotham. In other news, water <laughs> is wet. <laughs> Perry's a bit of a dick in this movie, but he's a good dick. Yes, like... but, yeah, I'm sure that you've had bosses like that. Right? Oh, yeah. I think everybody's had a boss. <laughs> my favorite boss was one like that, uh, or one of my favorite bosses. Uh, but yeah, he, he sticks him on the sports story too, uh, which is just funny that that's what... Uh, Lombard's supposed to be covering. That's what Doug Stamper from the first movie is supposed to be covering. Where is, where is so he? He, <laughs> he? I, I don't know. I mean, he, he must be in this movie because Clark's doing his job all of a sudden. And is he going to come back and do Clark's job now that Clark's dead, as we find out at the end? Um, major thing to talk about here, uh, I guess a couple of scenes, the big one being the Lex and Holly Hunter scene. Her name isn't Holly Hunter, but we, we've established yeah. this. Big stars get their real names. Yeah, except for like Adams. Yeah. When there's an Adam yeah, exactly. Amy, Amy Adams. You're not a big star, uh. Adam. <laughs> yeah. Or your plain Amy Adams. Uh, we find out this is Lionel's room, his favorite room. This scene is amazing. And this is where Jesse Eisenberg's work perfectly as Lex. And anybody who has a complaint with Lex, I will personally go back and re-edit this movie and take out all of his quirky, funny things and just leave you with the sinister Lex. And I would dare anybody to tell me if you just saw sinister Lex that you have any complaint. Because... The way he plays this scene, even just that line, the red capes are coming, right? I love that red capes are coming line and just the body language he has where it's almost like uh, a little bit flirty with Holly Hunter, but like, you know, <laughs> flirty like I'm going to kill you. Like We don't flirt. We don't, we, we don't flirt with Holly. Come on. Yeah, but this is like, you know, uh, we hate each other, but let's just, you know, let's, She's let's just out. put it out there. She's like yeah. so creeped out by this guy. And he plays creepy well in here. And this is what I was saying where even the the parts where he doesn't work, it's important because you hate him as a villain. And we're living in a different day and age from 1938 when comics were created when any villain you were supposed to hate. I mean, Darth Vader is basically that. Change that. Try to find a villain that existed before 1977 that was loved by audiences. You're always supposed to hate the villain. Hitler was loved by audiences? What? Germans were forced to love him. So, I mean, you know. Um. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> Never thought that we'd be agreeing on the love for Hitler. Uh, well, I mean, at least one country had to. Otherwise, you know, you will die. Like, I mean, it kind of had to. <laughs> it's like Hitler saying Kim Jong-un. I mean, he's loved in North Korea. They have to. Yeah. <laughs> My point being is that you need to hate Lex. And yeah. I love the scene with uh, Holly Hunter there. Uh, he's sinister in that scene. He's obnoxious. Uh, he is creepy. It all works. I mean, the music too. Oh. Like we'll probably talk about Hans Zimmer's score for this. I mean, Hans Zimmer slash Junkie XL. But just that <laughs> weird string arrangement for Lex. Like it's so unsettling. It's just it's fantastic. It's probably my favorite piece of music they have in here is Lex's theme. And the da dun dun. Oh, just that that whole yeah. That's the one that I was talking about last episode. That doom yeah. doom doom. Like, yeah. oh, God, so it's good, amazing. Uh, a couple of scenes here, like the first dream sequence of Batman has. Now, these things do feel out of place. Uh, and I feel like it's only now that I'm starting to see the trailers for Justice League where I'm accepting these. Because even when I had seen this, you know, five, six times, I would watch these dream sequences and be like, ah, I don't quite know where this belongs in the movie. And you get that they're setting something up. And I'm not saying that it's it it didn't work as a setup. It does. But... It's just, I don't know why we're watching Bruce Wayne have dreams. <laughs> and these dreams don't necessarily all make sense at this point. 
Uh, and they probably won't until Just Sleep comes out. When he wakes up and there's the random girl there, you're wondering, is that Katie Holmes, Maggie Gyllenhaal, or Marion Cotillard? Like, who's he in bed with right there? Uh, it's Jennifer Lopez. Uh, it's Jennifer Taylor. Lopez. <laughs> oh, no. Now I get why you It's probably just, it's probably just Jennifer like Garner. Like, I mean, you know, he, he yes. owned two different Jennifers in the 2000s. So, I mean, you know, like... He's got a type. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um... And then just when he wakes up, there's the fun, another one of these Alfred scenes where Alfred's just, and the fact that Jeremy Irons plays it like he's bored, he's not like taking shots at him, you know, the next generation of Waynes, I hope that they'll inherit more than an empty wine cellar. He's saying it almost with disdain. It was yeah. not that there will be a next generation of Waynes. I love that. <laughs> so do I. Uh, we'll cut it off before we get to Lex's party here. But yeah, this is the scene where we find out that, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne can't, steal this from lex luther is like well you know batman doesn't have to bruce wayne's been invited uh there's that scene when they're in the bat cellar and he's really talking about you know why i think this is one where he's no it's not yet where he's talking about his hatred of batman but we get the reveal of the robin outfit and it's paint on their jokes on you batman which the only thing i really want to talk about this is that this caused so many people when suicide squad came out and i'm sure you heard this this rumor that the joker was going to be robin um, the idea of this is that in the comics, uh, the second Robin, Jason Todd, was killed by the Joker, and this is kind of a nod to that. But people took it as the other line that comes up later on in the other scene I was confusing this with, where he says, you know, uh, how many good men have there been in 20 years and how many of them stayed that way is implying that Robin becomes the Joker, which is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but still, it's so cool to see that Robin uniform in there and there's the painting, little nods about the Joker obviously there was the mention later on with the clowns and everything um it's just everything with batman works so well here and it's funny that you know the honest trailer mentioned this and about how you never were going to live up to the expectations i feel this movie works as a superman sequel but especially these scenes here they really allow it to work as a batman reboot as well i mean you could have i would love to have somebody go out there and edit these movies and take out the scenes play it just from Bruce Wayne's perspective and then have another cut that plays just from Clark Kent's perspective and view it either as Batman, the new origin or man of steel two. And I, I think that both of those movies would really work. Yeah. No, I'd like to see that too. And I mean, I, I just, I mean, the sort of references, I mean, it's no different to what we're saying in man of steel, how you see a Lex Corp truck or you see the Wayne industry satellite. Oh, you know, exciting Easter egg. Like, I mean, it's kind of, you see, just seeing that the Joker sort of in the Robin suit, like it's just amazing. Just his line with the Joker. And then later on you get that Riddler logo, which was in like the, the building that he's going through as well. Just like little subtle things. And it's kind of, you know, like going into the dream sequences, like I, I never kind of was one of these ones that complained about it because to me, it's like, well, they're just setting something up. We're going to see that again. You know what I mean? And it's kind of going on like the photo that we see of, of Wonder Woman and just kind of like how I said that seeing Wonder Woman makes this kind of better because, you know, it ties into it. So like in five years time when we've seen, you know, Justice League, Justice League 2, a cyborg film, an Aquaman film, you know, a Flash film, you know, all these sort of things that are going to tie into this. I, I feel that this is going to hold up even more, if you know what I mean, and all these kind of things that we will, we will have. So, um, yeah, I just I just love these sort of little things. It's kind of like what we obviously had in the Amazing Spider-Man two trying to do, um, but it obviously didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, just going back with the one thing actually I wanted to add quickly that I forgot with the Lex Luthor scene when he's got the whole cherry thing, the cherry lolly, whatever the fuck it is. But when he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's asking for like, oh, what do you want from this? Access to the ship, the complete remains of Zod. They just can. Comp- they say yes. Like why? <laughs> like, 
Why, why do they give him access? Like, this is, is this ever, like, I don't, I love this movie, but like, is that ever explained? Like, sure, you can have access well, to this top secret government. Like, does somebody in real life go, I want access to Area 51 and the alien bodies? Sure. <laughs> but, but this is why I think it's important the scene is, and this isn't something that the Ultimate Edition explains more on, but I think it's something that if you're really applying logic, it makes sense. And Ben's not a logical person, so I'll no, explain it to you, Ben. I'm dumb. Um, why is he going to this senator to talk about it and not going to Holly Hunter? You know, she's the one who would be the, the tough nut to crack. Uh, this guy is, he's just, he's, he's kind of setting the stage. He wants these things, but it's all about this deterrent. You know, what can this rock do? We need to protect ourselves against Superman. And you've watched House of Cards. I've watched House of Cards. The way it goes is that it, there, there's lobbyists and Lex is working yeah. as a lobbyist right now. He's going to somebody he knows will say yes, so we can get some support. And then the last nut he has to crack is Holly Hunter. So, yeah, I mean, there will be people who will be saying, yeah, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, but you're not going to get everything. Lex is being a, a Washington lobbyist here. He, the senator looks so much like um, the the very first X-Men movie. Is he a senator? Oh, or... uh, yeah, you're talking about, uh, oh, what's his name? You know uh, what I'm talking about. Oh. Yeah, he's such a good actor. Uh, I'm going to have to find it now. But um, it's not like... I feel embarrassed for forgetting his name. Now, according to... I'm just reading here. There's a real-life senator who makes a... Who, Bruce Davison. Bruce Davison. Well, it's not him, is it? I'm guessing. Who? So, is this no. guy who gets fed the candy, is this Senator Purrington? Because if it is, this is actually played by a real-life U.S. senator. So, I don't know if this is the uh, same guy. Patrick Lahehehehe. Patrick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right one. How do you spell his name? I'll look it up. Uh, L-E-A-H-Y. Lehi. Lee Lahi. Lahi, Lahi, Lahi. Oh, Lahi, yeah, Lahi. Okay, yeah, that too. No, uh, this this is not him. No. Okay, well, apparently he's actually appeared in lots of Batman movies. According to this, there's a photo of him with uh, Heath Ledger in uh, Dark Knight. So there you go. He's a bit of a hidden actor. Anyway, um, but moving forward, <laughs> just a side note: second shirtless Henry Cavill scene, cooking eggs. Um, which again, <laughs> pay attention to the eggs; they're not that real. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it took, let's, let's all be honest. Nobody was sitting there as much as we could nitpick. Yeah, we caught this. We caught this. Nobody caught that until Honest Trailers mentioned it. Exactly. Because we're all staring, as Honest Trailer says, at his, like, <laughs> yes. body. Um, but, like, I like his sort of, you get watching TV, just, you know, like, watching all these opinions. There's, there's one scene which I know they pointed out so much on the Everything Wrong With You, but I, I wrote this down. Again, I'm jumping ahead. But on one of these scenes when they're showing like all these experts talking, they cut to some person and all his title is International Blogger. Like, seriously? <laughs> That's the only expert you can get on CNN? Like, John, who sits in his basement writing, fuck, I hate Superman, he's not really a hero. Like, come on. Bloggers aren't real journalists. God, it's offensive. Did you catch the cameo in one of these new scenes? And it's coming up later, but we might as well talk about it now. Uh, a character who appears in Man of Steel appears on one of the panels of these TV shows. Did you catch that? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Francis Smart, but who is it? Who is Woodburn. It? Woodburn, the blogger that Lois... Oh, uh, the bar. The story to. Yeah, right. he's the one uh, that they have. He's the one that's like, Lois Lane knows who this guy is. Um, I, I, when it comes up, I have a note on it. I'll remember the scene, but he actually has one of the most interesting lines in the movie. And I've seen this so many times and it only took this one time because I watched these back to back where they they had the name Woodburn on them. Like, Oh, that's the guy. Did not even notice it. There you go. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, the the guy. I love him climbing up the statue. Sir, get down from there. Sir, get down. Like, I mean, this isn't realistic. If that was real, they would shoot him. Like, I mean, come on, it's America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, all of American listeners. Oh, America, we love you. Um, but uh, so yeah, the newspaper. All right, come on. Like, I've worked in newspaper. I know how this works. Now, what is Clark Kent's round? Is he just general reporting? Like, because I mean, he's. You know, Lois is obviously international affairs and whatever she wins Pulitzer Prizes for. Like, I mean, literally Perry White has gone to Clark and gone, Clark, you're sports today. Like, okay, how long's he been he's in the office? He's an intern. Office? <laughs> well, well, okay, he's an intern, but like, how long's he been in the office for? For starters, the editor of a newspaper has other editors underneath him. There is a sports editor who would have come up to Clark and gone, Hey, Clark, uh, Jimmy Olsen here. First name that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really dead. That was another Jimmy Olsen, but I'm the sports editor. Come work with us today. <laughs> like, you know, the, the editor doesn't not... The editor of a newspaper isn't there dictating everything. Like, he's got shit he's got to do. That's why he has sub-editors and other heads of department who are the actual bosses who run kind of like the floor, so to speak. Um, and, like, why is he just like, Clark, it's sport. Go do this story on football. It's like, so where are the other sports reporters? This is a daily planet, the biggest stamper. Like, he's on leave. There are, well, why is he only be told today if he's on leave? He's going to be told two days beforehand in an email. Stamper's going on holiday. You're going to be covering sport for the next three weeks. Like, at the same time, like, there's got football reporters. There are people who do this. I mean, it's a big game. It's Metropolis State versus Gotham. And, like... <laughs> Just the the timeline of this, like, because we see this in, like, two days' time when he's all of a sudden like, Clark, where's your, where, you know, where's your Dropbox? Where's your report on this? What, like, this is a story he's trying to analyse on the game that was overnight. Why is this newspaper letting its story become three days old? Like, I mean, this is the worst newspaper <laughs> in the world. No wonder when he says no one's buying newspapers anymore. It's because you're so slow in getting your stories out. Like... Come on. Um, and one thing I've got to point out, nitpicking journalism, because why not? The way that Perry comes up with a headline and then forces his journalist to go work off a headline. Not how it yeah. works. You write the story, <laughs> then the sub-editors come up with the headline. Like, a journalist very but... also rarely comes up with a headline. And the actual editor-editor generally does not come up with a headline either. I, I, I do want to add to that, because I was wondering when you would give us that rant on what's wrong with the journalism. <laughs> That's what we've all been waiting Come on, if this is a story about raising a baby called Casper, you would be ranting too. <laughs> I love that that's the only thing that you think I have knowledge on in my life, is raising a baby named I Casper. can't remember your job. You, like, fix stuff. I don't know what you do. I don't even fix stuff anymore. I what totally do you do stuff. this week? Like, what is your job? Uh, fun- funny enough, I was going to add a little bit of a tidbit when we were talking about, you know, how he would get uh, through the, the customs for the kryptonite, because I'm currently in school for something very similar to that, but I didn't want to bore our listeners, so Custom let's get back to the No, I... I did want to mention on that, um, what I liked about this, and if you want to give your journalism take, is that uh, the the idea that Perry is influenced by what else else is in the media. And this is media. I mean, media does not necessarily report on stories. They pitch opinions subtly to people. And the idea that, hey, we've got one guy out there who's not happy with Superman. Oh, this is new. We haven't explored this yet. Let's come up with a headline Let's come up with a story to try to get people talking, get people interested in something new on Superman. And that's kind of what media is. 
Yeah, and I see that. And I'm not denying that there are probably newspapers and bigger newspapers too that work that way in terms of a headline. Uh, I mean, it's called clickbait. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's I'm sure it's a thing. Uh, but just from my experience working in a shitty regional city of Australia newspaper, that's not how we would do it. But again, I haven't worked in all the newspapers in the world. Uh, I mean, the one thing I will say, though, is that, um, I mean, subtle little things like when she's kind of like, oh, I need, uh, you know, uh, to go to Washington, I need to cover this story. Like, you know, there are definitely elements of that, which is how it is. You've got to, like, go to the boss and try and ask for something because you're trying to cover a story. So you need, you know, a car, like in Tasmania, like, I need to drive to Launceston, can I have a car and petrol? You know, things like that. Like, it's... You know, and I love the thing when he's like, uh, yeah, and you're flying coach, economy plus, coach! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like Perry when he calls um, Clark Smallville. He's like, okay, Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, <Yeah. laughs> just just like little things like that. It's I, so I, demeaning. Yeah. But like, I mean, I think... It would be done- like, you, you, know that, you know that when Noel was off on his, you know, internship or whatever, and he's writing for all these papers, his <laughs> editors were sitting snug. there going, all right, snug. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I do. I do like though that, like, kind of as you were alluding to, like, why, why is Perry not wanting this story about this bat vigilante? Like, I mean, even if Clark yeah. can't do it because you are in sport, like, okay, we'll give it to Doug Stamper then. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a this is a decent story. Like, he's a pretty bad oh. editor if he doesn't want to cover this. I know the rivalry in Metropolis Fine. and Gotham, but still, come on. It's twenty years old too. I mean, that's the other thing you have to consider. Like, how old is the Batman story? And I question more, why is Clark just taking an interest in this now? Because he's a fresh-faced reporter who I'm sure also wanted to report on the atrocities that Hitler was creating in World War II as brand new news. Um, Hitler's back again. Um, but, yeah, is this also the in-between, or, or am I jumping out here when he, um, he Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, clones uh, the Russian's phone, or am I jumping ahead? Yeah, no, that's in the party scene, yeah. But they talk about it here. That's where they, they explain doing this. That's why he gets invited to the party. Oh, no, but I'm talking about the one when he goes to the fight club and he puts his phone down on the table and he clones his phone. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know if I made a note on that because it's just a brief oh, I scene. Just, but yeah. I just want to add, like, the fight club and kind of his little uh, his line there where Bruce Wayne says to the Russian dude and he's kind of like, he says something in Russian. He's like, oh, that's all I know because, you know, I dated some girl in the Russian... Uh, mm-hmm. orchestra or whatever and he's like I'm sure that's not all she told you um, so, <laughs> yeah I, and uh, just that line you know the uh, Gotham crime wave in other news water is wet and then I love like <laughs> I love when like Lois hands Perry the bullet it's a bullet it kills people <laughs> like <he's> yeah just, <laughs> he's just such a well, dick but I love it um, yeah because this is the way I, I remember we talked about this last week that when he was cast in Man of Steel for me, I couldn't have cared less about you know whether he looked like the traditional Perry White. He wasn't an old white man. I pictured Lawrence Fishburne playing Perry White like he plays it here, but we didn't get that in Man of Steel. So when I saw this, it was just like that's what I pictured like four or five years ago. This now yeah. it all works. It makes sense. Yeah. Justification. Um, the the Lex and uh, I was going to say Helen Hunt, Holly Hunter scene. Um, yeah, look, I agree with most part, like, it's, it's very tense, it's good, like, this is kind of a good part of Lex, but, again, like, I just, I don't know, I just, uh, like, even when you see, like, the red capes are coming, like, yeah, it's okay, but, like, it's, it's not outstanding to me, like, to me, Lex should be, like, quipping loudly and, like, shouting and, like, just, 
you know, just over the topness, but not like subtly like, ah, the red no. cats are coming. <laughs> My precious. The thing is, is that. Like, if you read the, this is a different portrayal. All Lex Luthor portrayals are different from the comics. Because in the comics, he definitely has that, you know, eccentric billionaire thing about him, but he's almost more soft spoken and very angry. And that's what I think works with his. You can imagine Lex Luthor from the comics being a lot more like Batman is in this towards Superman. Uh, he fears him. He believes he's doing the right thing. But we're at least getting a different portrayal on him. And I think if you'd go the Gene Hacken route again, I'll say the same thing. And, you know, give me your opinion on this. Does he work as a villain or is it always necessary to have a villain you really want to laugh at and get behind? Or do you need a villain that sometimes you're like, oh, I hate him. But I can't wait till they just kill him. Burn burn I, his face off with their laser beams. Yeah, I know you want to get burnt stuff, Colin. We'll yeah. get to people <laughs> no, but, no, I agree. I definitely agree that you need a villain like that. But the, the difference is, is I think that Lex Luthor is in the same category as the Joker in that, like, you think about Jared Leto even in, in Suicide Squad, like... I mean, Suicide Squad is a different tone, I get that, and kind of the whole movie is about villains, that you're kind of technically rooting for everyone in the film as a villain. But, like, it doesn't matter who plays the Joker or what the Joker does, you still have people who go to see a Batman film because of the Joker. You know, you think about The Dark Knight. What does everyone talk about in The Dark Knight? They talk about Heath Ledger as the Joker, and he's the villain, and he's you should hate him in the film because he's a prick. He's the Joker, but he does it in a way because he's the Joker. That's why everyone loves him, even though he's a villain. I feel Lex Luthor's in that category where you have, like, yeah, you've got to hate him because he's doing evil, but at the same time, he's Lex Luthor. You're also... It's kind of like Smallville. Like, you, you're kind of seeing Lex Luthor grow up. You know what he's going to turn out to be, but yeah, I like Lex. Michael Rosenbaum, yeah. whatever his name is, like, yeah, good on him. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of, to me, in no part do I watch Batman v Superman and go, yeah, Lex, like, come on. Like, and I get what you're saying. Like, you need that. But, like, to me, there is always part of Lex Luthor that needs to almost be likable. And that's a weird thing to say because I just think that's the status of villainry he has. Brian Cranston would have been an amazing Lex Luthor. I th- and not just because he was bald in Breaking Bad, but, like, you know, just, just thinking of how good of an actor Brian Cranston is. He's one of these people that you can easily see playing Lex Luthor. And I just I just don't, you know, like, there are subtle little scenes with Jesse Eisenberg that I like, but I just, I don't know, I just, I just do not like his version of Lex Luthor at all. So, um... Well, we'll get to... Some of the stuff I don't like about I, Lex Luthor, because yeah, I just want to just want to add anything quick, else you want to add. Yeah, I just want to quickly a couple of things just on Lex Luthor. I don't like his reference. Like I, I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. I like the fact that Lionel's mentioned not by name, but like he's like the daddy sort of thing. Because I yeah. guess he's got daddy issues. There are just some of the things that he says where I'm like, uh, like uh, I don't know, like uh, the way they're kind of going with that storyline. I don't know. Maybe that's just a Smallville thing connection with that. But um, I, I fucking love the line and the payoff that we get with it when Holly Hunter's what, like, you can take a bucket of Granny's piss and call it peach tea. <laughs> and then just, it's probably the one of the few moments I like, Jesse Eisenberg was like, hmm. <laughs> like, you know, just the way he kind of reacts yeah. to that. Uh, and she's just like, I'm not going to drink it. Like I, like, I love Holly Hunter here, just like the fear that she has. I, I mean, I question why does she just not call him up and say, we're not bringing you an import license? Like, why does she have to go there in person? But, like, yeah, I, I just... I love the fear that she portrays, like, such a good actress, just the way, like, you just, every time you see her, you just see the fear that she has, but she's, like, going to stand up to him no matter what. Yeah. Just, just that, that line, just take a bucket of Granny's piss and call it peach tea. And oh, here's the thing, fantastic. that doesn't feel like anything else in the script. I'm not saying this is what happened, but that's almost like something Holly Hunter would just wing on the spot. That just yeah. sounds like something. 
And if it was written for the film, it was written after they cast her, guaranteed. And I hate how people complain about this. Like, this is kind of like the Martha bit when we get to that. Like, people just want to nitpick at this film at something stupid. And people complain, like, oh, what does that line have to do with anything? And why is it on the table when she gets blown up? It's just kind of like one of these little moments that you would, as a character, would say things, trying to, like, stand up to him and be like, you can call it whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, she's putting a weird reference. I'm the type of person that always compares shit to things that probably are not related to anything. But to me, I'm making a point. She's doing that at the same time. So it's kind of just this dickery move by Lex Luthor. And one thing that I will give him props for as Lex Luthor is as a bit of a dickery moment to put a glass of pee on the table and write Granny's Peach Tea on it. I just fucking love that move from him and just the fear that she has because at that point, to me, it's needed because she knows before she's about to die why she's about to die and who she's dying at the hands of, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that scene works really well. Um, the stuff with Lex I don't like is this party scene coming up, even though there's the one line which, you know, you mentioned that I love too, the the whole Clark Kent and Bruce, I love bringing people together. Uh, that's the type of thing you could see Gene Hackman or Kevin Spacey delivering. Yeah. Uh, but the party, so we're going to cover a lot of stuff here, but, you know, it's it's pretty much bring us to the halfway point of the movie. We're hoping we're about the halfway point of this episode right now. <laughs> um, so the party scene what I don't like in this is that Lex's awkward conversation because, again, I get where you're going with it. This is like a billionaire who's socially awkward, uh, but I just I don't feel it was necessary. And I feel like we get that he's socially awkward, but one-on-one in conversations, he's very well-spoken. And when you see the way that he can hold a dialogue scene with Superman, there's no way that Lex Luthor, who can sit there and trash talk with Superman face-to-face on top of a building, regardless of whatever power he has at that time – has the confidence to do that, but yet get him in front of a group of people and talk about a library or uh, whatever charity thing this is, people reading. What was this charity again? Uh, something to do with the library, isn't it? I think that's literally Friends of the what, library or whatever. Yeah. literally what Bruce Wayne says when he's like, you know, oh, Clark Kent, tell the planet. Oh, yes, I gave my statement about how much I like books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's me. But just, why would he get stage for Why would he have pr- trouble yeah. speaking in front of people? And... I would have liked the scene much better if he, you know, was giving this speech and maybe he just said one or two things are awkward and people responded, but he didn't. But I feel like Lex Luthor should be the type of character where even if he's eccentric, he's not uncomfortable with it. So that this scene just doesn't work for me. But everything else with a party does. I mean, this is where we get introduced to Wonder Woman for the first time or Diana Prince. And let's talk really quickly about Gal Gadot before we even cover the scene. When she was cast, there was just as much criticism, A, because she didn't have a lot of experience, and B, because her boobs weren't big enough. Yeah. That was legitimately people's complaint, was that her she had a small chest. And I just the first thing I thought was when Gal Gadot responded to that, she kind of criticized the fans and said, if you really want this to be realistic, let's look at what real Amazonians look like. And she gave examples of Amazonians that would cut off one of their breasts, so they had only one. It's like, is this what you fans want in the movie? I'm like, this woman's awesome. Uh, and... They do a good job of hiding her lack of experience. Jamie and I talked about this in the review episode. You know, she's not that, I'm not going to say gifted uh, or skilled. That almost sounds mean, but she's not that experienced of an actress. And you do have to hide certain things with her. And I remember one of the criticisms with this movie, not so much with Wonder Woman, was that she had too heavy of an accent. Uh, She doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this movie. I don't know why this would be a complaint. Her accent is just as heavy in Wonder Woman, but... Maybe it's because everybody kind of has, you know, weird accents in Wonder Woman. You forgive it. 
just she has a screen presence where she doesn't need to say anything. She just she gives this look. Uh, and as I said, the chemistry she has with Bruce Wayne here, it's even better in the next scene. But the chemistry they have just in introducing themselves here, just him glancing her, you know, just the looks they give is fantastic. Um, and Bruce obviously has his mission. And what I always explain to people when I would tell them, you wouldn't believe this, but Ben Affleck is the best thing in Batman versus Superman, just like on Australia says. People would gasp, like, are you serious? Like, they would think I'm joking. And I'd always give the same example. I would say, A, two things. He's playing, as you said, Ben, the older Batman, but also he is being Batman as a detective, which we've never seen before. Yeah. You know, we we see little bits and pieces. You know, uh, Christian Bale walks into a building in Shanghai and, or Hong Kong or wherever, and he drops the cell phone, and that's more like spy Bruce Wayne. But this is like... You know, I, I'm going to go around. He, he uh, He's looking for the bathroom. You know, we're introduced to Mercy Graves, who uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about her much here, but a comic book character they felt they wanted to include in here, which was cool. Uh, and he's being a detective in these scenes. And Bruce Wayne works in everything. He works. There's three areas you need to be Batman. You need to be the tough, hardened crime fighter. You need to be the detective. And you need to be the obnoxious billionaire. And the scene where he's introduced to Clark and Clark's like, you know, from the Daily Planet. And he's just sort of like staring off into space like, uh, Daily Planet, do I own this one? Like, it's such a, <laughs> I love that. It's such a mean billionaire thing to say, oh, no, that's the, the or do, do I own the competition? Which one is it? And even like, you know, it's kind of hypocritical. You guys write a puff piece every time, you know, an alien picks a cat out of a tree. <laughs> he just nails every area of batman here and i'm such a huge superman fan and i'm definitely a fan of superman's portrayal in this movie but i feel like he's he's a way more subtle character but all these batman scenes is just this is where if you cut this movie and tell it from his point of view it's one of the best batman movies you've ever seen and i don't think people can deny that yeah uh, so i love the party scene and just being able to introduce all these characters the lex scene where you know he's like whoa that's quite a grip you have or you would not pick a fight with this man <laughs> those are funny moments and there's a reason they're in the trailers because it works some of the things here, like the Day of the Dead sequence, I mean, this is our montage of Superman saving people mixed with all the debates and all that. Uh, I, I like the debates they have on TV. Some of the montage things, it, it feels like someone we've seen in Superman so many times. You know, you're not going to have him picking cats out of the trees, but the Day of the Dead thing, and I get the whole purpose of people bowing before him. It just it feels like such a weird setting to have one of these scenes. You know, picking people off the roofs in the flood made more sense, but something about the Day of the Dead scene I just didn't care for. Maybe it was because Spectre did it so much better. Who knows? I, I, have, um, a weak I, connex- I have a weak connection for that when we get to that. Because you were there. No, no, no. I, I'll get to it. Don't worry. I was there, oh, okay. though. Thank you. But, uh, you know, I'm not that selfish. Um, the TV debates, this is where Woodburn appears on there. Uh, uh, and I don't know if it was him that says or somebody says, you know, uh, maybe this isn't about, you know, uh, how powerful he is or is he a god or whatever. It's like maybe he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. And it's another one of those things that we've never seen a Superman movie where people debated his power. And you could take any other superhero, Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor even, who is a god, and you could say, oh, they're a hero, they're saving us. But you introduce somebody like Superman that has this much power, who is the only alien known in existence to the world, and they would be debating, is this guy safe? Should we trust him? And ultimately it does come down to it's like he's a guy from Kansas. They don't know he's from Kansas, but maybe he's just trying to do the right thing. And that's the subtle thing they do well with Clark Kent's story in this movie that works 
is that he he's conflicted. He's like, am I just following what my parents wanted me to do? Not one of these things that uh, I'm only uh, doing what my dad wanted me to. I never was able to be myself. It's not like this moody emo, emo teenager, but <laughs> Andrew it's, Garfield. It, 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 yeah, it's not Andrew Garfield. <laughs> uh, I love Andrew Garfield, by the way. But anyways. <laughs> That's kind of the debate of the movie. And th- these newscasts in the background, this is all that stuff that I was saying I was missing from Man of Steel, but it works so well here, even just the stuff playing in the background. Uh, we'll kind of group in here everything up to the, the first fight, I guess. Um, Keith making bail after desecrating the statue of Superman. You find out that Lex is the one pulling the springs. He gives him a new wheelchair. I always get a laugh when he wheels into his apartment and he's like, who are you? And Lex is in the wheelchair, like testing it out. Like he's just playing around the apartment. Oh, this is fun. I got to get one of these for my place. Um, there's a Perry white scene when they're at the daily planet too, which I really like another one of the journalism talks where he was like the daily planet used to stand for something. He was, uh, Kent, this isn't 1938 anymore. Right. (laughs) Superman comic. And obviously it's another logical thing where you're looking at this thing in a real world, 2017 is journalism what it was in 1938. Is it really about breaking the news or is it just about creating no news? Completely different. Yeah. This is from the, oh, were you asking me that or was I just meant to put an opinion on that or you can give an opinion if you want. I mean, oh, well, whether it's, I, I mean, want it's, to it's, not, you're going to give it. Well, it's, I mean, it is completely different. I mean, there's, there's no denying it. I mean, journalists, I think we're a lot highly more respected in 1938 than yeah. they are. Now, believe me, they're not respected at all in 2017. So, yeah. And yet, if you do, you know, a little bit of research in your history, the publishers were controlling things and manipulating the news more than they ever would now. Oh, so for sure. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, everyone can be a journalist um, now, just like anyone can do a podcast, I guess. Hello. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, that's why Ben's on here. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're listening um, to it, folks. <laughs> uh, the second dream sequence, which features, I mean, we really don't know what it is. Once we get to uh, the... Well, I guess this is the last dream sequence we have. We'll, we'll talk about it here. Maybe I will cap it before we get to the first Batman versus Superman fight. But um, this dream sequence is really a lot of the stuff in the trailer. And it's showing him going after Kryptonite. And this is where I think we still don't have answers. And a lot of movies will just have these teases for the next movie. This one, I actually feel like it makes me think more than anything else. And even Jamie, who is loosely watching this with me, she's not that excited about Justice League, even though she liked this movie. She loves Suicide Divorce Squad. Her. She loves Henry Cavill. Uh, <laughs> if I, I, at this point, I'm happy that she's not that interested in watching Henry Cavill on screen because it means uh, my marriage will last for at least another year. <laughs> but she was saying that these dream sequences really made her interested in Justice League more because she's like... Where are they going with this? Is this just a nightmare that he's having? Are some of his own fears getting mixed up? And that's what's great about this because we see, obviously, there's some type of vision he's having that is a real vision of the future because we see the you know Omega symbol in the ground, which is like the symbol of Darkseid, who's obviously behind all this, uh, if you read the comics. Uh, we have the parademons who are flying in the sky, which are from Apocalypse. These are like Darkseid soldiers. We have all these things. We have mixed with that him look going after the kryptonite which we know is what his mission is at this point in the movie we have superman you know unmasking him and everything and working with the government and uh or or killing all the soldiers and all that and obviously living up to what bruce wayne's fear is i almost feel like this dream sequence is a combination of all things it's part a, a real premonition he's having part his current fears and part just whatever's on his mind 
But then you add to that the flash scene that appears after this, which still has people debating what's he talking about. The flash obviously has the ability to travel through time just through how fast he moves. And he's here and he's telling Bruce Wayne, it's like, you were right about him. You were, and I think he's saying you were right to fear him. Uh, Obviously, he's talking about Superman here, or maybe he's talking about somebody else. We'll find out later on. Jenny. And just mentions, yeah, it's all Jenny. <laughs> you were right to fear her. She's you terrible. Die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the way that the, the Flash appears here, and then it's, it's almost as mixed up as his dream. You're like, well, he's saying fear Superman, but then he's saying find us. And he's questioning, am I too early? This is how you know it's not part of the dream. He goes, am I too early? He meant to travel back in time to a later point. Mm. But if he meant to travel back in time to a later point, why is he saying be afraid of Superman? And if he's not talking about Superman, why is he saying Lois is the key? It's just all so messed up. And I love that it's messed up because it, it has me so excited about just this is one of those scenes I was talking about where I said I'm almost more excited for Justice League than the Last Jedi. Just because you're really thinking, well, where are they going to go with this? So. Uh, this dream sequence is the one that I really feel like belongs in the movie. And it was also cool to have that surprise. We knew we were going to see the Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg at some point in this movie. Everybody figured it would be just a cameo showing them, kind of like we saw with Cyborg and Aquaman later on. But seeing this, the Flash integrated into the plot was exciting because you know that they have this bigger story that's going to be told. Yes, I agree. Um so where are we back to the party? Uh, did is it in the theatre? This is such a this is such a Ben question to ask. Um, when Ben Affleck's Batman, Bruce Wayne's getting ready. You know, we've got that little montage of him. You know, with the suit as we saw the Aston Martin getting ready to walking past the burnt down mansion. Do we see Ben Affleck's ass in the theatrical version, or is that just in the uh, the Ultimate Edition? It uh, must have been the Ultimate Edition. Oh, I'm sure we, Jamie would have responded in the theatre. We see Ben Affleck's ass. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, typical Ben question. Um, yeah, the party, like, again, you touched on it. Like, how the hell does Clark not know who Bruce Wayne is? Like, I mean, Bruce Wayne is, yeah. like, the most eligible, richest bachelor in the world who everybody knows he is. He lives opposite him on a lake, uh, <laughs> you know. And can we just point out, too, the elephant in the room here, weird elephant, but whatever, do we ever know how Lex Luthor knows who Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent are? Because he knows their identities. Mm-hmm. Is that um, ever explained? Well, I mean, for one, I would figure it would be pretty easy to figure out Super if you had as much of money as Lex Luthor does. <laughs> if Lois can figure it out, Lex can figure it out. Uh, for the Bruce Wayne thing, I mean, who knows? Maybe he just... There could be some ties later in the movie. If you watch the Ultimate Edition, you know who Lex is talking about at the end when he's saying he's coming. Uh and obviously we see, like, a character appear. We can just spoil it now. Steppenwolf appears, who's going to be the villain in Justice League, at least the first Justice League. And obviously he's coming. It's probably referring to Darkseid. Lex is under some influence. I'm sure they <laughs> know, and maybe they've told him these things and because they're the ones controlling him and allowing him to manipulate all this. Well, it's also the question, which, again, I'm jumping ahead, but when Batman v Superman happens again, like, and Clark's, like, landing, and like, Bruce, you've got to listen to me. Like, how does he know it's Bruce all of a sudden? Like, that's never explained. <laughs> anyway, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I guess it is this. Yeah, it's just, it's just weird. Like, he lands, he's like, Bruce, you've got to listen to me. It's like, you don't mm. know. Like, how do you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I like kind of, like, yeah, I, I'm not going to keep complaining about Jesse Eisenberg and Lex. I, I just despise his scene when he's giving his speech, when he's all like, you know, yeah. speech, blah, oh. blah, 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 open bar. He's like, what am I saying? Oh, okay. Like, just shut up. And it like, just ends. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, again, the real Lex Luthor would engage that room. You know, that's he would. And- I don't, I don't want to be too critical of Zack Snyder because I was critical of Zack Snyder before these movies came out, and I think he does a much better job than people give him credit for. Uh, but bad decision on Zack Snyder's part. If you're going to have this scene and you want to include that, just have it with him in the background where it's like if you listen carefully, you can hear it. We don't need the close-ups, and we don't need about three separate moments of seeing this up close with all yeah. the dialogue going on for like a minute straight. Um, I like kind of like how Clark's listening in to uh, Bruce listening in to Alfred. <laughs> um, and then I like how kind of like uh, Bruce Wayne's like putting that thing on the, the computer, the, the switchboard. Then that lady comes down and he acts all drunk. Like, oh, I had too many martinis at the, the bathroom. Is down here. <laughs> I like those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just nails the obnoxious billionaire too. Uh, he just he checks all the boxes. It's so good. Um, yeah, yeah, just the, the whole, uh, I like when Clark first meets Bruce Wayne, you know, Clark Kent, Daily Planet, and as I said before, when he's like, oh yeah, my office gave a statement on why I like books. (laughs) 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 And then he's lying when he says, like, Gotham has bad experiences with people dressed in clowns and kind of, you know, we get this Metropolis-Gotham little rivalry. Yeah, the, the, the Lex... You know, Clark Kent meets Bruce. Like, I like that. It's great. The thing is, though, I just, I don't know if you ever saw the Jimmy Kimmel skit that he did with this, um, when he's like, just, if you've never seen it, we'll probably put it on our website, look it up. It's just kind of like, they've basically redone this scene. Jimmy Kimmel sort of is at this party and he walks past and he's all like, hey, you're Superman. And Clark Kent's like, no, I'm not. And it's like, he takes his glasses off and he's like, yeah, you are, you're Superman. And then he kind of like, he's like, oh, take a photo of me and, and Superman, would you? So like, Bruce Wade holds the phone up and he's like, hurry up and let me take the photo. So he covers the top half of his face. And he's like, hey, you're Batman. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not. And then so like, uh, Clark Kent like punches Jimmy Kimmel. So he like goes flying in the sky, ends up landing on Mars and there's Matt Damon in the Martian. So it's, it's actually really, really funny. Look it up. Um, yeah, uh, I I like kind of the um the, the the montage that we get. My Day of the Dead tie-in. I was going to say the reason why like everybody is like burnt and every, like there's people hanging from buildings and all this sort of stuff is because James Bond's fucked this place up and he's just left in his helicopter. <laughs> so this is this is the aftermath of what James Bond's done to the Day yeah. of the Dead festival. I don't think this is in Mexico City. I think it's in a different part of, of Mexico with the subtitle. But my well, eyes to like, kind of like connect these two movies, this is the aftermath of James Bond on the Day of the Dead festival. And it's only four months removed from Spectre's release. I mean, that's not that much of a stretch. There you go. Come on, folks. Let's tie these worlds together. Uh- <laughs> Um, I like kind of uh, when Bruce Wayne goes down to get the thing off the machine and then we see sort of, yeah, Diana kind of driving off in the car. Like, I, I, I don't know who who else was in the role for, for Wonder Woman. Was it like a public list or something like that? But No, I it? mean, I remember hearing a lot of rumours. I don't know if any of them were confirmed. The only one you can find online that was a possible consideration was Olga Korolenko, who was a Bond girl in Quantum of Solace. Oh, God. Um, but I... I <laughs> I mean, she wouldn't have been terrible. I, but I, I did hear a lot of people mentioned over the years. Uh, uh, the one that I actually thought would have been interesting was, you know who Gina Carano is? No. She was an MMA fighter who got into movies. She made a movie called Haywire. She actually dated Henry Cavill for like a year and a half. Oh, her, yes. But, uh, of course. Yeah. So, like, I mean, she would have made a great Wonder Woman. I mean, at least physically would have made a great Wonder Woman. She has probably less acting experience than Gal Gadot. 
But yeah, it's funny with all these characters where it's like, oh, this person was rumored, this person was rumored. There really was nothing for Wonder Woman. It was just sort of like they announced Gal Gadot one day and they've never really confirmed if anybody else was in the running. And she's gorgeous. She looks the part. I mean, you know, I'm not old enough to know, you know... uh What's her name? Diane. Uh, no, what's the Linda Spencer? Diane. Sorry, um, I you know wasn't old enough to kind of see that, but um, Linda was Linda wait, Spencer. Wait, wait, wait. Right? Who, who did you? Who did you say? <laughs> what was the uh, fuck? I've got the name. Carter. Um, Carter. Carter? Linda, who's Linda Spencer. Uh, uh, Survivor Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a Wonder Woman, right? <laughs> You know, when this episode goes out, we have to we totally have to tweet how much we love Linda Spencer as the original. I just want to be part of Wonder Woman. Uh, <laughs> the resemblance is striking. Kenny. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, Linda Carter. Um, but yeah, I think Gal Gadot fits it perfectly. Uh, she's just gorgeous. She's so attractive. And think gives a shit if the boobs aren't big. I mean, seriously, that's stupid. Um, I love all the scenes on TV. I don't really have much to say about that. Hashtag aliens among us. Uh, and can I just say, <laughs> quickly searching on Twitter to see who's last used alien among us as a hashtag. Um, Nels, Wisco Viking says, if I was POTUS, I'd deport DK to some place with no food, ketchup and turkey. That's inhuman. Hashtag alien among us. So that's apparently, it's a Trump reference now. I don't know. Um, I like the little scene when he calls up mum. <laughs> just like, oh, is he, I don't know if this is in the ultimate edition or not, or I'm just, uh, it's in the theatrical one. But uh, yeah, he calls up his mum. I oh, just thought I'd call up. Hi. And, you know, wakes her up in the middle of the night. Hi, Diane Lang. Good to see you again. I don't know why he just doesn't fly to no, Kansas. It's it's not in the theatrical release or no. Okay, well anyway, but it's in the ultimate edition. I just I just wonder why he doesn't fly to Kansas and say hi. But anyway, um, yeah. The what else we've got here? Um, yeah, the the wheelchair bit. I like kind of when he spins around. Is that the part which made this R rated? Because when he says, "Who the fuck are you?" Like in the ultimate edition, this the the guy says. No, um. I think the moment is in the Ultimate Edition, which you, you, if you're you know, not accustomed to violence, you probably would strike, uh, strike you more. But it's the the final fight he has with the Russians that Batman has, where he stabs him in a place that's you know kind of below the belt. And I think that moment in that shot, the brutality of it, is what got it the R rating. Okay, I just thought they just used the maybe F-bomb. this and contributed too. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was I think more of that shot. There's a, there's an f bomb set in there. Um, I also think in the ultimate edition we get the is John Stewart is in the theatrical release because I know he's on TV for a little bit there. Um, I don't know if that made that one, but um, yeah, just sort of going through here. Sorry, I I know we talked a lot out <laughs> there. Um, the yeah, so the dream sequence. I I love like how you said that's the Omega symbol. I wrote here it's the Prince symbol. Uh, Prince has been here. Uh, just on the ground, it looked like Prince. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I completely, I don't get why people complain about this sequence. I, I see this is, gets a lot of hate. Oh, this doesn't mean anything. What does this mean in the, the Flash sequence? Like, I, again, I think in five years' time, uh, two years' time, one year's time, at six months' time, when we've seen Justice League, when this makes sense, this makes Batman v Superman a better movie in many like, people's eyes because they're just showing it. I mean, think about, like, when I saw Wonder Woman, 
I went back to check if the photo they use in Batman v Superman was the same one they use in Wonder Woman, and it is. Mm. Like, it's got Chris Pine in it and everything. Like, it's it's that good how they kind of, you know, go there with it. And so I'm assuming this is going to be exactly the same thing. So when we get a Flash movie or when it's in Justice League or whatever, and he's, yeah, going through the, the screen or whatever it is, like, am I too early? You know, you, you were right. You were like, I love it. And, like, I love this sequence yeah. where you've got the, the flying alien. You said that they've got the soldiers with the S symbol on their, on their sleeves. Then you've kind of got, you know, evil Superman walking in there and just, like, using his laser vision to kill the people and, she was my world! You know, it's just kind of like... To me, like, also, you can maybe play into it the fact that is this what happens at the end if he doesn't save Martha or something like that? And maybe it's not necessarily mm-hmm. Lois or something along those lines. Um, but, yeah, I love all of this. I think it's fantastic. And I, I hate how people complain about this, thinking it just added in there and it's stupid and... like. Get over it. It's a fantastic sequence. Um, and, yeah, just kind of the lead up then, obviously, before we get into the first Batman v Superman one, it's just, this is where we get that line, isn't it, from Bruce, where he's like, um, you know, the, the how many good guys are left. And is this the bit when he mm. says, like, oh, if there's a 1% chance? Or is that later? I think it might yeah. be later. Um, yeah, it's coming up in a, yeah, it's a great line. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, I, I just kind of like this setup. Like, you, you're right, like the, the whole detective sort of sequence here, because, you know, at the end of the day, this white Portuguese, it's going to be a boat. He's basically doing this because this is how Lex Luthor's sneaking in the, the giant rock into the country. So it kind of, it all ties in well with it. Um, and I, I kind of also like the fact that, you know, he's got, because this is where, um, uh, Diane has obviously gone, oh, I just borrowed it from you. You know, is it, is it a thief if you're stealing it from a thief or whatever? And then kind yeah. of we, we see the, um, the first little glimmer, don't we, of the logos, you know, the, the Flash logo, the, the Aquaman mm-hmm. logo. And again, you got to question who came up with the logos, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just not going to be completely anal about this film. But yeah, I just, I just kind of like how, like, that's a bit of a tease. Cause this is a part I remember seeing the movie like, oh, we're about to see them. And then all of a sudden we don't. We just see the white Portuguese and we will see it very soon. But, um, yeah, just I just like how it kind of sets up, and that's obviously going to like yeah lead into this uh, the, the first Batman v Superman scene. So here's the scene that I mentioned earlier about you know Batman referencing that uh, you know he spent 20 years in Gotham, which I like that we're getting reference to how long he's been doing this, and you know up until now we've always seen the Michael Keaton ones is like well he was new to Batman. There were kind of rumors floating around that there was a Batman out there, and. Uh, even by the time you got to George Clooney, it's like, well, Batman's been around a few years, but you know, he's not like this uh, really hardened uh, skeptic or anything after years of just torturing himself. The closest we got to that was in The Dark Knight Rises with Christian Bale. And even then, that was like eight years, I think, in between the movies. Oh, but, yeah, something like that. But at the same time, I mean, he hadn't been Batman in like three years or four years or something like that. So we're really getting like Batman at the end of his career, which is again going back to like the Dark Knight Returns comic. Uh, all of this leads up to the first Batman versus Superman or Batman v Superman, uh, <laughs> because we don't want to give people the wrong impression that this is a versus movie. Uh, it, it's more or less just a Batman sequence. And I give Zack Snyder tons of credit. I mean, he had to find a way to reintroduce Batman, but also please the Christopher Nolan fans. And that's what. DC was to people for at least this entire generation. The way he handles it, I mean, it feels like it's a sequence that could have been a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, It just feels like we're getting Ben Affleck as a different Batman, which it's also funny that when you go back before Batman Begins was made, Darren Aronofsky, who of course went on to, 
you know, direct Natalie Portman to the most undeserving Oscar ever in hey. uh, Black Swan. <laughs> uh, he was the guy originally attached to reboot Batman, and it was going to be Batman Year One with Ben Affleck. And they kind of dropped out of that, and it became Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. Uh, but this all feels like it fits in Christopher Nolan's universe. Uh, the the scene, I mean, it's it's again Batman being a detective. I just like that he's just you know tracking their their truck or whatever, and we get you know the new Batmobile, which I mean the Batmobile looks great. It's a bit of a cross between the Tumblr that we saw in the Nolan films and a classic Batmobile that looks more like a bat car. Mm. We need more animal cars out there. <laughs> ne- needs more nipples on it. Needs more bat nipples. Yeah, some nipples as headlights would have worked. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I mean, the sequence is fun, and it's your Batman sequence. It really all is just a setup for the first confrontation between them, uh, which we all saw in the trailer, other than the shot where Superman just sort of stands in the way and the Batmobile crashes and, you know... uh, The share What what is it? (laughs) What is it it keeps saying over and over again? Like, uh, evacuate premises or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Um. Yeah, I didn't write that down. I thought you were just gonna like the, the thing they keep saying over again. Why do you say that name? Like I thought that's oh, just yeah. what he constantly says all the time to him. Um, <gasps> Why do you drive this car? Why do you drive this car? <laughs> Why do you wear a red cape? What's the red cape? <laughs> but I love the exchange of dialogue here. You know the the bad is bed. Bad is bed. The bat has been many women. Oh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> The bat is dead. Bury it. And then, of course, that line from the trailer, which is fantastic. You know, we just looks up and says, tell me something. Do you bleed? And just flies mm. off and goes, you will. Like, I love that moment. It just shows the rage in Batman. And this is the way he treats criminals. And this is the thing to note about this movie. They didn't go so over the top of Batman just having this hatred in him for Superman where it's unnatural. He's treating Superman the same way he treats all these criminals. You know, he brands these criminals. That's kind of what helps make this feel more natural. So I think it's really important that we have him saying that, do you bleed? And it's also not like this over the top, like he's violent. You know, he's Batman's turned to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> you turn her against me. <laughs> She's <laughs> lost Star Wars. <laughs> I don't I like sand. Yeah, it's coarse and it's rough. <laughs> I told you, I don't like sand. You were the like, chosen one. I told you I don't like sand. <laughs> Tell me something. Do you like sand? <laughs> you will. <laughs> Why do you keep saying sand? <laughs> um, it's, I guess, its own sequence. We can't really group anything else together with this, but it's the best introduction we can get. And really, it's the only screen time these two superheroes are going to have together until the big fight, which is actually, you know. The sequence is huge, but it's shorter than you get. It's just it's it's a great way to build tension here. Uh, and at this point, we're not really getting Lex Luthor's involvement in playing these two off each other. I always just wonder, is like, shouldn't this car be towed? Like, what does Batman do if it has to get towed? Because he just drives this thing back. And you know, how awkward is that? You know, him driving down the freeway and he's got like an open top that's ripped apart, and he kind of just gives a shrug, like, yeah, insurance isn't going to cover this one. But what if this thing had like? It's the Man of Steel. He sh- this thing should not even be running right now. Like, does he call Alfred for a tow? Like, how does it happen? Well, I mean, he's got, like, a, a bat spaceship later on. I mean, why mm-hmm. is he just using the Batmobile? Like, I mean, how how far out is Wayne Manor from downtown Gotham? Like, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, it's not the most obscure vehicle. <laughs> he's also, you know, tracking the, the, uh, the kryptonite or whatever. 
you would think he'd want to have the best view for that. I mean, is it following it in a animal themed car really the best way to go undercover? <laughs> yeah, for for the world's greatest detective, uh, I mean, he's got to come up with some better ideas. Like yeah. I always say, like you know, I don't know how the undercover police are there in Winnipeg, but to me, undercover police here are always kind of in like flashy brand new Fords or something like that. Like you can always kind of see a car, and you're like, oh, that's an undercover cop car. And you're just expecting the lights to like flash up next to the the headlights i'm just always thinking like just drive down the street in a bummy old mazda no one's gonna believe a cop's driving that car like you know yeah. like i mean it's good granted you're never gonna catch anybody that you're chasing but <laughs> at least they won't spot you yeah but you're not allowed to chase in tasmania it's like laws like there's criminals get away with it it's like oh you've hit 80 kilometers an hour back off like we're not oh, america in tasmania speeding. but you know what because he's speeding we can't chase him damn it he's speeding naughty guy oh well oh he's shooting people oh Guns aren't allowed in Australia, so we're not seeing that. It's fine. Uh, you guys need a Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, that would be a bad idea. But uh, just, did, I, I think I forgot to mention um, just the random Perry scene when he's like going like about Clark to fucking Jenny. Where does he go? Yeah. <laughs> like, what does he click his heel three times to go back to Kansas? Um, <laughs> like, I think they, um, I'm pretty sure it's, I don't know if it's in the Honest Trailer or if it's in the Everything Wrong With. I think it's the Everything Wrong With video. And, like, they make a good point. It's like, how does Clark still have a job? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I used to leave the office to go to the bathroom when I was in the newspaper, I got told off a lot of the time. So it's kind of like, <laughs> that's not true, actually. You could do whatever you want a lot of the time. It's a newspaper. They're always assuming you're out in the story. Um, so <laughs> never mind. Uh, but, yeah, I love that shot when he's on the crane. Just that kind of, like, overhead shot of him just um, looking at the, the waterfront there. It's just it's amazing. Um, but yeah, this whole, this thing's great. Like, as you said, it feels very Nolan-esque. Um, I do love the fact that they're just casually driving around the streets of sort of, you know, dock front Gotham with, you know, a minigun, a uh, machine gun, there's even a rocket launcher at one point. And there's, you know, where are the cops? Nowhere. Like, no one's <laughs> blinking an eye. It's fine. It's just Gotham. It's Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, even in the Nolan films, there's police chasing them when they're going through downtown Gotham with the Joker in that truck sequence. Like, at least there's cops there. Like, even in is it The Dark Knight Rises when he's got like that spaceship on the roof with Anne Hathaway or something like that? Am I thinking oh, yeah. something different? Yeah, yeah. and they're like the cops are still there. Like, at least the cops are trying to like chase him. Um, oh, not to mention Batman Begins, where it's like they're driving. It's driving a black tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it's kind of. They lose the Nolan-esque there where it's just kind of like, oh, it's just the man in his bat-themed car. It's all good. It's fine. Um, but yeah, the whole... I love that kind of slow-mo sort of look the two share as they drive past each other. Like, oh, it's you! Oh, it's you! Um, and, like, you know, Superman is kind of, you know, every man, he's the nice guy. Like, this is why everyone complains about this film and this Man of Steel and all that sort of stuff because he's broody and dark. Like... Just, just this scene when he kind of stands there and he's like, the bat is dead, you know, that light in the sky, uh, whatever he says there. Um, and it's kind of like, it's very out of character, I guess, for what we assume Superman is to be based up to this point, you know? Like, do you see um, Christopher Reeve being this dark? Do you see Brandon Routh? I mean, well, you don't see him anywhere because he's just nowhere. I mean, do you see Tom Welling being like this? No, but like, I mean, well, I, 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 I like it. Like, I don't think it's yeah. that bad. Like, uh, people complain about, you know, oh, Superman shouldn't be like this. But I think it kind of, he needs to be, because, you know, he's kind of coming along there and trying to stand up to him. But, um, 
Yeah, my biggest question here too is kind of nitpick at this. Like Clark's being all investigative journalist, like, oh, I'm going to find out about the Batman here in Gotham. Why doesn't he just do this in the beginning as Superman? Like, why does he need to, like, be undercover as Clark and go around to buildings and ask all about, like, oh, do you know anything about this? Do you know anything about this? Like, can't he just do this from the beginning? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Make his job a little... Then he can maybe file the football story for Perry. Then, you know, he's not got someone on his back. (laughs) Yeah, he would have been a much better employee if he just floated around Gotham for one night just waiting for Batman to pop up. Exactly. I mean, come on. I do have a really good argument for the people who say, well, this isn't the way Superman's supposed to be. I've already stated part of the argument earlier on, and uh, it'll come back even just in these next scenes here. Um, with the Martha thing that comes up. Martha! <laughs> um, the next scene here, which it almost feels out of place, like it's just tacked on in the middle of nowhere, but then... When the scenes come up later on, you get why it's there, where she's giving that line about, you know, you don't owe this world a thing. And this is kind of like a complete contradiction from the Jonathan Kent we've seen so far, which is telling him, you know, Clark, you're here for a reason. That's what we got from the Christopher Nolan, or not Christopher Nolan, Richard Donner one. Uh, and, you know, even in the, the the Man of Steel one, it's like, you know, you you can't reveal your powers. Like, I don't know what you're here for. Uh, but it's all always with Jonathan about you have a, a greater purpose. And Martha right here is basically saying, you don't owe anybody anything, you know? And he kind of appears before the Senate after this. And this is really what this two-film story arc for Superman is about, is that it's Superman's origins. And even before we get to, well, we'll just talk about it now. We'll get to, again, in a second, I'll just group these together. But the Senate hearing that follows this, you know, I just love seeing that because... I always have envisioned this is one of those things where I said going back in the Man of Steel episode that I even came up with like, oh, this is what the perfect Superman movie would be. And mm. I remember even thinking involve something like a Senate here and like what what would they do in real life? They would want to, you know, have some type of involvement in Superman and, you know, what's he doing? And, oh, is this right what you're doing? And then what happens if Superman has to appear? I love that line in Superman Returns. Where, you know, it is kind of a cheap way to write out, well, why is Lex Luthor out of jail? It's like, well, at his trial, they called Superman as a witness and he wasn't anywhere to be found, you know? (laughs) Kind of cheesy, but you do think about that. Like, if he's arresting all these criminals and he's the only witness, doesn't he have to appear before a judge, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and the way it's handled in this movie, it feels very like Godfather Part 2. And I'm not saying this movie is on the level of Godfather Part 2, but it's just, it has all that complexity with, like, politics and accountability, that we've never really had in a superhero movie before. The closest we've come to it is probably with Iron Man and and with the new Avengers movies or with Civil War, they're involved in that as well. But like that's like after nine or ten movies of superheroes just having, you know, a uh, run of the world. Uh, the whole thing with Lex's plot, I have to say I didn't really see it coming, partly because, you know, the, the great swerve to the audience is he puts his assistant Mercy Graves in there, which... Mercy Graves was a character from the comics. It was kind of like Lex's second in command. And she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She just kind of walks and sits in chairs, but she still has a presence about her. She had to train for that, Colin. Yeah, well, (laughs) she went to sitting and walking school uh, in business and min course for sitting and walking. Uh, But yeah, the fact that he puts her there and that we have this whole sequence, you know, outside the courthouse. Holly Hunter, again, the involvement. This is where the, the granny's peach tea thing <laughs> comes up. Oh, I love it. And yeah, it's great because it's like, um, I keep saying Godfather, but this is kind of like a superhero equivalent just in the fact that it's so much about betrayal 
and plotting and you know politics and all that and you know, organized crime it's a godfather move to be like i'm gonna blow up everybody in this building but i want to send you a message so at least you know who it came from and this is where i like lex because lex really is like a mob boss in here and the interpretation is what throws people off because he is obnoxious as i've been talking about a lot but not only is it meant to make you hate him as a character it's just it's a different way of doing it. i mean this is what a kid who's maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, and has probably been a billionaire for a decade already, this is what he would be like. He would be flexing his muscles and trying to throw his power around and thinking he's the god of the universe, you know, when in all actuality, he's just a rich kid that can get a lot of people to say yes because he has money. And it's an interpretation that people aren't really getting with Lex Luthor. And I can completely understand if people say they don't like the performance or some of the quirks and everything. But, like, in the writing, it's all there for Lex to be a great character. And I think this sequence is a perfect example of it. You know, obviously, there's a whole setup with Keith being in there. And it was a good swerve to the audience, just the fact that Lex is involved in this. Like, why would he be bringing so many people in? Why is he controlling, like, in the Ultimate Edition, you know, the the whole Africa subplot? It's all about bringing Mm. Superman down. But then it's like, no, we're just going to blow up the building. What's the result of that is that, well, Superman's still alive. Lex knew Superman would still be alive after this. But he knew people would start asking those questions. Did he know this was going to happen? Could he have stopped it? And even the scene that follows with him and uh, Lois, this is the scene I was talking about, which really explains why we have the dark brooding Superman here is because Man of Steel and Batman and Superman are the origin story. This is how he started. And just like I said, you go back to the Superman comics, the earliest ones and Superman had a real edge to him. And even in the new you know, reboot they had of DC uh, back in 2011. They used action comics to, to uh, retell his origin, and it was the same way. There was an immaturity about him. There was this—he uh, wasn't really sure of himself. He uh, was a little bit too violent at times. That's always been there with Superman. And the fact that in this scene with Lois, where he talks about, you know, Superman was never real. He was just a dream of a farmer from Kansas, and that's why that scene with Martha is so important. Before this. Because Martha's saying, you know, you don't owe the world anything. And he's realizing at this point, it's like, I really don't. You know, this isn't like I'm Spider-Man no more. It's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he's not, <laughs> we're not going to see him strutting <laughs> with his eyeliner. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> oh, I thought we'd never talk about that again. Uh, so much happier thinking we wouldn't. But still, it's it's showing, you know, him as Superman was about this is what my dad thought was right. And it's really not until the end of the movie after, you know, the whole fight with Martha, with Batman, uh, when he finally has that final moment where he goes after Doomsday. You know, uh, that's where he realizes, okay, this is what I'm here for. And he sacrificed himself. That's where he becomes Superman. And that's why I think we're going to get in Justice League and every movie that follows, we are getting a proper Superman. And it's just, I hate how DC gets criticized for things that other studios don't, you know? It's okay to say, well, you know, this was an origin story for this character and even the Batman movies. It's like, well, Christian Bale was not playing Batman. He was playing, like, the origin of Batman. It's the same thing here for Superman. And I think all of these scenes are the, the clearest example of my theory that this is just how Superman begins. This is Superman begins for two films. And that last scene is where he becomes Superman. Well, you look at 
Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, uh, Skyfall, James Bond. I mean, you know, like, as we're kind of establishing on that, um, when he loses, um, uh, uh, help me out here, Casino Royale, Eva Green. Thank you. Uh, Then, obviously, you know, we're kind of thinking there's going to be a Tracy-esque storyline for Bond 25 to really make him Bond. So, yeah, I mean, it's comparable, and yet people don't generally rip so much into that timeline of james bond do they uh i mean again james bond different to a superhero but you can kind of classify them similar-ish because bond's a bit of a superhero in our eyes at least um yeah so i mean i i agree with everything that you were saying there um but yeah i i mean i've, I've obviously there's a lot of this is i think with the ultimate edition obviously there's a lot of scenes here isn't there in the ultimate edition compared yeah. to the the standard one um, because you, yeah, you sort of saying that whole Africa sideline story, you know, you've got the, the lady kind of on the bus going back to her house and, uh, you know, uh, the Russian guys there waiting. And then of course you get the, the house of cards, uh, Chloe Barnes push in front of the train scene, yeah. <laughs> um, which is awesome. Um, spoiler alert if you've never seen house of cards, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the the Martha scene, like, you know, we, we love Diane Lane. I love to kind of just see subtle little scenes there between Martha and Clark. And I, I, I kind of, I forgot that, like, I mean, clearly the whole end bit, Martha, why did you say that name? Um, Like, I always forget she's got more of a prominent role. Like, I remember kind of thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, she's just here to show the moral support to Clark while he's off in that. But obviously, she'll, spoiler alert, get kidnapped very shortly. Um, But... Yeah, the whole um, the Senate. I just, I just love. I mean, Holly Hunter is amazing. Like, even like that bit with Lex beforehand. I don't know if that's in the standard one or if it's in the um, Ultimate one only. The way she, the way he sees her before she goes into the Senate query, and he's like, Senator. Like even yeah. this, like you know, I actually don't mind that bit with by him as much as he kind of annoys the shit out of me. But yeah, like I agree with you. Like the, the whole glass on the table, like that's Lex Luthor. Like you know, mm-hmm. he's got these plans because. That's just how he is. I mean, you look at all the Superman, at least the movies, at least, you know, all the plans that he has. I mean, for fuck's sake, Superman Returns, he wants to build a new continent. Uh, I mean, pretty standard, really, isn't it? Um, (laughs) But I just, I love uh, Holly Hunter's acting here, just the fear on her face when she spins that jar around. Like, she knows. She's fucked. Um, And then just the, the chair. Like, I mean, how, like... How do they get that in? Like, I know it's meant to have lead. I don't know if that's in the standard edition or if it's just in the ultimate edition that you find out it's lined with lead so that Superman can't see it with his vision. But, like, how does, like, this is a US Capitol building, all right? I've been to Washington. Like, I mean, you can't even move within two centimeters of a fence, which is eight kilometers away from the building without getting frisked. Like, I mean, come on. (laughs) Do you want to be the poor security guard who refuses entry to the main guest of this hearing, outside of Superman, the main guest of this hearing is therefore this poor disabled man who, (laughs) in an act of defiance against this guy you're not sure is really safe or not, decided to exercise his right of speech, and you want to be the security guard that says, sorry, you can't come in, your wheelchair is made of metal. Yes, because he ended up being a terrorist and blowing up the U.S. Capitol. So like, <laughs> well, he didn't know he was a terrorist. <laughs> well, at the I end mean, of the day, it doesn't Professor matter if you're, little old, if you're little old Betty or a disabled person. You can still be a terrorist. <laughs> and yet, look at Luther. you, disabled old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> all, all people in wheelchairs are terrorists now. Nobody's allowed on government ISIS. property. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, but yeah, just the scene when it blows up. Like, I, I love, I love when Superman lands and you've got all the people with the signs. Like, uh, that's kind of like one of these sort of going back how I was saying, like, wouldn't he be like a celebrity? Wouldn't he be on like TMZ? Wouldn't Lois, you know, be all this? But like, this is kind of like one of those bits where you've got kind of next to each other, you've got people with like the signs, like, you know, no Superman. Yeah. But then you've got like those, I think there's like two or three of them, like, ah, Superman! <laughs> Have <laughs> my baby! Because, I mean, again, we go back to Army Lady in the last movie. Oh, he's hot. Like, come on. Yeah. As if he's not going to be, like, sexiest man alive, People Magazine, you know, Superman. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, he's going to have this reaction from women everywhere he goes. Um, but, yeah, just I love it the way, like, it blows up and just his look on his face with all the fire around him and just the reaction of the people outside. And when we have Anderson Cooper on TV, oh, something's going on there. We don't know. We've lost our feed. Like, again, I love the fact that they've just got an Anderson Cooper actually doing this on CNN. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, in the Ultimate Edition, you kind of get an extra seat here of Superman, like, flying the victims down and helping out with the paramedics, yeah. but then oh, he just buggers off. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, maybe this is why people think it's a bit suspicious here, Soups, <laughs> because um, you just kind of fly away. Um, the I don't, I think I'm jumping ahead here, but I think, and I, I'm pretty sure this is just in the Ultimate Edition anyway, but the one scene I kind of like when Lois Lane becomes a bit of a detective and she gets led into the apartment of the, whatever his name is, yeah. in the wheelchair, and she discovers that he didn't know he was going to die. He bought groceries! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, can we just point out, Lois Lane, average reporter, well, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter at the Daily Planet, doing a better job than Metropolis PD. So, like, I don't know, like, is this, you know, Superman, uh, Smallville police, Sark, the Metropolis police, are they recruited from Smallville? Uh, Because it's just that scene when she discovers that and the cops don't discover that. Like, I watch... Third Watch, I've watched Blue Bloods, I've seen Law and Order. They're pretty good at their job when they see groceries. I'm telling you now, like, you know, what's his name on CSI Miami? He'll put his sunglasses on. He bought groceries. He was a hungry man. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of what's going to happen. Lois Lane needs to put the sunglasses on. But, uh, yeah, I, I like all this sequence. Uh, like, I, I'm with you exactly what you're saying about, like, politics and wanting to see kind of how this would be. Because maybe it was just like, what, the first Superman, you know, Christopher Reeve films, you know, lighter tone, the 70s and 80s, where kind of like, you know, free love, all this sort of stuff. That they would have just accepted Superman. They wouldn't have given a shit. Uh, whereas, yeah. like, you know, 2017 were world. Back there. We're, we're yeah, they were all, now, right? <laughs> they were all stoned. But, like, 20, 2017, you know, like, we live in this world where everyone's a terrorist, including disabled old people. Um, <laughs> so everyone's suspicious. And, like, if an alien comes to Earth, like, you know, I'm sure Donald Trump is going to be like, we must... D- d- I can't do a Donald Trump impersonation. Uh, we, we've got to get rid of him. He's a Muslim. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, there's one other thing I just wanted to add on Holly Hunter's character, and it's the fact that she never takes a stand on Superman and... This is another thing that I think, you know, the movie's not given enough credit for. You have these debates on either side, and then you just have this one senator who, she's not good, she's not bad. She's just trying to say, listen, we need to at least consider, you know, what yeah. should be done with this. And there's that where she's appealing on Char- Charlie Rose. And, you know, he's basically saying, it's like, you know, what, do we have to control Superman? She goes, I'm not saying we should control Superman. It's like, oh, should we not control Superman? Not saying we shouldn't control Superman, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, you know, must there be a Superman? She goes, there is. Uh, it, it's actually really smart writing with, with her character that 
she doesn't take one position one way or the other. And her entire thing, even when Superman walks in for the Senate hearing, she goes, this is what we do in a democracy. We talk to each other. And that's all she's been wanting. And she's like, if we have somebody that's this powerful, we at least need to try to talk to them. You know, we need to come up with a plan, find out where they're coming from, know if we can trust them or not. So there's so many, you know, subtle things that are going on with this political plot that I think really help the movie and also make you look at Superman differently. Well, because you, you, it, yeah, sorry, it, it takes that moment in the end, and not even just the end, when you get to Suicide Squad, you know, the opening of Suicide Squad, where um, Viola Davis is, you know, basically saying like the world changed when you know Superman flew across the sky, and then it changed again when he didn't. You know, it took something like this. It, it was trust more than anything. So it's not until Superman basically sacrificed himself where they're like, well, we could have trusted this guy, and now where are we? Just, I think the Gotham PD are finally deciding to show up to the the waterfront there. I can hear them driving past your house. Yeah, you can. <laughs> um, but um, the one thing I wanted to say, like, like think of Independence Day. Like, this is a weird comparison, but like, you think of like the whole the the reaction from the the you know president Randy Quaid being molested by Randy aliens. Quaid being molested by aliens. <laughs> uh, like. <laughs> the important stuff, you know, strippers <laughs> wanting to join the aliens on top of the US Bank Tower. Again, all the serious mm-hmm. stuff in Independence Day. But, like, in all seriousness, think of the reaction, like, you know, people staring at the sky like there's a spaceship coming through. The question of whether or not we're alone in the universe has been answered. They're aliens arriving to Earth. It's a dramatic movie. This should be no different. Superman's an alien. So, like, at yeah. the same time, like, everybody should be reacting like this. Like, again, let's picture this in our world right now. If you and I are recording this podcast, and all of a sudden we get off of this podcast and we look at our news feed, and, fuck, aliens have arrived, are we just going to be like, oh, yeah, cool, Superman is here to help us? Like, we live in a world where we're scared of people from other countries coming into our border and we want to stop them coming to our own country. This is, like, mm-hmm. on our own planet with human beings. We're not going to mm-hmm. treat aliens with respect. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, this, God. This is where it bothers me. And again, I'm not sitting here saying, well, if you didn't like this movie, you're dumb. I mean, I hate when people say that about this movie. If you like this movie, you're dumb. People have different opinions. People have different I'm tastes. dumb then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the wrong argument to make. We're not going to get a lot of fight on that. But uh, with this whole idea people have where it's like, oh, everything in this movie was terrible. No, even if you don't like the execution, there are some really smart things in this movie, in the script, and some things are executed very well, but if you don't like the execution, you have to at least admit they raise some interesting points here in a superhero movie that we've never seen before, and that's what this movie gets no credit for you know, from those who want to criticize. I think the people who like the movie are all like, yeah, th- this is one of the things I liked about it. I mentioned you know, many times already that I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, that movie looks terrible. Or that movie, I've heard the critics said it was terrible. And then they finally watch the movie like, wow, I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that I hear most often is that they liked that it was like, this is what would happen if Superman really just dropped into the world. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Well, your last point there. And, uh, you know, and the one question I also ask, I mean, do they not have comic book heroes in this world? Because, like, I mean, like, if a Superman showed up right now, we'd all be like, yeah, Superman, like, from the comics. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I mean, in this world, they're all like, who is this man? What is he? Is he here for good? Like, obviously, they don't have comic books in, mm-hmm. in DC Universe. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, in the Marvel Universe, they have it where, like, Captain America was a comic book character before people knew who was Captain America, you know? But... I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea better that it's just it's because they've done a good job of even explaining the costumes. You know, 
Uh, yeah. Obviously, we don't get it with Batman in this one, but in the Nolan movies, it's like, why are you dressed like a bat? It's like, bats scare me. I'm hoping to instill a bit of fear in people, and it's theatrics. And So you know, I'm Spider-Man, the- based on that logic. I am actually Spider-Man, because spiders <laughs> scare me, so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, listen your, your to little old lady man. Uh. Yeah, well, l- listen to some of our episode to find out my bizarre fears that Jamie decided to out me on. <laughs> You'll have to dig around for those. Well, man, um, do I have to listen to this crap that we produce? Far out. Yeah, you can listen to Jamie. It makes it a little bit better. <laughs> a couple of things here. Um, after he stops being Superman, the scene he has with Jonathan, which... I love this scene, and I don't care that it's tacked on. It's like, well, why is he actually talking to Jonathan? The Ultimate Edition explains a little bit better what he's yeah. seeing, you know, with Jonathan. But even just the story he tells about the flood, you know, it's like, you know, my my farm was flooded. My family and I, or my dad and I, stayed up all night, you know, building uh, a dam for it, and then redirecting the water. And you know, my mom called me a hero. And the next morning, we find out the neighbor's farm was washed away because of what we did. The lands. The Langs, yeah, Lana. He he screwed Lana Lang. <laughs> yeah, poor Lana. Lana's dead. Kristen, <laughs> she's gone. But it's it's another really subtle thing that sells what's going on here with Superman. That he, you know, was doing the right thing. But sometimes, even in doing the right thing, there can be consequences. Of that that's what this entire story is about. From the sequence in Africa to the thing in the Senate hearing, you know, all the way to the end, it's 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 all stated that. And plus, it's always good to have Kevin Costner back. Like, I I missed not having Marlon Brando in any Superman movies outside of the first Superman. You know, Richard Donner's you know quote unquote cut, which is kind of just a weird piecing together of screen tests and lost footage. You know, that one we got it, but. When you have this, you know, great iconic actor playing a father figure, you miss not having them around. And I felt the same way even when John Schneider was written off of Smallville. Mm. The show just kind of lost something after that. And Martha brings a different element to it. I mean, Kevin Costner is Jonathan Kent. I mean, it's so important. And because we don't have Russell Crowe in this one, you need some type of father figure for him. You know, Where the, is Russell? The mother... Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's at the ship. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing, Russell? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, wouldn't it have been great if that key, because the key that they have, you know, what if he just pop up in the middle of Lex Luthor's training? It's like, who would like to assume control of this ship? I would. It's like, you're not Zod. I've you seen the man be doing that. <laughs> He's got a beard. You don't have a beard. <laughs> but there's another scene that, that does start to raise some questions. <laughs> The one where I just got what you said. What? <laughs> he doesn't have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> but like when Lex appears on the ship and he's using Zod's fingerprints and now we know, you know, why he wanted access to the corpse and all that. Um, the fingerprints obviously activate the ship. Now, in the first movie, we didn't see the fingerprints did anything. <laughs> it's just the key and that's it. And so the fact that he uses these fingerprints and they're basically saying, like, identity confirmed. And then who wants to assume control of the ship? I do. Shouldn't they be asking then, you're not Zod? Like, anybody yeah, exactly. should be, where's Zod? Couldn't, couldn't like, <laughs> the army generals who controlled this before, like, wouldn't they have checked this out before? Yeah, well, the key's right there. <laughs> you don't have a beard? <laughs> But they didn't have the fingerprints. That's the problem. You either have to have a beard or fingerprints, and they won't yeah, let you in. <laughs> yep, that's 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 the secret to Krypton. You don't have a now, beard? Sh- yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> what they should have done 
is he should have passed himself off as Feora. Now, that would have been interesting. Mm, yes. <laughs> Put a wig on him. He'll be all right, right? <laughs> Put a wig on it. <laughs> Put a bead on it. <laughs> but you do have to, because it's aware that he's not that he's not Zod because it starts asking questions like, the Kryptonian Council forbids this thing. Where's the Kryptonian Council? They're not here. Where's General Zod? He's not here. Who are Where's you? The beard? <laughs> Where's the beard? <laughs> Talk to me. You got a beard, buddy. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it doesn't really make sense how he could do all this. Um, I still like the idea that you know we get Doomsday in here. You needed that supervillain, and that's going to pay off later on. Uh, all this leading up is Clark has kind of abandoned the world. Um, there's the training sequence with Ben Affleck, which is why. Where you see why Ben Affleck was the right guy for this role. We have Ooh. never seen a man in that kind of shape. Far and Ben out. Affleck in his 40s to get in that shape. It, it, the funny thing is, is that when Christopher Nolan hired Christian Bale, uh, Christian Bale had just finished a movie called The Machinist. Did you ever see The Machinist? No. Is that the one where he's like skeletal thin or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Christian Bale dropped to 120 pounds. And he had something like, I don't know, a month to two months you know, when they were ready to hire him for the movie, Nolan said, you're the guy we want to go with, but the studio's concerned that they don't think he'll be believable as an action hero. You need to bulk up, and I want you to really bulk up. Christian Bale took it so seriously that over the course of like a month, he bulked up to the point where he looked like what Nolan described as a bear. <laughs> and then they said, well, you're going to have to pull it back down a little bit. You look too big now. And the idea was always like, well, Batman can't be that big. Ben Affleck pulls off the bear look. Like The man looks like a Jesus. grizzly bear in this movie. He is huge. And I'll just say, Jamie, never a fan of Ben Affleck at all. Uh, <laughs> living up to the stereotype of Jamie, <laughs> Ben Affleck appears in this sequence shirtless, dragging giant tires with heavy chains. And she's like, I'm a fan of Ben Affleck now. <laughs> I love Ben <laughs> I worry for you watching these movies sometimes. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, are you just sitting there like, you're just like, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, you know, like if I don't know, shirtless um, Amy Adams comes on. Well, maybe not. Shirtless Holly Hunter came on screen. And you're like, oh yeah, I like Holly Hunter. She'd probably slap you and just be like, get your eyes off that. <laughs> no, the, the funny thing is that I'm not concerned because none of these guys are going to come to Winnipeg or film a movie here. Wait, where's it's Jamie? Right now? Where's Henry it's Cavill? Gonna, where's Henry actually, Cavill? It's gonna happen one day. Like we're gonna get like big one day. We're gonna like Ben Affleck buff well, big. We're gonna end up like Henry interviewing Cavill these. <laughs> we're gonna end up film. having them on the show, and then when it's all of a sudden he's gonna be like, she's gonna be in the background like waiting for you because she wants to meet him, and he's just gonna be like, "Well, hello there, my dear. Hello, I'm Henry Cavill." Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for it because his last movie called Nomis that filmed here in Winnipeg. Is coming out next year, and I'm fully expecting at some point I'm going to see Jamie hanging on him in the background <laughs> and a bunch of uh, PAs dragging her away, kicking and screaming. Let's be honest, she'd become, like, famous because, you know, she would be the, the side person for Henry Cavill, and then all the press would find out that she left her husband and child, <laughs> and then, you know, you'll be the poor little... You'll have all these women swooning all over you, like, oh, we feel so sorry for you, Colin. Uh, I'll be the Jennifer Garner to Ben Affleck and his nanny. That's what I'm yeah. be. <laughs> the Maria Shriver. Uh. <laughs> Not implying anything about Ben Affleck. Just wait until the jewel. We love well, Ben Affleck. You know, let's be honest. If you were the nanny and he looked like that, then that's kind of fine. <laughs> <laughs> wait, if I'm the nanny and Ben Affleck looks like that? Yeah, anyone. Nan, woman, right. vegetable. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> um. 
the last uh, thing that happens here before we really get the Batman versus Superman fight, other than Ben Affleck looking great shirtless like Henry Cavill or anybody else in a DC movie uh, other than Jesse Eisenberg, um, <laughs> Ben Affleck making the kryptonite weapons, which you knew that's where they would have to go with this movie. They would have to introduce kryptonite. That's the only way this is a fair fight. Back when Wolfgang Peterson was you know, working on the Batman versus Superman movie, everybody's line was, well, how is Batman supposed to fight Superman? Well, this is the only way it's going to happen. And he's got a kryptonite-powered suit, too. Like, how come nobody ever thought of that before? Lex Luthor did, actually. But it's cool, <laughs> isn't it? Um, the last speech that Alfred and Bruce Wayne have together, this is one of my favorite you know, uh, exchanges of dialogue for the entire movie because it's all about Alfred. Again, he's not bitter Alfred, but he's he's tired Alfred. <laughs> and he doesn't agree with them, but he's just Needs like, a oh. nap, Alfred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alfred needs a Snickers right now. <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Recut this day with Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> he actually started as Michael Caine. We don't know what happened. <laughs> the Snickers will be Michael Caine by Justice League. We know it. Alfred, you're not you when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. <laughs> he's like, hmm. <laughs> Wait, Jenny, that's who you were this whole time? (laughs) (laughs) Boo, Jenny. (laughs) Uh, This is the speech I talked about earlier where he's talking about criminals are like weeds. You know, you you take one out, another one just grows in his place. And he's talking about why he has to fight Superman. And he he says, this may be the only thing I ever do that actually matters. And in his mind, he firmly believes that. And as an audience member, I think the movie's done a good enough job at, at this point where you're kind of thinking... Well, I kind of see it from Batman's point of view because this is the way the real world would respond. You're starting to think, if this actually happened, is this the way I view it? And I get where Batman's coming from there. You know, this it's guy. It's a one percent scene, isn't it? Is this bit where he says, "If there's only one percent chance that he's that against was, the world," I think that was the earlier scene. But yeah, they're they're both the same scene, basically. Yeah, if there's even a one percent chance, you know, that we have to take that. And yeah, you have to think about that. You know, I mean, do you want to take the risk? Uh, after this, Martha. <laughs> Martha, why did you Close. say that name? <laughs> uh, they're taken. So, Token. what I like about this is that it's kind of going back to the Dark Knight. You know, Batman, you might be able to stop me from killing one person. You won't be able to stop me from killing two. Uh, you find out Lois isn't even there for. I, I like the exchange of dialogue with Lex and Lois here. You know, where she calls him psychotic, and what's that line he has about? That's a three-syllable word. Um, uh, you have the full line that? there. I love that line. It's great. Uh, the, twitchy little it's, bitch legs. <laughs> it's just showing his arrogance. That's why I like I like the arrogance of him. And I like the arrogance because the arrogance isn't really founded. That's what a good villain is, especially, you know, a Mark Zuckerberg like villain, uh, where he's arrogant and you're like, you know, he really has no right to be arrogant, and that's what makes you hate him. Just get a three ahead, people, and by people I mean Ben. Um Shut up, Mark. Shut up. <laughs> he basically drops Lois from a building because, like, this is how I know I'm going to get Superman to come to me. Now, how does he know that he's going to save Lois? I have no idea. Because for all the rest of the world knows, Lois is there in Man of Steel just because she was a reporter. You know? Mm. They don't know mm. anything. Now, having said that, Lex obviously knows he's Clark Kent. He knows Batman is Bruce Wayne. It's probably Which we don't know what, how. <laughs> yeah, we don't know how. But, well, in a way we do. It, it all has to do with the, the scene that's not in this, but it's in the Ultimate Edition. Um, a couple of good lines here. I love you know Lex selling this. Like He's basically Michael Buffer, a ring announcer, 
before a heavyweight fight here where he's saying, you know, it's the greatest gladiator match in history. God versus man, day versus night, son of Gotham versus night of Gotham, or son of Krypton against night of Gotham. <laughs> son of Gotham. <laughs> That's a Ben line right there. <laughs> but I love just the way he sells this fight. And even the the way that he plays off a of Superman and everything, like before he even finds out about Martha, there's this sinister part of him. And it's not sinister as an evil. It's just, it's like, it's a man fueled by just his own arrogance and hatred. And it's just a great combination. This is where Jesse Eisberg really shines, you know, where he's playing the, the super disgusting villain here. And even where he's saying like, you know, you do this and then Martha dies, you do this and then Martha dies. But if you bring me the head of the bat, like, he's the narrator of what the audience is expecting at this point, Batman versus Superman. And I, I, I'm interested to hear what you think about at least him selling this scene. Cause I think that's where he's at his best. Um, <coughs> sorry. Uh, Oh, so another thing to mention here is when Superman does save Lois, how do they still have no chemistry? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> sad. These are two great actors uh, Henry Cavill's had chemistry with everybody he's been on screen with up until now, other than Amy Adams. They have a little bit of chemistry. It's just it doesn't work for the whole love story. And maybe it's just we haven't built the love story. Sometimes one scene is all it takes. And when you look at Richard Donner's Superman, it is a cheesy scene. It's a scene that makes no sense. But when Superman is flying with Lois and she's narrating this poem in her head, just the <laughs> looks they give each other, you get like that they're in love. You don't get it here with clark and lois it's if it just was it, jamie adams uh, it would be different yeah exactly i would understand her love for him at least <laughs> but i just, just ripping his feel- suit off in mid-sky like take it off take it off <laughs> um but in a way it actually works because him having no chemistry with her it's another swerve to the audience you know oh you think this is about saving lois lane no sorry it's about the mom that that's the special lady that lex mentions uh all this leading up to the fight which uh Let's be honest, this fight is fantastic, and there are people who are going to criticize and say, well, it didn't live up to the expectations, it didn't do this. It's a great fight. My only complaint about it is that, like so much of this movie, it all takes place at night, and I would have liked to at least have a few moments of this, uh, a few scenes, shots, that were at least more brightly lit. Uh, That's a minor complaint, because like the fight scene here is great. I love where he's trapping him with the... The, the grenades, uh, the even the things before he reveals his kryptonite weapons. You know, just I always love even in any Superman movie, there's that gauntlet that he runs through in Richard Donner's Superman, uh, which is only in the director's cut of that as well, where it's just, well, how does Superman do this? You have bullets coming at him, they just bounce off his chest, you know? Oh, you have some type of, like, sonic waves, you know, he's blasting something really obnoxious like Justin Bieber or something like that, <laughs> and he just throws... <laughs> What? Throws giant piece of metal to take it out. Whatever that was that was just torturing Superman. I'm sure it was Justin Bieber. Yeah, Justin Bieber. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then when the weapons come out, like the, the kryptonite gas grenades and just the fact that it weakens him. And then there's there's other shots later on in the fight, like where Superman you know, is strong and, and he's punched Batman or he's weakened and Batman's punching him and it's having an effect. And then just slowly you watch the kryptonite wear off and the punches just have less and less effect until basically nothing happens at all. And you hear that dong, like this, that like metal sound. Yeah. Dong. <laughs> <laughs> dong. Not that dong, an actual sound effect of a dong. 
But there's just so many great moments in this fight, you know, where Superman's weak and he's dragging him. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, the kryptonite spear and all that stuff. Um, the the moment where Bruce is getting ready to kill him, he goes, your parents probably taught you that you were here for a reason. You know, I'm going to tell you my parents taught me when they were dying in the gutter and everything. It's just... It, it, it all makes sense logically, and that's what I think works best about this fight, is that you're still not doubting. You're still not like, why is Batman trying to kill him? You know why Batman's trying to kill him. You know, why is Superman, uh, at least earlier in the movie, trying to kill Batman or stop Batman? You know, it's because he, you know, believes that this guy's dangerous. They don't trust each other, but the only thing Clark has to do, of course, is his mother's name, so let's get to it now. Save Martha! <laughs> Which, I just want to say, this is taken on a life of its own, and yeah, I know people who defend this movie will still be like, yeah, that part was really cheesy. But this is a superhero movie, and this is where, you know, this movie was doomed only because it did present it in such a realistic way that when you get this scene that is cheesy, and it is something that is completely out of a comic book, you could take this out of any issue of any Superman, any Batman comic, going back 75, 80 years, and there will be scenes like this. Well, how does he save him? Oh, they have the same first name. I'm not saying that actually happened in the comics, but this is what it usually comes down to in superhero stories, you know? What about and- Spider-Man? Don't tell Harry. You know, it's kind of yeah. like that's the ongoing thing of like, don't tell Harry. Blah. You know, like, yeah. Don't touch MJ. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever because she'll touch you anyway. <laughs> but it gets a lot of criticism, but it's cheesy and it's, it's cheesy in a way that I kind of like. I'm not saying it's the best way to do it, but maybe there is a better way to do it, but it's such a minor thing to base your opinion of the entire movie around is the whole Martha, Martha, which it's already the most misquoted line since I am your father, you know, <laughs> which wasn't the actual line. It's, you know, Luke, I am your father. And in this, it's not Martha, Martha. He says, save Martha. And yeah. he says something else. What's the other one? Uh what about Martha? I don't know. Uh, Save Martha. Why did, you, why did you say that name? Save Martha. Yeah. It's, you know, and first of all, he should be saying save mommy. I mean, he doesn't call well, that's, her well, that's what I've written down. Like, I've written down, like, I mean, that, <laughs> I'll get to that. But, I, like, in all seriousness, I think that kind of, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the scene's fine. And it's cheesy, but that's what comic movies are. And I challenge anybody out there to mention a single comic movie to me that they think is brilliant and have me not come up with a really cheesy moment in this on level with this. Uh, is it the Spider-Man best way 3. to end the fight? <laughs> There's tons. Shut up. You leave that iconic scene alone. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, the second half of this needs to be talked about on its own, but the fight scene, I think it lives up to it for what the fight scene is. I think it lives up to the expectations and I don't really have a lot to complain about with the whole Martha thing. Yeah, um, so just going back, um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, again, the Ultimate Edition stuff going on around these scenes as well, which, I mean, again, my notes here are going to kind of sow those, say those sort of things. Um, just back to the, the Batman training, like, the, I don't want to nitpick for nitpick's sake and all this sort of stuff, but like, the whole, like, Lex going into the spaceship, you know, crafting Doomsday, all this sort of stuff, great, but like, how long has Lex been in the ship, and how does he know? Like, how does Lex know all of this stuff about kryptonite? Like, how it's, does he, you know? Like, I know they've got that video yeah, where they jump. show him. Yeah, let's jump to the end. the The guy that appears inside the ship when they come at the end of the movie, when what is it? The military shows up. Um, yeah, that's Steppenwolf. Which Steppenwolf is 
like I guess one of a the great top. band. <laughs> great band, Canadian band, by the way. <laughs> bon, bon to be wild. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Steppenwolf is kind of like one of the the right hand men to Darkseid, who is like the ultimate villain of the DC universe. And I, I can't remember if Steppenwolf was that it was he was Darkseid's uncle or Darkseid was his uncle, but whatever it is, Steppenwolf kind of commands Darkseid's army. And the idea here is that Steppenwolf is kind of trying to get involved here, and it has a lot to do with the cyborg scene that we saw. I guess we should talk about that, you know, kind of in here as well. Yeah, I was going to mention that because I don't know if you jailed yeah. over that deliberately or, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, when Wonder Woman's opening the files and you yeah. see, you know, the Flash scene, uh, you see the Aquaman, which Aquaman's great. And Aquaman takes so many hits over the years. And I think Jason Momoa is just going to you know, blow everybody away. And he's the total opposite of physically what Aquaman should look like. But he's the right interpretation. Uh, the Cyborg one's the most interesting because that cube that they have in that, the the mother box, that's one of like these incredibly powerful objects that nobody really knows exactly what it is, except that you know it's uh, some type of artificial intelligence thing and that it has incredible power. Uh, it has to do with those mother boxes and Darkseid wanting to get those. Steppenwolf, obviously they have ways to view into this world and he's probably the one that's been feeding Lex all this stuff. And saying, you know, it's most likely going to be, well, you know, this is Clark Kent and this is, you know, Bruce Wayne and this is what you have to do and I need you to do this for me. I mean, he's basically been brainwashed or possessed in a way by Darkseid's forces. Yeah, well, it's, it's just interesting kind of how he goes into that sort of building and it's like the dirty water and he just everything just kind of falls into place. But it's also like, um, how does Bruce know about kryptonite and what that's meant to do like i know he's hacked into lexusing and we don't really get to see a whole lot of that i guess but i mean he gets very lucky it's kind of again sort of what we talked about earlier on it's there's a lot of convenience going on in this plot um but i mean look i shouldn't i like this movie i just wanted to point that out but yeah like the bat the training sequence there like jesus christ like if we all want to you know try and get a body like that like fuck henry cavill's small little hairy rig like i mean <laughs> jesus christ ben affleck that is that is wow um like jesus christ um we also like uh just in that brief little scene this is the first bit where we see that photo isn't it kind of after he's trained we see like Mm -hmm. um him looking at that photo of of diana in uh belgium which again great continuity that chris pines in that photo and then like that is going to be the photo obviously that is taken in wonder woman like i just love Mm -hmm. the way they tile that into it um, and we also get a bit of the Wonder Woman theme, don't we? That mm-hmm. uh, which is a great scene. Well, that's not I love the how... Wonder Woman theme, but <laughs> well, the not Wonder Woman, uh... <laughs> played by the iconic. Um, uh, what did I say? Today was Linda. Uh... Linda God. Spencer. <laughs> Thank you. I was about to say Linda Carter that time. I was about to get it correct. Uh... <laughs> but uh, I love how they keep saying like Alexander Luther. Uh, when he's there, and like Zod's body, I get, I get it, he's an alien, but like, why is it not decomposed? <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, where has it been preserved? Uh, did they embalm him? Is this like, uh, maybe, um... maybe it's taxidermist, a really good taxidermist that specializes in Kryptonian bodies? Perhaps. Um, I like, uh, like they're watching the news with, uh, they're burning the Superman effigy. Burn him! Burn him! Mm. Um, the, yeah, this is a lot of the Ultimate Edition stuff I've written here, but like, I like kind of the pre-Jonathan scene when, um, he's going up the mountain and you've got that guy who's saying like, $20 and I didn't see you. And he just walks straight past him and it's like, what does he want? He's come here to die. Is that meant yeah. to be Mount Everest? Like, is that where he's meant to be? 
Uh, I don't know the exact mountain, but probably something along those lines. <laughs> oh, I thought you had vast mountain knowledge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they never had um, it in the comic book, sorry. I, I like like the scenes. Like, I, it's kind of weird, because like, this is obviously meant to be a new interpretation of Batman. It's not meant to be in the same world, uh, I guess we're assuming, as the Nolan Batman. But I still like yeah. how you've got the burnt-out Wayne Manor. Like, it's mm-hmm. still kind of there, kind of going on to your, like, this is an old you know, Batman, which again, like, the thing that is really surprising, but going back to, I'm just, I'm just entranced by, you know, Ben Affleck's body. Like, he's meant to be old, grained Bruce Wayne, but like, he's still got the rig of all rigs. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, just get over it. Um, I, yeah, the, look, the, the, the one that I have to point out here from the everything wrong with, which is kind of true, like, you know, Clark Superman has a selective Lois radar because he's there to save her falling from the building. Where is he when she's getting kidnapped? Where is he when his yeah. mother's getting kidnapped? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's he doing? Where is he? Does uh, he just wait for a scream? Like, yeah. if she doesn't scream... <laughs> yeah. What if she has laryngitis uh, one day and, like, throws her off the building? Help! Help! <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, Lex on the building, like, I, I like it. I like him more with Clark. Um, just the just the lower stuff irks me. Like I just hate that bit where he's like three syllable word. Like to me, it's not him being arrogant. To me, that's just him being loopy. Like he's just that's the bit where to me, like this is where Jesse Eisenberg overplays him. Psychotic. He's more Joker here. This is more what Heath Ledger's kind of doing. Like you know, you know how I got these scars. Like he's just rambling for rambling's sake. And that's what I don't like about his interpretation of Lex. The stuff when he's talking to Clark, I like. Like, that to me, when he's being over the top and he's all like, Cal L, Clark Joseph Kent. You know, mm-hmm. just the way, like, he's going on. That's Lex Luthor. But um, I-, I do love the way he just, like, shoves her off the building. What is Lois expecting at this point? He's on a, She's on a skyscraper with a guy who's kidnapped her, who she knows has, like, orchestrated this plot because somebody bought groceries. So, like, she knows what he's capable of. And what, you're standing right near the edge of a building? If I'm on that building, I'm making sure I'm in the centre of that building right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I just point out, Metropolis, again, been pretty well built after 18 months. Just want to clear that up again. <laughs> <laughs> Superman um, must have been pitching in. They, they seriously, how do they get the money? Because it's about to get destroyed again in about 10 minutes. So, like, mm. it's kind of... Poor Metropolis. Um, but, yeah, just the the soup uh, scene here uh, with with Lex. Uh, yeah, I like it. I do like the way he's kind of going on and just get megalomaniac sort of over-the-topness. This is what Lex Luthor is. Um, and then just when he shows the ma- the photos of uh, of Martha and he drops to his knees and, like, what have you done for her? What does she know? Where is she? Like, his oh, eyes his eyes red. red. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um, and, like, this is, again, Superman, like, you know, you, you kind of, he's the good guy. Like, he's not just going to willingly kill Lex right at this point, which he could do. He could just grab him, snap his neck, and then, I don't know. Why Why does he know where she is? Like, he knows when <laughs> Lois is falling. He knows, like, all these other yeah. moments. Like, why doesn't he know? <laughs> like Because Martha's not a- screaming. She's been gagged. True. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like this whole setup, you know, bring me the head of the batch. And like, as you said, kind of like the, the sort of prize such fighter. such a good line. I, I love that. Bring me the head of the bat. That's just awesome. Yeah. And then like, also, um, I'll get to the setup here of Batman v Superman, but uh, this is, yeah, this is the bit with the, um, when we, you've now got Diana with the email. Um, I, I do like the, the, the email when he's like scrolling, when she's scrolling through it, like it is you, who are you? Where have you been? 
um, you know, from Bruce Wayne. Which, again, can we just point out, Bruce Wayne is emailing Diana, right? In about 10 minutes' time, we're going to get the line of, is she with you? I thought she was with you. Uh, you know who she is, Bruce. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a great well, line. It's fantastic. It's a brilliant line. We love it. But, like, in context, it's kind of a don't put baby in the corner line. It's got no context. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this whole, yeah, like this is, I think a lot of what we were waiting for in terms of this, we knew coming into this, we were going to get a teaser and they're great little scenes. Like I, I see people rip shit into them. Like, Oh, we get introduced to them in an email attachment. Like what more do we want? Like, well, you know, would it make sense to have him go and shake hands with each one on their home turf? I mean, we get that in the Justice League trailer. Exactly, Does that exactly make that's sense what Justice here? League is. But that's what yeah. Justice League is. Like, this isn't Justice League. This is Batman v Superman. We're getting a teaser of them. That's all we need. Mm. Like, I mean, you know, look at Spider-Man Homecoming. With kind of like we were kind of skeptical about how the Iron Man was going to play into it. But then you get random Captain America cameo. I mean, that's all you need. Like, it's just a bit of fun. It's a bit of a nod to it. So, like, yeah. why do we need anything more? I don't get why people complain about this. I think it's fucking fantastic. You know, we see the Flash, obviously, you know, saving the robbery. We see Aquaman, like, in a ship doing his thing. He's got a beard. Like, they would recognize him on uh, <laughs> the Krypton ship. <laughs> you if have he had a been beard. Been all there, it's like, General Zod, your beard's grown. <laughs> And cyborg as well, and the the dude who is um the the doctor guy with the cyborg. Sure. That's the same. Is that the same actor from Terminator Two? The one yeah. who's like, yeah, I I think that was pointed out in the honest trailer. And I'm like, it is too. The guy who like created the the what Skynet or whatever it is. So yeah, um, you know, he's just he's got a bad habit with creating artificial intelligence. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> He's in the Matrix too somewhere, um, but yeah, I just, I just, it's a great little scene. It really is. Um, and then this is, uh, I love how like this is Batman setting this up again. It's a bit of convenience. Like he's put the bat symbol up. He set all these little traps up. Uh, you know, fair enough. But like, yeah, this is what we've all been waiting for. Meanwhile, we've also been waiting for uh, uh, what's her name, Lois, to get the chopper to Gotham. Get to the chopper uh, and sh- <laughs> stupid Jenny. Which- <laughs> Why does Perry let her go when she's like, it's not for a story? Oh, yeah. it's personal. Okay. Well, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. This chopper is going to cost us a couple thousand dollars for your flight to Gotham. But since it's just, you know, for personal issues, I guess it's okay. I wish I could have done that in the newspaper. It's not for work. It's personal. I'm getting yeah. a bunch of guys. We're getting pissed on a helicopter for a buck's night. Oh, that's fine. Off you go. Like... You and Noah could go off on your road trip in a helicopter. <laughs> <Chris and> Mercury. <laughs> yeah, I've ridden it a day. Uh, but yeah, just this whole sequence. I mean, this is what we've all, and this is again, people criticize this. Oh, you've been waiting for it for all this time for a total sequence of eight minutes. Like, fuck off. Like, like in what world do we honestly think Batman v Superman is literally going to be these two fighting to death? If you yeah. went into this movie assuming that one of these is going to kill the other, then you're a dickhead. These are like and- the two most iconic superhero characters in the history of superheroes. And yet you think one of them's going to kill the other? Like, oh, oh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, Iron Man's actually going to kill Peter Parker. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, we want that. Like, fuck off. But not to mention, when you have somebody of Superman's powers against Batman, who has no powers, yeah. how long is this fight supposed to last? Exactly. And you've got two, two things are going to happen here. Superman's going to kick his ass because he's Superman, and he's going to kick because Batman's got no superhero superpowers, or... He's got the one weakness of Superman. He's just going to kill him by stabbing him. It's that simple. And the thing is, is that Civil War is kind of the Marvel comparison of this. That I do love that Honest Trailers, 
when they put out Civil War, they're like, you know, it's a Marvel movie. Everybody thinks it's a masterpiece, but nobody's willing to admit has just as many flaws as Batman versus <laughs> Superman. In fact, it's the exact same flaws. And I guarantee the big fight scene you have of, you know, Captain America's team versus Iron Man's team, that's probably eight minutes right there. Like, it's, uh, the- you don't need anything bigger. I think it is because I think when you gave me the timestamp when we were doing the lead up to mm-hmm. Homecoming, it was it wasn't that long. So you're right. Uh, I do. I mean, the one thing I have to say from the Australia, which I think is funny, when they're like they put everything into it except the kitchen sink. Oh wait, no, there's yeah. the sink. <laughs> <laughs> like he throws the sink at him. Um, but yeah, just this whole line of the whole, you know, as you say, like uh, my parents taught me dying gun and all this sort of stuff, and um, you know, Lois conveniently lands at the same time he's about to, you know, get to it, but. Yeah, like, I just do not understand the hate for this scene. Like, you get it, it's cheesy, sure. But, like, I remember seeing this in the movie, like, oh, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, you know, yeah. like, not, no point am I thinking, oh, God, Martha, how cheesy. And, like, and it's probably more like you're sitting there going, wait a second, his mom's name is Martha, too. I get it. Literally, literally, I did. Because yeah. I'm like, hang on a minute, they are, too. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, Good, good writing. I get it. Um, but like, what is he meant to say? Like, save mummy. Like, I mean, yeah, like, exactly. it's even going to be worse. Or even save my mother. Like, why does he want to save his mother? Like, what effect does that have? Like, okay. you can argue, and I think they kind of do argue in the everything wrong with. They're like, this is a guy who five minutes ago was like, if there's even a one percent chance this guy is bad, we have to stop him, and he caves in for the pure fact that he mentions his name, and that's why they say it's stupid. I think it like it's got no more effect than him saying the name. Like, if he says, "Save my mother," it's, save her. It's humanizing it, him too is he's thought of him as this, you know, really dangerous alien, and then when you realize. Wait, wait, your mother, because at first it's just throwing them off. It's like, let's think about it this way. I mean, you know, not to get dark or anything, but both of our mothers passed away recently. You know, mm. if you're fighting a superhero battle or whatever, <laughs> whatever your power has been. <laughs> Laziness. And, yeah. And you know, you're, you're, you're about to kill the villain you think is the ultimate villain. And they say, save, you know, your mother's name. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be sitting there going, what are you talking about my mama for, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you realize, like, no, 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 he because he gets angrier there. He's like, why'd you say that name? That's yeah. what you're thinking. And then all of a sudden when Lois comes and says, that's his mother's name, that's where he's like, oh, this humanizes him. He's Wait a, a second. Yeah. He's got a mother. He's not this evil alien. And this is the thing, too, like... The acting here, let's point it out. Both of them, Henry Cavill, like, just great. Ben Affleck, great. Even though it's, like, played over the topness. You know, why did you say that name? And, like, sure, we're making fun of it. But, like, in all seriousness, it's great. Like, I mean, you've got the photo on your Skype, your Skype name there. Like, he's got half of his mask is being ripped off. So, we actually get to see a bit of his eye. So, like, I, I just, you know, I just don't understand why people hate on this so much at this point. Um, it's just, again, going over everything I've said a lot in this movie, like, people just seem to want to hate this movie for the sake of hating this movie. Yeah. And I just don't understand it. Like, I am a person who tried to defend the Peter Parker emo scene. Like, and all jokes aside, like, I, I think it's got Terrible. its place. But I can still see why people rip shit into yeah. it. Like, I'm not that completely stupid that I'm thinking it's the best thing of it. Die Another Day. I like Die Another Day. But I believe me, I can see why people think it's stupid. I logically can see that. I just don't see why people think this is stupid. I just don't think it's as bad as people point it out to me. So, yeah, I love it. And I just think it kind of connects. It sets us up for the rest of the movie. And and just the one thing I want to say, too, just, like, I like kind of the interchangeable shots we get here with Diana, like, on the plane. And, like, she's about to obviously come here as Wonder Woman. It's great. Um, and then also just the point I think we pointed out earlier, when he, like, lands and bef- he's, like, trying to talk to Batman about, like, you know, hey, we're going to save my mum. 
Like, you know, Bruce, you've got to listen. Like, how do you know this is Bruce? <laughs> like, yeah. I want, I want him to turn around at this point going, Clark, you've just got to wait. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> oh, no. What if you... Bruce, listen. Why did you say that name? <laughs> Why did you say that name? I'm not Bruce. I'm, I'm, I'm Dave. <laughs> Dave Wayne. I'm Adam. Adam is my name. <laughs> Adam Wayne. <laughs> Adam West. I'm Adam West. Yes, that's me. Uh, anything else you want to talk about on the fight scene before we get to the climax? No, I mean, I, I'm guessing you're going to... Uh, of course, you'll cover the, the epic Batman scene we're going to get here with the Russian. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean... I think people genuinely did love what Ben Affleck did as Bruce Wayne and everything he did up until now. But that's the scene that sold them on it because it wasn't just, you know, Batman in the shadows and branding a guy or Batman in a Batmobile, you know, saying, do you bleed? This was like a Batman scene. This was a Batman fight scene. And this is where we get to see how the Ben Affleck Batman is different from the Christopher Nolan. It's just the fighting style. And it's very similar to Superman. It's a lot of fast movements, but it's like clear to watch. And uh, it's like Batman on a mission too, where, you know, I I like the scene as much as people make fun of the Martha thing, where he's basically saying, listen, I promise you Martha won't die. Like I'll save Martha. You know, obviously Superman has to go off and do his own thing. Uh, Why he couldn't just fly in there and blast these guys to pieces and then still fly to Lex's ship. I don't know. He had plenty of time when he got there, but you know, he's throwing a bone to Batman. He's like, all right, I'll trust you. Um, the fight scene's great with the Russians. The R-rated moment, I think, is the one moment in uh, th- that's added to this where he stabs him kind of below the belt, if I remember right, or cuts him below the belt. Do I have that right? I mean, look, I, I to be honest with you, the whole sequence kind of all gelled into me. I didn't notice one scene when he does that. I mean, yeah, I, that's kind of when you said to me, that's the R-rated scene. I thought it was when the word fuck was mentioned, but like I yeah. wasn't assuming that this was a scene. I just thought this was the same scene in the, in the theatrical release. Ultimate edition is just a little bit more violent and that's all the R rating was. Um, but I mean, the action sequence is fantastic and getting Alfred involved. Alfred's finally not tired again. He's rejuvenated. He's had his Snickers. <laughs> <That> is Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> he's feeling good. He's feeling lively. And he has that great line where it's like, you know, I'm essentially a lot of activity right now on the third floor. Why don't I drop you off on the second floor? <laughs> it's just, it's fun. Alfred. I think, I think there's also the, I don't think it's in the theatrical one compared to the, the ones I was watching, but there's a little line there when, uh, he says, I don't deserve you, Alfred. And he's like, I know, or something like that. Just sweet little line between yeah. The two of them Aww. we get to see alfred for everything he is i mean there's the line i think it's in batman forever which i think is an underrated batman movie um yeah. batman forever where val kilmer is talking about alfred and he goes oh you know he's uh uh my butler he's my father figure he's my mechanic and you Lava. get the impression like alfred can do everything we don't get that with michael kane and michael kane has a couple of scenes where he's kind of tinkering with something but for the most part he's just there to give advice here alfred is you know, funny fairy bubble bottle, whatever he's saying. <laughs> he's fixing his voice thing. You know, he's uh, helping with the kryptonite weapons. He's still being that voice of reason, but he's also a drone pilot. I mean, this is like Alfred's in the fight. And I don't think you could have pulled this off with Michael Caine. I don't think you could take him the same way. And Jeremy Irons somehow works differently. I just, I, I love the way that he can get involved in this. And this movie finds a way to involve everybody. And even with Lois, I mean, I do have big questions as to why, you know, when Doomsday appears in this next scene, uh, why Batman basically spends the entire climax standing around outside yeah, of the building. he doesn't do anything. <laughs> He's he filming knows, it for his website. Gotta, I'm going to put yeah, this on Batblog. 
tonight on Bat Blog, the search for the spear. <laughs> He's doing like Peter Parker at Homecoming. He's like filming himself, like, look behind me. Doomsday's fighting Superman and Wonder Woman. <laughs> Pretty cool, isn't it? Stay tuned for more. Batblog.com. Hashtag Batblog. <laughs> have you seen have you seen um Bat Dad on Facebook or whatever his name is? He's so funny. There's just his dad who just puts on a Batman mask and speaks like Batman and he just like rips oh, yeah, shit into his kids. He's so funny. That that this is Bruce Wayne in this scene right now. <laughs> I would love it if that's what Ben Affleck was doing to his kids right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doing to the people but who look Daddy, after his kids. Why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? <laughs> well, he actually, he did that. Like, on a side note, he um, he is actually quite funny, Ben Affleck, because I think it was on the Warner tours. It was like, his, I've done the Warner tour, and there's, there is a bit, like, a, you go into a shed and there's, like, movie props. And I remember when I went there, they had, like, the Christopher Nolan Batmobile in there. But, like, I think there was one of the ones recently in the lead-up to this where uh, they kind of, like, they trolled some tour guides. So, like, they had sort of, obviously, they have a, a rubber-suited Batman in the Batmobile so people can take photos of it. But he actually sat down there all day. So, like, when people went up to take a photo, he, like, quickly turned his head and was like, hello. And it was, like, actually Ben Affleck, like, just being there for the fans. It was quite funny. Um, I want to talk about the creation of Doomsday here because I think this is the other great scene that Jesse Eisenberg has you know, he's got so much good dialogue, and this is where I, I really wish people would give more credit, even if they don't want to give credit to the execution or the acting or whatever else. Give credit to the script. I mean, this is a really solid script, and the dialogue's incredible. And I, I'm, I'm not going to give David Goyer the credit for that. I and mean, when they brought on Chris Terrio, this is the guy who wrote Argo, you know, one best picture, he probably was responsible for a lot more of this, like, Lex dialogue and everything. But, I mean, there's so many great lines in here, you know, where he's. Uh, saying like you know uh, uh, if what is it uh, if if God can't kill him then the devil will do it or whatever. I love Jesse Asberg's acting here. This is if he had played the entire role like this, I don't think there would be any criticism of him. You know these scenes as you said with Clark. I mean, great chemistry between Henry Cavill and Je- Jesse Eisenberg as well. Um, the 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 whole creation of Doomsday. This was another thing they got criticism for. This proves that they were just looking to criticize before this movie even came out. Because so much criticism when the second trailer came out and it showed a shot of Doomsday. And people were like, well, they can't believe they spoiled that. Well, they'd kept it secret up until now. So give them the credit they actually kept it secret and didn't announce it right away. Most movies will go right out there and they'll announce from the beginning. We're going to have Doomsday in this movie. I mean, we've known for how long every time Thanos is going to be in a Marvel movie, even if it's not Josh Brolin or whoever is playing it, Oh, yeah, Thanos is going to appear in this one. Oh, yeah, and this guy's going to appear in this. I mean, they tell you everything. It's almost like people were getting upset just because they kept it secret up until the trailer came out. But whereas the first trailer was about selling, you know, this interesting idea of the the world may reject Superman because, you know, he's a false god or whatever. And this whole feud between Batman and Superman. The second trailer was about the coming together of the Justice League, the dawn of justice. And that shot of Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman all together. you know, mm. And then the explosion that, that comes up, which is in this scene too, which is amazing, where Wonder Woman first appears and her theme plays again. Um, Wonder Woman! She's <laughs> like, Wonder Woman! Uh, <laughs> how could you have had that trailer and not shown what they were up against? What were they supposed to show? Lex on the other side of this? A big explosion, <laughs> then Jesse Eisenberg's there yeah jenny lex is feeding jenny a little cherry candy and a big explosion comes out like and then all of a sudden i thought she was with you the trailer needed to sell you this trio of the the justice league heroes 
And you're not going to do that by showing Lex Luthor on the opposite side. So what else were you supposed to show? And for me, I know as soon as I saw that, every time the trailer you know, uh, came on, I'm like, oh, watch this. There's something really exciting at the end. And I wouldn't spoil it for people, but that's almost like the moment in the theater when you get a surprise. You can still have those in a trailer. I'm glad they kept it quiet as long as they did because it was fun that it was revealed in the trailer. And even better, that the doomsday we see come out of this, it's basically like this slimy creature and that it eventually just sheds its skin and has all like the 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 bone I don't know spikes or whatever coming out like the classic comic book doomsday we get that in here you know they yeah. keep a bit of the idea that you know it's it's kind of like kryptonian bread or whatever and in a way they they change it they kept some of the connection to zod and all that but i mean i, I would love that they have doomsday in here and it doesn't disappoint for the fight as much as you wanted batman versus superman this movie was just as much telling, especially here in the last act, telling the Superman, the death of Superman storyline. And you know, I don't care who you are, if you've never read a comic in your life, you at least could probably identify the Death of Superman cover because it's the most you know uh, purchased comic book in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, do you, I don't know how old you were when it came out, but do you remember when that came out and what a big deal that was? I I don't know. I, I, I don't really have many memories of comic books coming out, but I, I do know the cover you're talking about. Like, I have seen that cover. Like It was everywhere. I mean, you know, People Magazine, Time Magazine. Like, I remember the news that night. You know, my mom's watching the news, and they're talking about the death of Superman. And as a kid, I'm thinking, Superman's dead for sure. And they actually waited, like, a year to bring him back in the comics, which was another fantastic storyline. But it's such an iconic storyline, and even though it's only like 15, 20 minutes of this movie, I feel like they find a way to make it work, where a lot of other movies wouldn't by just cramming extra stuff in there. Like, the, And it's partly because there's not a lot of depth to the Doomsday character. He's only there to kill Superman. Um, I think I kind of knew as soon as Doomsday appeared where this story was going, but I like how they get there. You know, we get to see the Just League all fighting together. We get to see their individual use of powers. Wonder Woman's fantastic in this. I, I can't tell you how many people saw this. And then the first reactions I was seeing was like, wow, Wonder Woman was fantastic. And there was so much skepticism with her coming in. And just the fact that they could have her barely speak. Just if she's a physical presence. And the way they incorporate her in the action. I mean, Jamie and I talk about it again in the review episode. They don't film this like a woman in an action sequence. You know, a lot of times they try to make like feminine movements and everything like that. She just goes out there and she fights. Yeah. And you, we get to see her use the lasso on Doomsday, which is great. You know, uh, like he's out telling her... the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I shaved my beard you... for this fight. <laughs> Why did you say that name, Doomsday? Why did you say that name? <laughs> it's my mother's name too, okay? Now, hang on, hang on. Hey, do that properly, Colin. Why did you say that name, Doomsday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I mean, that, that whole scene where it's like, I thought she was with you. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but it's it's hilarious. Yeah. And I guess in a way you could explain it like Batman saying like, who are, he's still asking, who are you? Where did you come from? He may have thought she was Kryptonian at this point for all he knew. All he knows is that, well, she has some type of powers, you know, who knows what the connection is. Um, he hasn't had a chance to watch all those videos that closely. <laughs> he was a busy <laughs> man. He was, you know building his kryptonite weapons and bulking up to the size of a grizzly bear. <laughs> but, like, the Doomsday fight's great, and we get to see everybody use their powers. A couple of shots of Batman. I mean, let's be honest, there's not much you're going to do with Batman in here. You know, he's flying a plane for part of it. I like the thing when he's using his grappling hook, basically just to have Doomsday chase him, which makes sense. Uh, nuking Doomsday, another great shot. I don't know how they thought it was going to work. Let's nuke him. They know nothing about Doomsday. Obviously, you'd assume you can nuke anything, and it should be dead. But uh, 
we get another cameo there from uh, Carol Ferris, who's you know the Green Lantern's girlfriend who thought Superman was hot. So she must have been really disappointed well, when she's they said we're gonna- crying, wasn't she? Is she the one that's yeah. like crying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, natural reaction. She's like, he was so hot. <laughs> I'm only going out with the Green Lantern. I want Superman. <laughs> and I get the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. <laughs> uh, there's a great moment with Alfred where Batman doesn't know what's going on when Doomsday's like appearing. And Batman says, what's happening, Alfred? And he's just like, how best to describe it? And it just cuts <laughs> yeah. away after that. <laughs> it's just a great moment. Dick Alfred, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really, this is what I'm talking about. Like the, you get the triple team up for the death. They all have to do their part. Uh, Batman really should be going after the spear. He even says, "I need to get the spear." And then we just watch him stand there. There are moments where he's not dodging Doomsday. He's just watching Wonder Woman and Superman fight, and standing there. Yeah, he's doing Batblog. <laughs> and meanwhile, Lois has to get the spear. But it's all towards this moment, and this is why you can't criticize the the darker Superman here, because it's about this moment where, you know, he saves Lois, he gets the spear, and I like that Lois basically had to save him. Like she had a part in this climax, and it maybe would have been a little bit better if she got the spear completely, um, but it needs to be about Superman saving somebody. You can't go so far into, you know, every character needs their hero moment. I mean, Lois Lane, nobody wants Lois Lane to be the hero of the story. They want Superman to be the hero. So for him to take the spear and basically say, you know, I love you, and that's all he says, and he just flies straight into Doom's, like, he knows he's dying there. And this is tying together everything of, you know, the mother saying, you don't owe these people anything. Um, the the Senate thing, you know, I could have stopped it, but, you know, I, I didn't see it, but should I have seen it? Uh, the thing about, you know, your father, uh, you know, I was living out a farmer's dream, all those scenes leading up to him just sacrificing himself. And they do it so much justice again from the comics. Like Superman just goes out saving the world because the only way he can kill Doomsday is to basically die himself in the process. It's such an epic ending. Uh, all the other scenes after this, I mean, we'll have to talk about this separately, but like the Batman versus Superman thing, like that's amazing. But this climax of the movie totally blows away even the fight between Batman and Superman. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, just I want to quickly say the the Batman with the Russian stuff, fantastic. Like, I mean, you know, I think that is one thing that I think you might have mentioned there that even the haters of this film think it's epic. Um, and I, I I really like um, Callum Mulvey here when he's like, you know, drop it, I'll kill her, I'll do it. Like, he's actually quite good with his Russian accent, the way he kind of does it. Um, and, and then, then the way Bruce was like, he, I believe you. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> like, oh, it's so cool. Um, just the the little line between um Batman and and Martha, you know, I'm with, I'm a friend of your son. It's yeah, like, I figured the cape. cape. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that little line. Uh, so good. Uh, still better chem- chemistry there between Ben Affleck and um Diane Lane than Amy <laughs> Adams and Henry Cavill. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, the the whole. The the birth of, of Doomsday. What does he say? Like, the that'll be the cook. Like, when it goes ding. Like, that's kind of cool. Um, and then when, yeah, we get Doomsday out. Um, just the the fight from there. Like, I like how kind of everyone's just starts shooting. All the planes come in. Let's be honest. Like, the, the DC Extended Universe, I think whoever, like, is the main person behind all of this, maybe it's just DC in general, they really hate helicopters. 
because yeah. I mean it's kind of a trope in Suicide Squad that like a helicopter gets blown up every five seconds. Uh, mm-hmm. This one like literally destroys about thirty helicopters in the space of two seconds. Um, so Can we also like just to add to that, you know, yeah, a lot of helicopters are destroyed, but coming off of the criticism of Man of Steel, which was a city gets destroyed. And even worse, the Avengers one leading into even Age of Ultron, where they're like, we're not going to just have cities being destroyed anymore. So they take it to a small town in some foreign country. They said, let's just destroy a small town in a foreign country. That's more acceptable. There was so much criticism. They found a way to do this climax where they're like, it's an abandoned area. There's nobody there. And that actually helps, I think, make it just like a personal fight. Well, we get a lot of those lines, don't we, when he crashes back to Earth. Crashed on such an island. It's uninhabited. Oh, okay, that's good then. But I mean, yeah, still, there are buildings... you over and over. <laughs> there are still buildings getting destroyed here. I mean, like, Paul Metro... But they do, like, deliberately say, like... Like, when um, Diana's on the plane and she's watching the news. It's like, oh, luckily everyone's gone home from work today. Because, you know, city the size of Metropolis. No one's in downtown that Nobody time of night. night shifts, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know. But can I just point out, like... The whole nuke scene, like, I love this film, but, like, again, just nitpicking here, like, the president's on the line, their first reaction, they've literally seen this guy for about all of ten minutes, he's up into space, let's nuke him! Like, I mean, this is Donald Trump on the other side of the line right now, and, like, they're quick to launch that, you know, the, the implications here, like, it's okay, you know, it's in space, it won't do anything bad, like, nah, the radiation probably won't fall back to Earth. You know, the people on the International Space Station, they're probably on the other side of the planet right now. Uh, And let's be honest as well, like, you know, there's a lot of people questioning should Superman exist. Yeah, you're nuking Doomsday, and yeah, it's like, oh, there will be one casualty Superman. Superman survives this, and just, like, Superman should be pissed off right now. Like, he got nuked. (laughs) Like, it's like, (laughs) fuck you, US government. trying to help. I'm going to fight for Australia. They don't nuke me. Like, come on. Like, there's surely got to be a part of him here who's slightly a bit miffed off at this. Um, but I, I do like the scene when he's in space and kind of his face is all, like, deformed and then, like, the oh, yeah. sun, like, will will get him there. So, yeah. But, like, just, I mean, really to add kind of, I mean, just the arrival of Wonder Woman, you know, like, just... Great. And, like, yeah, again, the line doesn't make sense, but it's still amazing. You know, I thought she was with you. You know, it's kind of like people say these films are devoid of humour. Like, come on. That was played to death in the trailer. It was so epic. Um, And it's kind of like what you were saying about, like, I agree with you, the trailer's like, what are they going to reveal and all sort of stuff? I mean, think about The Force Awakens. Was it the second trailer when we get the Chewie, we're home? Like, everybody lost their shit at that scene, and that's just the last couple of seconds. We know Han and Chewie are in it. But we're going to see it, aren't we? So it's yeah. kind of like, it's just, it's amazing to see that when you first see it. Um, I do like, again, Clark's selective hearing of when Lois is in trouble of the bang, 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 like she's stuck under the, the thing. But like, what is Batman doing like at this point? Like, seriously. He's going to be the same in Justice League, like The Flash, you know, Aquaman. They're all doing their thing. And Batman just, you know, this week on Batblog, I've introduced yeah. new characters. <laughs> this guy's called The Flash. He's really fast. This is Aquaman. No one really likes him, but he's got a beard and he's in the water. He's uh, got a beard. Cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but just this whole fight sequence is awesome. And just, yeah, the, the spear and then you get stabbed and, oh, he's dead. And I love the little look that uh, Wonder Woman gives, you know, that kind of little sad little smirk. And she looks gorgeous, like, let's be honest. Um, but I mean, is Doomsday just not the lizard from The Amazing Spider? Is this Kurt Connors? 
because uh, <laughs> he kind of does look like Reese Iphens here. Um, but so do they now keep um, uh, Doomsday's body like in a <laughs> the same containment that they did with well, Zod? <laughs> interesting, you bring that up because uh, I don't know if it was Zack Snyder or uh, somebody else involved in the movie that when this came out said Doomsday's not done. Doomsday will be back, which I mean, you got to no, they're going to do something and, you know, whether it's a sequel or a spinoff or something like that, like Doomsday's too big of a villain for this to be it for him, but they're obviously preserving his body if, you know, they want to yeah. bring him back. The, the one thing I want to quickly add, um, there's a, the robot chicken scene where it's kind of, I think it's like Superman or something at a funeral and he's speaking at someone's funeral and then all of a sudden he's like, no, it's Batman and he all of a sudden he's like, stops and he's all like, oh, let's be honest, why are we all mourning and we know he's going to be brought back to life in about three months. It's like, you know, you over there were killed two weeks ago, you were killed a month ago, I was killed even two days ago and yet here we are. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, and look, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know this is where the storyline was going having not read the comics. So to me, like when he gets stabbed and he dies, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, sure, he's not dead, <laughs> like you know. But like just the way they play it off from this point. But um, yeah, just it's so well done. The visual effects are amazing, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just uh, yeah, an epic, epic end to the film. And a couple last scenes here. You know, the Daily Planet's morning, uh, the Night of Terror, Morning of Loss. <laughs> it's a great title. Uh, Superman dead. Uh, the Clark and they open it up and it says Clark Kent killed in battle or whatever. <laughs> Nobody's asking questions now. Yeah, I've got questions about like like how do they have two bodies here? Like, <laughs> do they chop Clark in half so they got half in the Superman um, casket? And I, I want to freeze it to see what the article actually is saying because it is implying that he died in this Metropolis battle included Doomsday and Batman and Superman. Or is implying it was the Senate bombing because he's been gone since before the Senate bombing. So yeah. what are they like? What are they expecting he was doing for like three weeks after that? Yeah, I I, I don't know, but uh, I mean it's kind of you know like this is a the age old debate about the Superman Clark Kent persona, isn't it? And the fact that all he does is wear glasses and wears his hair slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, I think it's, um, it's you know the death of poor Clark, and even then he's obituary is tiny, isn't it? In the like we yeah. mourn the loss of one of our own. No, you don't. He's only like been tiny. there for what. 18 months too like i've never been if i'm in a job for 18 months they're probably going to send out a you know company-wide email say sorry sorry to tell you but there's a passing of calling yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i was in the mood for about 18 months i don't yeah colin's dead sorry who wants his job (laughs) (laughs) the show must go on um there's also the mention there about lex being arrested for connection with the bombing uh for nothing else really (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Not like creating, you know, this monster that terrorized the city and that made them nuke space and <laughs> the death of Superman. Basically, the person who caused them to nuke, like, this is what, the first time they used nuclear weapons since World War Two. in, like, you know, like, I love how they just gelled over. I really love how the fact that they're just nuked, like, yeah. something, <laughs> and it's just gelled over. Ah, oh, it's fine. It's all good. It's a nuclear bomb. No worries. <laughs> the rain's green for some reason, but we'll be okay. <laughs> I, I do really like the final scene with Lex in prison, uh, and we get them shaving his head, which was, it's cool. That was the first image they released of Jesse Eisenberg in this movie was him with the shaved head, and that was like the you know the, the last thing we really see in there. Um, the scene where Batman appears there, and you know he's saying you know he's coming or whatever. Obviously, that's referring to Darkseid or maybe Steppenwolf. In the Ultimate Edition, you get to see Steppenwolf. Uh, so we already know based on the trailers he's going to be the villain in the Justice League movie. Uh, the funeral, 
little bit of a tacked on thing with the whole proposal. <laughs> oh, Clark had this here sent for you. It's a wedding ring. Um, but a way to tie together the um, the you know storyline of Clark and Lois being married. You know, again, that comes from the comics, probably around the same time period as well. Uh, the whole funeral with Bruce Wayne being there. Like, is there nobody in? smallville wondering what bruce wayne is doing and why he's one of only six guests like there's no perry there there's no doug stamper jenny's <laughs> nowhere to be seen but yet Fuck bruce me. wayne his bff shows up yeah it's i mean well again clark didn't know who he was so people in smallville don't know who he is so <laughs> <laughs> who is that handsome man <laughs> <sighs> but i mean the, the funeral scene's fine it sets up the Justice League movie, you know, having to find everybody out there. How do you know there's others? Oh, just a hunch or whatever. Uh, the last shot, of course, being the big one, which it's still funny that some people miss. Like, I've talked to multiple people who've been like, oh, well, Superman's dead. You know, how is he supposed to come back? And I'm like, he's not dead. Watch the end of the thing. Like, the dirt levitates. And I, I know it's very subtle, but do you remember the shot in X-Men 3? Or I don't know if you even saw X-Men 3. I haven't seen X-Men 3, actually, I will say. Okay, well, the movie ends with, I'll spoil it for you, Magneto loses his powers, but he's playing a game of chess at the end, and you just see one piece move a little bit on its own. It's very subtle, but I just love the way they do that, and it's similar here where, like, the dirt just levitates a bit off of, you know, the the casket at the end. Obviously, where the storyline's going for this, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read the comics. You know, the Superman Live storyline lasted for a year, and from what I've seen of Justice League, they're including a lot in there. We've finally seen the first trailer of Justice League that features, you know, Henry Cavill in it. And it looks like it's, I don't know, I don't know like a dream sequence or a flashback. Who knows what it is? But he is going to be in the movie. Uh, I think that the end of this movie is so important. It really does. It's the only thing that really sets up the DC universe. And this is where you were saying, you know, DC is definitely setting a lot of things up, but they're not cramming it down your throat. And it's really one moment. It's this death of Superman. You know, I mentioned the beginning of Suicide Squad where they talk about, you know, the, the world changed when Superman flew across our sky and then it changed again when he didn't. Uh, wonder when we get little mentions and stuff like that. It's just, it's the perfect way to set this whole thing up. Like, it's all about Superman. And that's what makes Justice League more exciting is that they went this way with Batman versus Superman. You know, that now we're left without him. What are we going to do now? Because I think if you just have Superman going into it, it's it's an easy way to just, well, you've got Superman. There's no way you're going to lose. But yeah. last couple scenes, I mean, I don't, really love the whole proposal thing but i'll wait and see where they're going with the justice league uh it was a great final shot and the subtlety of it's really good where with the dirt levitating and this is another one of those things that when i walked out of it you know between uh seeing the visions that they had with the parademons and dark side uh the wonder woman appearance and then just that last thing where like they are following the superman live storyline that's why I walked out of this feeling, you know, I'm just as excited, if not more, for Justice League than I am for Last Jedi. Yeah, I agree with everything. I mean, I just love this whole closing sequence, just the way they're playing, like, Amazing Grace and just interchanging between the two funerals and just, like, the, the slow-motion shot of, like, the, the cannons firing and stuff like that. It just looks awesome for the Superman one. And I don't really have a whole lot to add. I think it's it's just beautifully shot. And I, I really enjoy it. I mean, the only question is, is, like, I don't get the ring bit. Like, she's laying on his bed, and here comes Martha, like, oh, Clark sent this. Like, mm-hmm. how? Like, did he know he was, like, is this his forward thinking of, oh, I'm probably going to die, and you'll go to my funeral. So, like, <laughs> yeah. this is the ring? Like, I don't understand it. I don't, well, uh, how I mean, does that make sense? Together, but, I mean, he but, can peer through the mailbox with his x-ray vision to know whether <laughs> it came or not. 
I, I just don't know. I don't, yeah. But, like, I mean, I don't want to rip it because I like the way this closes. Um, why Why is Diana at the funeral? Like, she didn't know him. Like, Yeah. <laughs> well, she fought with him for 30 seconds. Well, I mean, you know, is that all it takes with Henry Cavill? Ask your wife. Uh, but, I, like, <laughs> the one thing I'll say, though, like, I just do not like. Uh, I mean, I like, okay, I like the bit where he's getting his head shaved because I remember watching that going, oh, there we go. Lex Luthor's bald. It's kind of like in um, uh, Spectre when Blofeld gets a yeah. scar and you're waiting for him to be bald. So that's kind of like, okay, there it is. Uh, so I like that bit. I just, oh, the scene when he's there on the, the prison and he's holding his things and he's like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, I love ding, that. Ding. Oh, I hate that. Oh, it just no, gives me the shit. it's just nuts. It's great. No. To me, that's just, again, loopy Lex, you know, Joker Lex. That's not Lex Lex. That, to me, I just do not like that scene when he does that. I like the music. The music, though, is amazing. And can I just point out, I've like, the, the, the soundtrack for this, again, listen to it to death since I've watched it, and just just holds up so well. Such an amazing soundtrack. Uh, but, yeah, I, like, I remember that, the subtlety of, like, the, the dirt flying up. Because the, the way it's done is, like, he kind of pans down, you see it rising, but by the time you can kind of compute what's happening, it cuts to black. Like, just yeah. the way it's done. Like, it's so... Like, they could have held it for a little bit longer, but it's just literally to the point where you're like, did I just see what I thought I saw? So, like, you are literally second-guessing in your head, going, oh, maybe I didn't see that. So I think that's where it's well edited to the point where you're questioning that. So, um, yeah, I like the way it ends. I mean, I think the the extended version, you get to see a bit of uh, Pete, don't you, in the, the wake mm-hmm. as well, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, And apparently yeah. Lana's in there. I only read that in the credit city, but where's Lana? She's still saving her dead horses from the flood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That was, that was the deleted watching. scene when he's telling the story and little baby Lana is floating away. See you, Kristen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, where the movie went from here, obviously, it ended. it's got a lot of criticism. <laughs> that? It ended. You were like, yeah. where did the movie no. went from here? I thought I there's mean, more when, here. Did I miss? Yeah. Uh, when it was released, it got heavy critical criticism and this is the thing that always confused me I, I feel like in part it's just people things just changed in the last couple of years where there were a lot of blockbuster movies that got good reviews from critics and it's also the point now where you expect that everything that gets a bad review is going to be a bad movie but like you and i both remember growing up and it was almost a badge of honor if a movie got re- bad reviews from critics well, critics are just, they're too stuck up. They don't understand this movie. That was like every movie growing up. If, if it was a blockbuster movie, if it was an action movie, if it was a special effects movie, if it was a summer movie, critics hated it. And the only thing that they liked was like really serious art house movies. And then it somehow it got to the point where critics appreciated some of these bigger blockbusters and they gave good reviews to it. And now people take it so seriously that when critics would say, no, Batman versus Superman was terrible. People are like, well, I heard the movie was bad. There's no way it could be good. Yeah, except for every movie growing up that critics hated, which, by the way, go back and read some of the reviews for The Empire Strikes Back when that came out and see what critics thought of that. wasn't all positive for that either. Uh, I'm not saying this is on level with Empire Strikes Back, but I think there was a big division between what critics saw and what audiences saw, because even though now this movie's been seen by so many people that you are going to get audience members like, I didn't like it. When this came out, the majority of the audience's response was very positive. In fact, that was what made the news was what is happening here where critics are so against this movie and yet audiences really love it. It was like the biggest contrast that had been seen in years 
between the grades that audience members were giving it and that the critics were giving it. And I think that's what I always like to walk away from this with is that audiences did like this movie when it came out. Maybe there's some complaints that have come up since then, but it was still a popular movie. And I just hate that we're following what critics say now when we never mm-hmm. have before, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately it got terrible critical response, made a ton of money. I don't care what anybody says about, oh, it only made this much in profit. It made a ton of money, especially worldwide. Uh, when you look at Blu-ray release and everything else, I mean, the movie more than made its money back. Plus, yeah, it may be Batman versus Superman, but this is them setting up something bigger. This is them setting up Justice League and Wonder Woman and everything else. And you're not going to go out there and say, well, just because, uh, I don't know, Ant-Man didn't make as much money as Iron Man that it's a failure. Um the movie made way more money than Man of Steel. It was still one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Uh, this this feels more than anything instead of just let's, you know, end this episode on this is the response it got. It's like this is what everybody's wrong about. But whatever your opinion is, it's your opinion. There was the R-rated uh, Ultimate Edition, which we talked about. Um, movie got nominated for a couple of Razzies. You expect that. Again, why people take the Razzies seriously, they used to just pick whatever was the highest grossing movie of the year and say, hey, let's just do this because that'll get you know the fans uh, upset or whatever. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I think this movie introduced us to Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot, which are the two things that nobody really complains about. Uh, a lot of other good cast members in there, too, that we talked about. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the critics stuff and box office and everything like that. We've talked about that to death. But uh, anything you want to add before we jump into our review? Uh, I just, I've, I've actually found the, I mentioned earlier about how when I went to see this, uh, the guy I worked with in the Mercury, uh, who was a film critic, uh, I'm going to name and shame him, Tim Martin. Hello, Tim. He's not listening to this. Uh, but, uh, I, I tagged him when I went and saw it. I've, I found the check-in here from March 28, 2006. I wrote, hoping that Tim Martin, other critics, the internet, and 95% of other people who have seen this film are wrong. Uh, and then this led to a whole bunch of comments. Uh, our dear friend Cable. Uh, who, of course, used to be an Oslet with us on Survivor Oz. He uh, put a screenshot of a good friend of ours from Survivor, Jonathan Penner, who, of course, also is an Academy Award-nominated writer. He's not just a Survivor contestant. Uh, he, he screenshotted his tweet where Jonathan Penner said, Saw hashtag Batman v Superman, yawn of dust-ups, clanging, confusing, joyless, a serious disappointment. They made a release date, not a movie. Uh, and then, so, Tim commented on my status, says, Batman is a psychopath, psychopath, Superman is an asshole. the story makes no sense, Jesse Eisenberg seems to have been told he was playing the Joker, nothing at all actually happens in the first hour and a half, it's an extended version of his own trailer, uh, huge wasted opportunity. Um, and then, uh, he's the film critic for the Mercury, um, and so a friend of mine, James, who was with me, liked it. Uh, he's like, he then, I remember for the rest of the month posted a shitload of stuff on my wall, which I won't go through all of them. But the one thing that he posted here is like a meme of kind of like a screenshot of Batman fighting Superman. And it says, if you're a comic book reader, it's a damn great, awesome movie. If you're a casual, it's a pretty nice movie. If you're looking for the Marvel fun plus childish formula, maybe it ain't for you. Uh, yeah. And so. that's important because <laughs> that's what we've been saying is that the Marvel movies, they're geared towards kids more than anything. And the, the deeper they get into it, the more kid friendly the movies become and i feel almost become like a little bit less interesting and this is not made for kids and i think it's almost a victim of just being too serious and being too adult oriented and also just when you're gearing it towards adults they're gonna be obnoxious no matter what even if they did like a movie oh it's not cool to like this you know yeah no i agree and it's 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 i just hope that 
with time that, as I kind of said earlier, that this, when, when we get more of an expanded DC universe, five years time, that this will be more appreciated. I mean, you and I, I think, live on the long-standing hope that the Star Wars prequels might become more appreciated, which, look, I think there's a bit coming through. Like, I mean, you pointed out, like, that the Star Wars, uh, whatever that Comic-Con version was, when Hayden Christensen made an appearance, have we got, like, a standing ovation? Like, I mean, whoever thought that that would happen? Like, I I don't know. Like, we, I think, kind of using our Survivor knowledge as a comparison, there are plenty of seasons of Survivor that are hated when they came out, like Thailand, Nicaragua. These are seasons that are despised when they first released. But over time, they've kind of been more become more appreciated with age. So I kind of hope that this is going to be a similar thing for, for Batman v Superman. I, I'm, I'll always be a staunch defender of this film. When you and I, like, organised DC Month, I was so excited because, you know, like, I love all of these films. I've always been Team Superman. You're like me. You've always he's been like your number one superhero. Mm-hmm. Batman's probably number two, f- fighting over with Spider Man. And like again, I'm going to catch up with all the Marvel ones. But I think part of me never going out of my way to watch the Marvel ones as much as I am going to with these ones is that yeah, I know who Spider, I know who Iron Man is, I know who the Hulk is. I've heard of Captain America, heard of Thor. But to me, that's like these are sort of a lot of these ones. Where I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it's not Batman, it's not Superman. You know what I mean? So like, it's mm-hmm. kind of I've never gone out of my way. I'm going to hear like Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay, that's a thing. Uh, you know, Ant-Man. Okay, sure. Uh, like, it's, you know, it's like things that are like Doctor Strange. What? Like, I mean, it's just like things I've never heard of because I, like, I've always been focused on the Batman, Superman side of things and I never read comics growing up. So it's kind of, that's where my take comes from it. And sure, I'm going to be biased towards DC more, but look, I, I enjoy this take on this universe and I, I really enjoy this film. So. Yeah, I think you know where my rating's going to go with this, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> We've made it clear where our ratings are going with this. And I don't care what anybody says. I'm buying this movie, and yeah, I think I've made too. a pretty good argument as to, even if you don't enjoy this, why I enjoy this movie. And I think I made a pretty good argument as to you know, some things that this movie deserves more credit for is not getting. Uh, but it's just a fun movie, and I think if if you're taking this so seriously that you're willing to nitpick the amount of things to get nitpicked, you're watching the wrong type of genre. It's a superhero genre. Is just supposed to be fun. There's a lot of Marvel movies that have way more issues with this, but we accept them because they're fun movies. You know, Ant-Man's a perfect example, you know. And yeah, the tone is different, and in part, you know, you can reach more of a kid audience. I still haven't shown this movie to my nephews. I think they saw Man of Steel, but, like, my nephews, some of them are a little bit older, but it's just, I don't know if this is really going to click with them. But for me, for me and my, you know, type of audience... A lot of people I've talked to, and most of the people I've talked to are like around my age and, you know, same type of background and history with superheroes and all that and same type of movie likes. They enjoy this movie. And, you know, I'm I'm going to say buy this. And I know a ton of people who would say buy this. And so everybody else is wrong. Yeah, you're all wrong. Except you're all ben. dickheads. This Except is a ben, buy. I know where Ben's rating it. Yeah, there this you go. Is, this is a buy. It. Uh, and like, every, I agree with everything you said. And one thing, kind of, is a is a weird note. Just thinking, like, how much critical acclaim and everybody loves, like the the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, which they're great films. Uh, two of them. Um, but uh, I actually don't mind the Dark Knight Rises. Um, but like. I still think that, like, as everybody rips shit into what happens in The Dark Knight Rises, it's still kind of held in a higher regard than Batman v Superman, even though that's got some glaring problems with it. Um, but, like, you know, like, little things, like, people complain about the politics, the realism, all this sort of stuff. Can we just not remember The Dark Knight, maybe the most critically acclaimed uh, superhero film in the history of movies, 
I mean, that's got a whole plot line about politics, like Harvey Dent, like oh. kind of like justice and all that kind of stuff in it. But that's overlooked, is it? Like, And not to mention, actually sit down and write out the Joker's plot and how he pulls it off the same way that Honest Trailers did with Lex Luthor's. And you'll realize that the Joker's plot in The Dark Knight is just as preposterous. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, just it's kind of one of these ones that people are automatically going to have things to say about no matter what happens. It's it's like, it's, it's kind of, I think we used that reference point before, didn't we, about The Force Awakens, that everybody loved it so much because it just, it was like, finally, the Star Wars sequel we wanted, not the stupid prequels. But again, like, when we get to The Force Awakens and we eventually do it, like, it's got some problems. Um, it's like, I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic World was like the sequel we'd been wanting for for Jurassic Park. It's just the first movie again. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> exactly. kind of like all of the Jurassic Park sequels are the first movie again. But, like, nostalgia. Like, we get the nostalgia goggles on. It's the most amazing thing we've ever seen. But if you want to sit down and do a thing like this and go over it, like, bit by bit, it's got problems. So, like, I mean, again, no movie is perfect. The first Jurassic Park is, but like, <laughs> like I think there, there's very few perfect movies out there. Even like movies that you and I love to bits. Like we love Face Off to bits, but like I mean, we found things wrong with it. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be issues with movies. I I would I can't wait for the day, Colin, that you and I sit down here, we do a movie, uh, we get it done in like an hour because it's so perfect. There's nothing we can nitpick about it. Even our little jokes, our childish, you know, bat blog dong jokes fall flat. <laughs> Because the movie's so good, we can't find anything to nitpick about it. So, yeah, uh, buy it, for sure. Buy it, buy it, buy buy it, it. every day of the week. And we did good in staying under four hours. No, not really. (laughs) Uh, I think we've just ticked over four hours. We're we're on about a Man of Steel pace right now, which is, it's okay. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go next week, though. Uh, I don't think Suicide Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman should go for as long. No, I mean, words, a lot but... of this is just <laughs> debating the direction the DC Universe is in, and we've gotten that out of the way. Um, but Suicide Squad's another interesting one because it suffered the same fate as Batman vs Superman, where critics just destroyed it when it first came out. In some areas, for no reason whatsoever. Like, a lot of the arguments, you just can't back up. And the audiences, for the most part, enjoyed it, but maybe not as much. I think... What's interesting for me with Suicide Squad is that this movie came out exactly the way I pictured it. And it came out exactly the way I pictured it because I was a fan of David Ayer, the director, who did this. And I was a fan of the Suicide Comics, at least the few years leading up to when this movie came out, which is kind of the direction they took. And I just was able to picture in my head what this movie would look like. But I think a lot of people were expecting something different. Um, they probably were expecting something bigger, especially following Batman vs. Superman. It's a much simpler story. A lot of the compl- I'm going to spend a lot of time in Suicide Squad just poking holes in people's complaints and you know making you realize, yeah, that argument doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, the best one being where I've heard them say, well, it takes too long to get to the story. Well, it's an origin story of about nine characters, and <laughs> I'm and it's most often compared to Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think we're what four years since Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and I'm still waiting for the story of Guardians of the Galaxy to be revealed. Like they never did it in that one, and yet this movie gets criticized. Uh, so many good things about this. Like the performances are fantastic. Uh, a lot of people hate Will Smith. I thought Will Smith was amazing. In this, I think it was probably one of the best things Will Smith's done in years. You can't say enough good things about Margot Robbie in this movie. Oh. Um, it goes on and on. Even Jai Courtney, like, Oh, I can't wait yeah. to hear opinions on Jai Courtney. Nobody likes Jai Courtney, but yet in this movie, Jai Courtney's cool. 
And they got the right characters for this. They, I think they got the right director. And for what it is, it's not meant to be, you know, at the level of Batman versus Superman or Justice League. This was just like a fun one-off and a way to introduce a different side of this universe and how the government's involvement would be. You know, uh, this is kind of what would have happened had Holly Hunter gotten her way. You know, uh, <laughs> Viola Davis, amazing in this movie. So many good performances. Um, Suicide Squad's another one I just always had a blast with. And when it came out, and people would ask me, how was Suicide Squad? And I'd say, it was really fun. People would be surprised. And then when they eventually watch the movie, they're like, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I will admit two things. One, I only saw this movie recently on a flight from, uh, I think it was Vancouver to Anchorage. There you go. Uh, and secondly, when they announced this, uh, my comic book knowledge showed that I'd never heard of the Suicide Squad. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, like I went into this, I think maybe I was a victim here of the critics at this point because I was going to go see this, but then I kind of saw it and I'm like, oh, you know, it's not a Batman, it's not a Superman movie, so I'll, I'll maybe I'll just wait for it to come out. And then even when it did come out, I kind of was like, oh, I can watch that. Eh, no, like I wasn't over the top excited for it because I guess kind of I was a victim of hearing what people said about it, which I feel guilty and terrible for because it's like, well, if I'd have done that with Batman v Superman, then I wouldn't have seen it either. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was just so good. I mean, my dad kept telling me to watch because he's like, oh, it's, it's really good. And he likes Batman v Superman as well. Uh, the casting is fantastic. Like, I mean, Will Smith, like, like... I don't know if I can think of anything I've ever seen that man in that I do not like. Like, Will yeah. Smith is just, you know, everybody loves Will Smith, sure. Like, the guy's he's like He's like black Tom Hanks. Like, let's be honest. Everybody loves him. Like, <laughs> is that a nice thing to say? I don't know. Um, but, like, he's awesome. Like, fucking love. Maybe Tom Hanks is a white Will Smith. Maybe that's the other way of saying it. Like, just love They're Will both Smith rappers in their youth. Exactly. Exactly. They're just like these people that everybody loves, no matter who they are. Hugh Jackman, you know, Natalie Portman. Pfft. You don't. You're an idiot. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, Margot Robbie, what can you say? Like, holy crap. She's come a long way since Neighbours. Um, Jai Courtney, yeah. Like, I, you, I think you asked me about him when I first told you yeah. I watched it. I like him. Like, I liked him. He was great. Um, you know, Vi- da- Viola Davis, uh, if I can say properly. Fantastic. Just uh, the casting of this movie is brilliant. You know, Cara Delevingne, eh, you know, she's hot. I can... <laughs> She's not an actress. She'll never be an actress, but she's hot, all right? So <laughs> she waves her arms around a little bit, blows some smoke out of her mouth. That's all she needs to do. That's her acting ability. Um, I mean, the, the only thing is kind of maybe similar to what I said about Jesse Eisenberg with Lex, but not as, like, Jared Leto, the Joker, I guess we're going to talk a lot about him. I mean, yeah. I'm not, as, I don't just like, dislike him as much as I say do with Lex Luthor in this film. I think he's got a very unique take on the Joker, and I think that was kind of a huge selling point for this film, was, oh, the Joker's back. Jared Leto, like, you know, this now Academy Award winning emo band singer. Um, and, like, I don't dislike his performance. I just think it's kind of, does he need to be there? Um, it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, write him out of this film. I don't think much changes. So it's kind of, you know, it will be interesting to talk about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to covering it. Again, I've only seen this movie once. So going into this will be the second time I've ever seen it. Uh, to me, it's maybe the most removed film from these four from the DCU that like DCEU that kind of like you've got your random Batman cameo and sort of mention of Superman. But this is kind of the one that you can probably watch outside of all four of them and just it's, it's separate completely. Um, but yeah, and can I just point out, like, people rip shit into this, oh, it's an extended music video, the way it's edited, and the oh. graphics, and the, the, the overuse of the music. 
I think it's the opposite. The soundtrack for this movie is incredible. Like, yeah. just the use of the songs. Like, we're coming off two movies here with epic scores and no actual songs to the complete opposite. Like, oh my god, I can listen to this soundtrack just any day of the week. Just the use of just... And the, the eclectic use of it. And the original songs, Heathens, Sucker for Pain. Like, mm-hmm. oh god, such a great soundtrack. Probably, I think we talked about this, didn't we, in one of our uh, ones where we were talking about how over-the-top soundtracks used to be for movie releases and maybe Suicide Squad was the first one recently to kind of really be successful with that. So, um, yeah, I look forward to talking about the Academy Award winning Suicide <laughs> Squad. <laughs> and again, like this, if, if, if you hate the movie, just listen to our arguments, but also we're not going to sit there and sugarcoat everything. I mean, there's some dumb stuff in this movie that we'll point out too. But like we've been saying for two weeks now, it's a superhero movie. It's supposed to be that way. So stay tuned for Suicide Squad next week. Um, that's it on Batman vs Superman. I could go on this for another hour, but let's not put people through pain like we put them through on Titanic. That, 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 that's coming in the director's cut. Yeah, exactly. The director's cut, the ultimate edition of the Oz Network, Batman vs Superman. Can we just point out, like, okay, like Titanic went for technically five hours because we separated into two parts. That's a movie that Colin hates. We've gone uh, two Superman movies in a row, basically for four hours and I think twenty minutes. Just when we get to Star Wars eventually in a few years, yeah. guys, like. We're probably going to be doing, like, 12-hour podcasts, releasing yeah. them in, like, four points. So, you know, how are we going to keep Star Wars in, in condense uh, episodes? We do not know. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why we're stalling for at least a year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyways, that's it. Uh, my name is Colin, and the bittersweet pain among men is having knowledge with no power because that is paradoxical. And um, thank you for coming. And my name is Ben, and... Hashtag backlog. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.